them pay for months of earnings. Oh, that's a good one. Have them look for lost receipts. Ooh, I like it. They'll have about as much fun as their last colonoscopy. People everywhere will get ripped off the paper version of the Apple Watch. And we'll dance all night. It's the best code ever. Some folks pay a lot. Others, they pay never. And you'll get tax breaks. If you're really clever, it'll take so long. It's the best code ever. They'll be like, oh, oh, no. We'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be like, oh. You may have heard that all your info Systems can be hacked with ease. You know it's true. Yeah, but rest assured if they don't get them, they'll be in the care of folks like these. Yes, historians will all agree among the greatest works in history. And we'll dance all night. It's the best code ever. Some folks pay a lot. Others, they pay never. And if you don't comply, you'll go to jail. However, why would you not buy? It's the best code ever. They'd be like, oh, oh, no. We'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd be like, oh, oh, no. We'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. It is August 21st, 2020. It is 10.08 p.m. I am Todd Dandruff with TELUS. We have been on only six days ago, and now we are back with our Friday show. We used to be on Friday, and then we kind of jumped around. Now I'm trying to push us back on Friday. So here we are, a little bit late tonight, but we have a free roll going, which started at 9.55, so you have 12 more minutes to get in. You have till 10.20 p.m. Pacific time on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. $50 this week is being given away, and it is courtesy of three people. Mostly two, but actually three. $25 came from a new listener, or I think a fairly new listener. Uh, he goes by Tee It Up W13. $24 comes from the Ocean Magic crew. They've donated before. They're advantage players. And the last dollar came from me because we had 49 We were one short. I'm not going to have it go under 50 So I threw in one Jew dollar to this to make it a f- even 50 Do not pay attention to what's written on the thread. It's wrong. It's close, but it's wrong. The actual prize pool is 25 15 and 10. 25 for first, 15 for second, and 10 for third. It has 26 and 16 instead of 25 and 15. That is a mistake. I will fix it afterwards. I guess if you really demand, because it was down in writing, I'll pay you the extra dollar, but just just let me pay you the 25 and 15. Don't, don't strain my Jew wallet more than the dollar I already had to throw in. So you have until 1020 to start with a full stack. It's already going, but you can get in there with a full stack on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, exactly as it sounds, to understand the rules for qualifying for the free money, which I can pay you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin, or by other methods. If you can think of payment services online, especially one that's been around for a very long time, I can send you the money that way too. 
So a lot of ways to get paid here. Real money. We're not talking about crappy money on a poker site that you may not be able to cash out. I'm talking about real cash money that goes right into your bank account. Can't be better than that. And totally free. And we do it every week. And we do this without sponsors. And it's thanks to the generosity of the listeners to this program. How many other shows do this? I don't, I really don't know of any other poker or gambling show or podcast that has a weekly cash free roll. They may have had occasional free rolls. I just don't know of one. If you know of one, you can tell me. I think we're the only one. I, we used to do this on a previous show I was part of, but I'm talking about shows that have existed since the beginning of Poker Fraud Alert Radio or exist currently. I just don't know of any. You can tell me if you know of one, though. That's something unique we do here to give back to the listeners, and it's really the listeners giving back to each other. So thank you very much to everybody for doing this. I, I really do appreciate it. Otherwise, I would have to deal with the unpalatable choice of either shutting down the free roll or donating to it myself, both of which would leave me very stressed to think about. Here's the agenda tonight, and then we'll get going. I'm going to be honest with you guys here. This was a slow poker and gambling news week. Last week, we had a lot of stuff. Last week, there was a lot to talk about. The show was very long. Uh, it could have been longer. Like, I could have spent a long time on some of the topics I didn't spend a long time. It really could have been a 12-hour show or something. It ended up being like eight. But this week, and you never know, because sometimes these extend longer than I expect. But this week, we just didn't have much. I had to really scrape. I had to scrape to find uh, things to talk about this week. But I did. We will talk about what I had there. I even threw an extra topic in that I had reserved for a week like this called Druff Remembers. That's something I'm going to throw in every so often when there's less to talk about. Druff Remembers is a segment where I talk about things from my past in poker and gambling and tell you guys some stories, just for people who either weren't around back then or uh, weren't experiencing the same things I was. I, I think some of you might be interested to hear that, especially since a lot of you found this show later and a lot of you weren't even around in poker back in the 2000s. Maybe you played a little bit, but you got more involved recently. So Dreff Remembers this week is going to be life in Las Vegas during the 2000s poker boom. I did live in Las Vegas, and I experienced some interesting things there. And I'll tell you what I observed about others living in Las Vegas as well. It was a, a unique time there. I'm no longer there. I visit. I haven't recently because of the coronavirus, but... Uh, I've changed back to a visitor of Las Vegas rather than a resident, but I spent uh, several years there, and I will tell you about my life there in the 2000s during the poker boom, which I was very much part of, of course. Okay, so the rest of the agenda tonight, Druff versus Russia. If you've noticed, Poker Fraud Alert hasn't responded well over the last week or so. It's because of Russia. Russians were attacking Poker Fraud Alert again. And two nights ago, I figured it out. And I fixed it. I'll tell you what happened there. If it is still struggling for you, still not connecting, still freezing, please let me know. I think the problem is over. At least for now. I, I win the battle against the Russians, but not the war. That's always the way it goes. Veronica Brill spoke out about the Stones settlement offer. Remember my segment last week where I talked about the specific settlement and the terms that weren't disclosed to the public that I gave you guys, that picked up some steam, by the way. Cards Chat did an article about my broadcast. Like, there, 
other outlets have picked up what I said and given me credit and said, you know, Todd would tell us his reported this. And then Veronica gave her own take on the settlement, which I'm going to play to you. So that'll be our lead topic. Also, just some new news about what Postle's ex-wife said to Veronica. Veronica, by the way, asked me for the timestamp of last week's show where the stones and Postle stuff appears. So I gave it to her. Presumably she listened. Marley Cordero, her lawsuit against Postle has been dismissed by a judge. I, I meant to cover that last week, but I forgot. That's just as well, because... Last week I had too much to talk about, and this week I have not enough. Las Vegas casinos are being blamed right now in a study for the current Nevada coronavirus spread. Which you may say, well, yeah, of course, but no, it, it does seem like the casinos are a big, big source, like maybe bigger than you thought it was, as far as the percentage of uh, coronavirus cases in Nevada. So we will talk about that. Also, in Nevada, Governor Steve Susslag is being sued right now by owners of bars who are angry that bar top video poker is not allowed. A bizarre online poker pot occurred that reached a very large sum of money. This is not what you would picture. When I say bizarre, I don't mean like set over set or someone flops it, open it to trade flush draw against a set and both are deep stacked and both get a ton of money in. That's not bizarre. That's kind of a cooler for whoever loses it, but, uh, and you know, huge money going back and forth online, of course, but it's not bizarre. But the, the million dollar pot, that's the bizarre thing. It was all, it wasn't quite a million dollars, but it was close. And, You'll be surprised the two hands that generated that type of money, which apparently is one of the largest online poker pots ever. Not just recently, but ever. I think it might be the largest. A nasty foreign-based employment scam is targeting people who are looking to get jobs from home. This is a COVID-era scam since so many people are looking to work from home now, and these scammers have jumped on it, and it's all over. I was alerted to the scam by someone who was a victim of one and then close to a victim a second time. So I'll talk about what happened to this person and I'll tell you what to look out for if you're looking for a home-based job during times of COVID. There's a lot of ways that you could be fooled and it could look legitimate or semi-legitimate. So I'll tell you what to look out for. Thought it's uh, even though nothing to do with poker or gambling, I thought it's an important public service to put out to the listeners of this show. Then I'll do my Dreff Remember segment, and then I'll conclude with our coronavirus stuff. And that's the show for the evening. I almost didn't do the show tonight, because shortly after I ate, I, my stomach started hurting. I started feeling a little nauseous, and I didn't know what it was, but I didn't feel very good. And I was like, I don't know if I'll have the energy to do the show tonight. But and I drank some water, and some time passed. That's a little reason we started, started late, by the way, is I just kind of like taking it easy, hoping the... Uh, Feeling goes away, and it did. I'm mostly better now, so we can do it. Let's see, anything else? Oh, the chat room. It's going away soon. It's a Flash chat room. I will be changing it to something non-Flash before the end of the year, hopefully sooner. But right now, you need a Flash-enabled device, meaning no iPhones or iPads to get in. But remember, on the radio tab, there is a new player that works with smartphones and that does not need Flash. Before you needed Flash for the radio player on the page, it's been that way since uh, 2012, a few weeks ago I changed that, and I'm also going to be upgrading that player further 
sometime in the near future to where it auto-plays. Because that's the one annoying thing about it. You go there, you actually have to hit play, and you can't tell whether the radio is going or not. And that kind of sucks. So I am going to work on uh, getting an auto-play one that also does not require flash. So I'm working. I'm working on improving Poker Fraud Alert and getting it into the 2020s, as tough as this can be for me, because I like just setting things up, and I got used to it, and I don't like having to bring on new stuff, but sometimes I know I have to. It's not like I'm afraid of change. I just I just get used to things. I just prefer to kind of stick with what works, but then as time passes, some things just don't work anymore because devices change and people's needs change, and it is time to change some things on Poker Fraud Alert uh, from a technical standpoint, but most of it will be the same. Like the forum, I'm not going to change that anytime soon. I also didn't change the intro being super long. That also hasn't changed, if you've noticed. Shorter than it used to be, though. If you want to call in, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, or the Mount Charleston line at 702-430-1808. And right away, someone hits that number. Call, you're on the air. Yes, good evening, Joe. How are you? Hi, One Step. What's going on? Uh, Listen, I don't like your tone already, Okay. You, when a caller calls, you should be a little bit more upbeat and vibrant, even though it's me and I've been calling for several years. I was upbeat. I said, a call's coming in. Let's hit it and no. see who it is. Yeah. And it was like, it was like, oh, oh. If I didn't want to take so it, I could have just I ignored have, uh, it. I could have just uh, hit the ignore button. I did not do that. I answered it. True. That is that is true. Um, so I, I have a, a question. I'm curious to, to hear your opinion on this. Yeah. So uh, I, I recently came back from vacation, um, and I went on vacation with a bunch of people uh, for the first time. Um, uh, one one individual I've been vacation several times. The rest of them are we're all new. And I decided that you know when I'm in a new city, um, I like to sample the wares, so to speak. Uh, meaning, uh, if I like, if I see someone that I find attractive, um, I would like to have them come over and we like to discuss things and, and, you know, uh, eventually those things lead to me sucking him off. Uh huh. Okay. Um, now, now the issue is here that, um, I was able to sneak this individual into the house. Um, wait, what do you, wait, hold, hang on, hang on, hang on. Why, why do you have to sneak leaving. them? Wait, 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 you're, you're glossing over a big part here. Why do you have to sneak them in? Yes, yes. Well, because I am going on vacation with uh, all straight people, and I don't necessarily think that um, it's necessary for me to ask permission uh, whether or not I'm able to get my dick sucked or vice versa. Okay, but hold on. Um, So this is taking place in somewhere that you're vacationing right now? Well, not right now. I'm just coming back. So this is a story where... Oh, this already happened. Okay. I went on vacation. Okay, what what city was this? Where was this? Um, uh, What state? It was in Maryland. Okay, I was going to ask what city, but whatever. Okay, fine. Maryland, we'll just stick with that. So so you you snuck this guy in. Okay. Yeah. So we had an Airbnb, and everyone uh, chipped in, yada, yada, yada. Um, I uh, was on you know, a popular uh, a hookup app uh, slash dating app, and I decided to bring over a, um, uh, a very attractive 18-year-old individual um, <laughs> okay. who uh, very, much, very much wanted me to um, uh, stuff his face with my cock. Okay, well, hang on a second. Um, hang on. Before now, we go further here, uh, are you sure the guy was 18? 
Um, no, I do not. Well, that's that's already um, a problem here. That's, that's, I, I dealt with this myself in the past. Now, uh, years ago, when when I was and I was much younger than you are now. Years ago, when I was substantially past eighteen, but not anywhere near the age I am now, or even your age currently. I, uh, I I met a, a girl online who said she was 18, and, and we got along. She kept begging me to come see her, and I was like, oh, yeah. I, see, I don't know. I'm afraid I'm going to get there, and it's going to turn out she's a minor, and I'm going to be I get myself in trouble. So I, 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 actually, I actually made her show me. I, I actually made her show me ID. Right now, I have. I made her show me ID. Yeah, I have. I have no. I have no interest in this story. Um, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> but it has to do with um, yours. However, it has, it has to do with your story about again, about the guy being 18. So uh, as he's leaving, um, uh, one of the roommates decides that at 12.30 in the morning, he wants to go do laundry. And as he's going to do the laundry, uh, he sees an individual um, walk uh, out with me and proceeds to tell uh, the person who organized the trip, like the Yensa that he is, oh, I just saw, you know, Matt leave with someone Um to to where there was a conversation where um, she mentioned you know how uh, we were all on vacation together and and they're all afraid that you know he might have COVID or he might stab them in their sleep or um, <laughs> well did he look like the, the did he look now. like the type who could stab them in their sleep did he look like a psycho absolutely not okay. no absolutely not absolutely not um, I I tend to go after individuals that I have you know. Uh, no fear or, or no apprehension for that. So the, the, the issue is here. Um, do you feel that I should have given prior notice to, that, to, to this group that I was bringing someone over? And if so, this group, if they were not comfortable with it, does that mean that my dick was not going to get sucked that night? Well, okay. So first of all, I never travel with groups for that reason. Not not about hooking up, but I, I hate having to get groups permission for anything or or having to be on their schedule. Or I, I don't like others, like third parties, right. uh, telling me what I can and can't do or what I should or shouldn't do on vacation. So that's a that's one thing I, I just never do. But but if you're going to do it, which you did, um, were they bringing over anybody at any point, or is it uh, just only this group here? They're wearing masks. 24-7 outside of the house, and uh, with the exception of when they're on the water with everyone else. Um, but no one got tested prior, so for all we know, one of us might have had well, it. Well, I wasn't even talking about um, the, from the COVID standpoint, but that's, that actually adds another dimension. It's funny. I wasn't even thinking of that. I was thinking more of just like a typical trip, like almost like one that would happen a year ago. But you're, it, it is true. The COVID right. thing adds another so dimension I, here. So I brought... So I, I brought up the fact that, you know, there was a, a female that was on the trip. Um, this female was approached by two gentlemen in the supermarket uh, because this female has a big fat ass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, guys, guys obviously take notice of that. So I know for a fact that she would have not have asked me whether or not it's okay to bring that individual so she can get her cheeks cut. But 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 she didn't. That but that did, did she to... did she actually bring anybody or no? No, no, she did not. But uh, hypothetically speaking, if she did, um, I I would not. I don't need to be advised or be warned prior because you know everyone's there to have a good time. And if my good time in, in, is me face fucking an eighteen year old who works at a grill restaurant uh, on the boardwalk, that's that's my idea of a good time. 
Well, okay. So there's a lot. There's a lot in here. First of all, were they aware that you that you're gay, or was that a new thing to them? Um, no, all of them knew. All of them knew. Okay, so it wasn't a shock in that respect. Okay, so so it was more no. just about bringing some. See, whether it's a gay or straight hookup, it's basically the same thing. So the real question is here: uh, Is it okay in a house full of people traveling together? Is it okay to bring? people over to hook up with uh, without getting permission from the others uh, in a time of COVID is, is the big question. And so how many people are in this house, uh, not counting the, the guests? Six or seven. Six or seven. Okay. Well, I will say that if you're going to travel with six or seven people, it is difficult to say you're – unless these are people you live with anyway – at that point, you are throwing some caution out the window as far as COVID. So you, you do have a point here that any of these people could have it and, and not be symptomatic yet. And uh, when you have seven that you don't live with, you are – and you're now living with them on vacation, you are definitely uh, taking risk and bringing one additional person isn't – like I, I think it probably wasn't a big deal as long as you didn't create a disturbance – or or anything like that as well. No, no, I I snuck I snuck him in no problem. It's just that um, as I was going out, I I sort of you know my uh, my uh, giving a fuck went out the window uh, because I I felt like I was you know properly drained so to speak, and um, my tension was released for the trip, and um, yeah, and 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 that's where I sort of dropped the ball so to speak. Had I waited, let's say ten seconds. Um, oh, you could have snuck him back know, out. That individual would have. Yeah, I could, oh, I I could, have, I could have snuck him back out, but I just didn't give a fuck. Like, uh, well, either, but either believe way. it or not, the biggest concern um, I have in this story is about the individual not being eighteen. That's the the rest of it isn't uh, no, is that know. egregious. He probably, he probably he probably was. It's just that I mean, listen, like uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm know, surprised I, an eighteen I'm, year old was was in, was interested in you. I'm surprised uh, he wasn't seeking uh, others his age. You know, I, I, I fuck really well. Uh, okay, but how does he know that before he meets and, you? And I, and I spit, and I, and I spit, I spit game. So I, I know, I know what I'm doing here. Okay. So, I mean, you um, made it happen, I guess. I, see, I don't, I don't know yeah. about, I don't know about the, the gay dating yeah. scene. So I, there's only so much I can yeah. speak to this. But a, anyway. Um, yeah. And I know and there. I, and, 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 and listen, I'm not tooting my own. I have a fat cock. So you know, <sighs> it is what it is. This is a pretty uh, graphic phone call. I, I hope yeah. there's. No, I really hope there's no kids listening to this show. It's right, right at the beginning. At least it's at ten o'clock. I, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I didn't start at like seven, or people would be listening around their kids and they they wouldn't believe this. Hopefully they'll have been smart enough to turn this off by now. Anyway, as far as bringing a person in, when you were, if, if I was like traveling with one friend and they brought someone in, then I would be concerned because of the COVID. But since there, what what is that? That hurt my ear. What was that beep 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 beep? That's like a fire alarm that has a dead battery. What's that? What's going on? I have on no here? clue what you're talking about, sir. I heard like a really loud beep, 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 beep. I don't know. Probably was it was a, a passing car. I'm not sure. I'm outside right I've now. I've never heard a car like that. Okay. Well, I don't think that sneaking the person in is a big deal, uh, given that there's already seven people in there and traveling together. They're already taking enough of a risk. Right? I mean, this, this isn't much additional risk. They're not. Suck, they're, they're not going to suck my cock. Right? And you, as, know? As, you know what I mean? Like they're not going to suck my. Well, cock. That's, that doesn't really matter. But, but if, as long as you were watching the guy, the, the concerns I would have if I was in the house with seven people and then just some guy gets brought over is that I like I'd be out. I'd be afraid of that no, no, person I'm, stealing. I'm, I'm, I'd be not none of them stabbing me to death. I'd be afraid of them stealing. So as long as the person's being watched, so they don't steal, then it's not a big yeah. deal. That that would be my biggest you, concern. You, you, he, he, a person can't steal if I'm uh, mounting that individual and <sighs> his 
uh, mouth is full of my uh, okay. my text. I, 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 you know what? I, 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 I mean, unless you know David David Blaine David Blaine had a new special out. You know, unless he could do one of those tricks, then we have a different a different story. But uh, I haven't seen any tricks David Blaine does that happens in that regard so you've yeah. gotten my answer I mean, and unfortunately this uh, this phone call it now changed the rating of this podcast to uh, audio ma <laughs> so i need to end this here um, i need to end this so i can go back to some uh, at least pg-13 related topics this is this is getting out of hand but you, you have my opinion i'm going to take a trader risky call goodbye okay let's, let's take trader risky i couldn't it couldn't be worse than this trader risky hello I couldn't take any more drop. I had to call up. You actually helped me end the call. That was a good excuse to just end it and move on. I I, I kept kind of trying to reach a conclusion, and then it just it just got dirtier and dirtier. I don't think there's many other poker shows that have that type of content. I mean, it's not content I'm generating, but it's still on my show. Okay. Now, now everything aside, Trader Ruski, uh, if, if you were in this house, would you have objected to him bringing someone over, or would you have not cared? For sure. I mean, he's bringing some random person into the house. I mean, you know, COVID, I just feel like it's way too early for that. Well, see, if it, was, if it wasn't seven people in there, I would agree. It's just once you've, once you've already got seven people, it's pretty much like one more is not going to make a big deal. As long as the person's not stealing. Like, that's a, my big concern wouldn't even be COVID in that case. It would be the, uh, that you just have some stranger there and you might wake up and stuff's gone. That, that would be my problem. I, I'd say that if you're, unless you're with the person like, constantly then it could be a problem that's but that's also why i don't travel with with groups of people one of many reasons i don't travel with groups of people except right. like and family. i kind of assumed like the seven all had an agreement they quarantined and then they were moving together and i guess they gave you too much credit yeah you may have to give them too much credit see now you have sound effects what, what was that one sorry that was acr okay. <laughs> that's right trader ruski is mad at bovada so he's on acr now. acr did you know i had basically a very similar issue happen coincidentally with Bovada, they said, oh, we ended up, you know, not doing those tournaments anymore. We're just putting cash in your in your account, the same, you know, as the ticket would have been worse. I didn't even have to call them. Oh, you're saying ACR, you're saying ACR handled it right and Bovada screwed up? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. well. So, yeah, for those who don't remember, Bovada basically stole $162, really just from all the players. Yep. Kept it. Well, no, really, they stole it from you because it was already the, the, the players who lost. It didn't get stolen from them because they were they would have gotten zero. It came from there well, initially, but, but right. it, well, but the one sixty two should have gone into the tournament for everybody to win. Instead, they just pocketed. Right, right, but know? but but they actually. That's really what I'm saying. Oh no, they did. Yeah. And I'm, I'm saying you're actually giving uh, you're giving yourself too little credit for being stolen from and too much to the other play. Like I'm actually saying, you they definitely it had to go into the tournament in some way. They, there's no way, no reason they should have ever pocketed it. Uh, and and uh, but but the one who really got stolen from like the money was just directly taken from you because you should have one hundred sixty two dollars more in your account than you did and Trader Ruski got really screwed and I one hundred percent agree with him here and I would also be very angry and it's not it's not even about like how much one hundred sixty two dollars is worth it's like it's a principle of the matter that they're just stealing it and giving you a big fat middle finger so so okay point for ACR here that they they handled this same type of thing well and Bovada screwed up. So Bovada definitely far from perfect. I've said that before. I, I still play on there, but uh, I've I've had my own issues with them. You guys have heard over time. I really wish there was a a good option at the moment, but it's, it's more of just dealing with various uh, flawed options. So anyway, Vintage One is not here tonight, but for a good reason, and he may call in. He told me he may call in. He also may not. If he it depends if he has time. And when I say he has time, it's because I'm pleased to announce that Vintage One is back to work. Vintage One was on this show as a co-host because he was out of work and he had a lot more time. 
he's usually very busy. He works on uh, major network TV shows, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not talking about something that appears at 3 in the morning and I'm calling it a major network thing. I'm talking about major primetime network TV shows, and he has a pretty important job there. So Vintage One is uh, very well embedded there in Hollywood, but they shut down production for a long time because of the coronavirus. I was imagining that it was going to be shut down for even longer because in California the cases are still pretty high, and I thought he was going to be out of work for longer, but no. I texted him about appearing on the show tonight, and he said, actually, I'm working right now. I said, oh, great. So he is back to work, and he said he'll try to call in from the set if he has a moment to do so. Of course, he may not have a moment to do so. It's, it's very busy over there. I don't know if you guys have ever been down to see a TV show filmed. I, I was uh, twice in the 80s, but I haven't been since. Uh, when the coronavirus goes away, I am going to take up Vintage One on his offer to come down to one of the shows he works on. It'll be my first time in over 30 years. Uh, Trader Risky, have you been down to see a network show being taped any time in your life? Um, you know, I've been down. I think I saw Vintage One and watched some show he was on a few times and have some other friends in that business. But yeah, not, never really sat through as like an audience participate, participant. Yeah, I did twice in high school. I, I did because of uh, – I, I was part of a club in high school that wasn't really about this, but this was something it did to make money because the club would get like 50 or $75 a head, which it's, it's pretty amazing. Like, I, I don't know what the general public gets. Like if just an individual wants to come down, I don't know if they get, I don't think they get paid. I think it's only if you bring a group of people, but the club actually got like 50 or $75 per person that they brought to these shows. So it was like a fundraiser. And uh, so, so I saw, of course, this is in the eighties. I saw head of the class and I saw Valerie's family, which was the interim name between when Valerie changed to the Hogan family. So I saw, so when, of course, when I saw Valerie's family, that's because Valerie had been kicked off the show and had been replaced with Sandy Duncan. So it was right then. But anyway, those are the two I saw. And it was interesting. I mean, there were some tedious parts to it because it would take like, it would take like three hours to record a half hour show and they'd, retake scenes over and over and over again. So it's not, it's not like just watching a live version of shows that you see on TV. It's not like the different, it's not like going to a baseball game versus watching one on TV where it's the same thing, just different setting here. It's a uh, different because <laughs> what, the good thing is you get to see the process. You get to see all the actors live. It's uh, uh you, you get to see everything behind the scenes. Like that's, that's the interesting part. The non-interesting part is seeing them retake scenes over and over and over again. Now, at least they do it in order. That would be really maddening if they did it, like, out of order. So at least you can follow the story. But it, it, is, it does get hard to get into the story when they're redoing it, like, eight times in a row because something's wrong and the director doesn't like it. But I, with that said, I, w- I would love to go down uh, when the coronavirus improves and, and see uh, one of these things Vintage One works on. Because I've never had any connection to anyone at one of those shows ever really. So uh, anyway, that's what he's doing tonight and uh, good for him that he's working again. Glad to hear that. And I'm sure Ben will love it. Drop uh, something to the same tail. I'm not sure if Ben would have the patience at this point. Like if it was half an hour, he would. If it's like three hours, I could see he'd get he'd get restless. That's like right, I, you'll, be, you'll have the VIP treatment, <laughs> so I'm sure it'll be a little different. I, I, know, I know Eric Benzamokin was invited, so I, I know he'll love it. Good job for Vintage One. And Brandon, despite the fact that he posted angrily on the radio thread last week that he's quitting till 2023 and that he's mad at me for not for not texting him, 
in reality, while he was uh, a little annoyed by that, he was uh, he was exaggerating. He may, he may not like that I'm telling you guys this, but yes, he was exaggerating. He hasn't really quit till 2023, and he does uh, understand that this was an oversight. See, what I do shortly before radio uh, is I send out texts individually to, to all potential co-hosts. Cal Watt, if it's too late, which it usually is, I don't bother because I know he's not going to respond. I don't want to like wake him up. But uh, to right now, to Vintage One, to Trade and to Brandon, I sent a text. Well, last week, I sent uh, a text to all three of them, but the Brandon one, I never hit send. I thought I hit send, but I, I hit send, must have missed it, and then backed out and went to go to a different uh, text to send to somebody else. And never sent to Brandon. So Brandon, it's like I'm sitting here during the show going, oh, well, I hope Brandon shows up. And then turned out Brandon was never texted about it. Didn't know it was going. And then he saw the flashing on air and he's like, what the hell? Why didn't, why didn't he ask me to come on? I've been on for a bunch of times in the last two months. So I felt bad about that. It was an accident, but he believes me. So he's not, he hasn't really quit till 2023 for those of you that think that that has happened. With that said, he only comes on when he feels like coming on. So hopefully He'll wake up at some point during this show if he's sleeping. Hopefully he doesn't have migraine headaches, which I know he's been plagued with recently. And hopefully he's in the mood to do a show and he can come on here. Oh, yeah, the call to listen line. I haven't mentioned the call to I knew I was forgetting something. The call to listen line is a number you can use to listen to the show anytime. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736. It either plays the live show or our streaming reruns if we are not live. And the alternate number is 641-741-1095. You can find every phone number associated with the show on the radio tab of PokerFraudAlert.com. The call to listen line does not require a smartphone, a data plan, a computer, the internet, none of that stuff. You can go back in time and just use your grandmother's old rotary phone and listen to the show. You really can. It never buffers. It never freezes. It's... A lovely thing, and it's free unless you have T-Mobile, then it's one cent a minute, which I don't get. The least they could do is share it with me, but they don't. Well, I was just going to say, couldn't you make like some auto-forward number that just forwards the call to listen line? Yes, but there's... Anyway. There, there, no, there is. That's, I've thought of that, and yes, I could, and the, yeah, that's probably ultimately how I'm going to solve it. But uh, there's a reason why that hasn't been set up yet. There is yeah, a reason. They've been doing that. We used to use free conference back in the day. Day all the time like we switched to zoom like probably five years ago but they did it on free conference back then yeah right <laughs> they, and they, they hit free conference also anyway uh this is the reason i don't do it it's, it's because it costs money i could set up like a, a forwarder for like 20 bucks a month but in principle i'm just opposed to it i'm trying to find a, a cheaper way to do it now i i might break down I don't know. See, if, if it was everybody being charged one cent a minute, I, I would totally do it. But it's just a, just because of T-Mobile. Like, I don't know if I should spend $20 a month just, just for the T-Mobile people who use the call to listen line. Like, that starts to get to be like a narrow segment of the audience. And, and truthfully, T-Mobile sucks. You shouldn't have them anyway. Just trash T-Mobile. Trust me when I say they are crap and they are customer hostile. They always have been and they always will be. They are what I call fake customer friendly, where... They pick policies, like general policies, which are, which appear customer-friendly, but if the slightest thing is – if you need any kind of help that's slightly off their you – know, like slightly out of the box, then you're going to get nothing except for a big, fat middle finger. That's what's really going to happen. Okay, let's talk about Russia. 
I was plagued with some server problems, and I wasn't sure what was going on. So people started complaining that Poker Fraud Alert wasn't connecting sometimes, or was slow, or the radio page wasn't working. But then I'd go check, and everything would be fine. But then I experienced it myself. Two nights ago, in the middle of the night, the the site was mind-bogglingly slow. And I said, okay, there is a problem for sure. And it wasn't even at a time when system maintenance runs, when it slows down a bit. I think I have it set for like 3 or 4 a.m. Pacific right now to do uh, system maintenance every few days. But it was not that. It was like 1.30 a.m. Pacific, so I knew it wasn't that. So I knew it was a legit problem. Then I thought about the complaints recently, and I said, shit, something is happening. And whenever it's like this, I start to have a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach because it could be so many things. Sometimes it's easy to fix, and sometimes it's incredibly difficult to even identify what's wrong. One time when this was happening, I couldn't figure it out, and I spent hours and hours and hours and hours on it. And so I complained to the hosting company, and I said, I think there's something wrong with the hardware, because I can't figure this out. They said, okay, well, you know the way it goes. We can investigate it for $75 an hour. And I had a big fight with them about it, because I kept saying, look, I just... I'm telling you, this does not look like this is a problem with uh, anything on my end of what I can do. And they were insisting that it had to be, that everything's fine. And it took me weeks going back and forth to finally get them to agree to do some initial work for free with the agreement that if they prove it was on my end, that I'll pay. That was the final agreement we came to. So... We came to that agreement. They looked into it. I get the sheepish email. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. The hard drive isn't working very well. The hard drive's kind of flaky on your device. So we've replaced it. That should fix the problem. So I was right. I was right. They were. So, of course, they didn't get charged at 75 bucks an hour. But I was pissed that they uh, they put me through this runaround. Anyway, I, I didn't know if it would be something like that or if, it's, uh, if it is some kind of issue that's hard to figure out or if, if hackers got in again and then it's hard to figure out what they did and how to reverse it. Like, I eventually do, but it just takes a lot of time. So I, I always don't look forward to this. It's very unpleasant. And it can be very frustrating because you, you try various things. It doesn't make a dent in the problem. So I went to go look at it, and I was saddened to see that it seemed to be PokerFraudAlert.com. It seemed to be, because I have several websites running on the server. Most of them are smaller websites. A few of them are websites I'm, I'm helping other people run. Uh, nothing you guys would be interested in, trust me. But uh, none of them were the problem. The problem was Poker Fraud Alert, from what I could see. And it looked like uh, every PHP call on Poker Fraud Alert was just taking a really long time and taking up... Uh, a lot of the uh, the CPU, uh, like it was taking up like like ninety four percent of the CPU processing time. Which like, okay, that's not good. So there there is some problem with these PHP calls, which is pretty much what's running the entire forum through the, these various uh, PHP programs. The, the in the process of executing these. Uh, some of them were just bogging down and really, really slow and also taxing the server very, very uh, much. So I'm like, oh my God, what could this be? Like, This is the same form that's been running for a while. I haven't changed anything in a while. So why, why would it be taking up so much CPU time? Why would this be such a processing burden at this point when it wasn't before? 
So I'm thinking maybe something went corrupt. Was, I thought, oh my god, this is going to be so hard to figure out. Should I just wipe the whole thing and restore from the last backup? Like I, I bad thoughts were going through my head about where this was going to go because I couldn't leave Poker Fraudler performing in that way. In fact, radio wasn't even going to work well. I I was testing out radio, which was streaming the reruns, and even that wasn't working well. Like it was repeating, and I, I don't know if you guys tried to listen, but if you if you noticed the call to listen line wasn't working well, or if the Streaming reruns on the radio page weren't working well. That's why. Like the, the server itself that's putting this stuff out, it was really screwed up and really slow. So I thought, okay, well, I've got to fix this somehow. I have to do what I have to do to fix it. So I sat there for hours just making very little progress. And then finally, finally, a breakthrough. Yes, folks. It was Russia. Russian hackers had taken over a site, but not Poker Fraud Alert. They had taken over a forum that I started for a friend on the Poker Fraud Alert server, a forum that never got going. What happened was back in late May, this friend, who listens to the show, by the way, but it's someone I've known for over 10 years, this guy told me that... He wanted to set up a forum, and he was asking if, if he could use space on my server to do it. So I said, okay. I gave him space on the server, and I set it up for him. And I gave him all the admin stuff, and then I kind of forgot about it. Figured he's going to just run it himself. If he needs my help, he can let me know. Then I didn't hear from him, and I forgot about it. And for about a month, it just sat there unused, because he didn't give out the URL to anybody, to my knowledge, and it just sat there. Shouldn't have been a problem, but what happened was a month later, the Russians found it. I don't know how, but the Russians found it. And the Russians realized it was a forum that was clean and hadn't been used yet. And they could take over the entire forum with spam. And that's what they did. The Russians set up 1,783 accounts over the next month and a half and spammed it with tens of thousands of posts, all advertising tons of crap, mostly scams. Now, you may wonder, how was that affecting Poker Fraud Alert? Well, what happened was, in the last week or so, I guess maybe because they saw that I wasn't putting a stop to it, because I didn't know it was happening, the Russians decided to ramp things up a bit, and their spam accounts started just hammering the forum over and over and over again with posts and it kept refreshing for some reason they were like refreshing the forum too constantly so that their bots were constantly refreshing it and posting and it bogged down the server it was almost like a DDoS attack it wasn't an intentional DDoS attack but it kind of functioned like one in that it was using up all the server resources for them constantly refreshing the forum and constantly posting and this was all on a forum that had no legitimate posts. Like, it really had no legitimate posts. It had zero posts yet of any kind, except for spam. So of like the 1,780-something accounts there, there were like two accounts, me and the guy I gave it to, that were legit. The rest were all spam accounts from Russia. Then I thought, okay, but I'm not sure if this is it, because... I'm seeing the errors on the Poker Fraud Alert side. The Poker Fraud Alert side is where it's, it's bogging down. 
Well, I'm not exactly sure why it was presenting that way, but the best way I can describe it is like when you have a dental problem and then a different part of your mouth hurts than where the actual problem actually is. So you go to the dentist, you say, this tooth hurts me. The dentist takes the x-ray and says, actually, it's this tooth, uh, two teeth down. And you go, well, no, 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 it's not that one. They say, no, no, it actually is. It's just there's there's a lot of referred pain in dentistry where the, the place you feel the pain in your mouth is not always where the problem actually is. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. So that's uh, – similarly, I believe that's what happened here. I think the server was getting so overtaxed by what the Russians were doing to this other forum that is on the Poker Fraud Alert server that Poker Fraud Alert then started to perform very poorly. And then Poker Fraud Alert was struggling because – it usually has the resources to do what it does, and everything works fine. But with the Russians hammering that other site on the server, then Poker Frawler got bogged down, and that's where it appeared the issue was. So I cleaned that all up. Then I uh, temporarily shut down that forum. And then my friend said, oh, you know, I'm not even using it. Don't bother with it anyway. I'm not, I, I don't even want it anymore. So that's gone. And the Russians have given up. And there's no longer an issue on Poker Fraud Alert. The, I can tell not only by the web requests coming into Poker Fraud Alert, but I can also see by the CPU usage that it's way, way down from where it was when it was having the problems. And it's back to normal levels because I get used to over time what I can expect of what's known as the load average. I get used to what I can expect if the server is operating normally. And it, it spikes up every so often when the server needs to do uh, some scheduled tasks or maintenance, but under normal circumstances, I'm used to seeing a certain range in the load average and that it was way, way up during all these problems, which would make sense when the server is super slow. Usually you take a look at the load average and it's it's very high and then that is showing you there's a problem. Then you've got, you've got to go from there and figure out what it is. So the good news is I identified it. I was correct. And now everything is working. So if you're seeing any further problem as of this date, August 21st or later, please let me know if you're seeing connection issues or slowness or something with the radio not working because maybe the Russians will return. I can't promise they won't return, but I know they won't return to that forum. The reason they got away with it is because I wasn't looking at it. See, I I look at the other forums. I, I run three forums. Uh, the other one's Vegas Casino Talk, and the third one is about a TV show that you guys probably wouldn't care about. And by far the most active is Poker Fraud Alert, and then uh, Vegas Casino Talk is second, and then the uh, other one is just it gets occasional posts. But I watch those that they don't get inundated with spammers, and I have some anti-spam measures that I wrote already in place, which prevents them from really getting hammered anyway. But this was it's like a new forum I just slapped up and didn't pay attention to for almost three months. And the Russians found it and they ran wild. They ran wild. It's like they found an abandoned house and decided to have a spam party. And they party they did. I've had other problems with Russia in the past. You guys have heard other reports on the show of when the poker fraud alert server is having major trouble and it turns out that Russia is responsible. So this has happened once again. So this was not a direct hacking it was more of a, a spamming and kind of inadvertent DDoSing, but it, it's been taken care of. All right, moving on to our regular discussion topics. I want to talk about the recent news regarding the Stones case. Remember the breaking news we had last week, the Poker Fraud Alert exclusive about the Stones settlement offer 
quickly refresh, I'm not going to rehash everything I said last week, but to quickly refresh what's going on here, the Stones Gambling Hall, which is the place in Sacramento, the poker room where the Mike Possel cheating scandal took place, they were facing a lawsuit from 88 players who were suing together. Not a class action lawsuit, but 88 players suing together in one case. And they were being represented by poker attorney Mac Verstandig. Uh, Mac and those 88 players, they filed suit against both Stones and Mike Possel. The Possel case was dismissed, and the Stones case, which also uh, involves employee Justin Caradus, but does not involve Mike Possel other than just naming him as the cheater, that case had not been dismissed yet. Now, it was looking like Stones had the better chance to win, based upon California law. Not even based upon anything that Mac did. See, I'm not going to criticize Mac's work. He, he, I really think Mac was drawing dead here. And sometimes you can do brilliant legal work, but if the state law doesn't support what you're attempting to do, even if you're morally in the right, then you're going to lose. And I, I've run into that before myself. So sometimes just the law isn't on your side, even though it should be. Sometimes the law is immature, as it is in, in California re- related to gambling, as I've mentioned before about other topics as well. So that's apparently what was going on here. I think this was just a very difficult case to win, if not impossible. And I think that Mac came to realize this, as did Stones. But as I mentioned last week, Stones had reasons to settle anyway. One is to stop the publicity of this. Two is to prevent the discovery process from unearthing unflattering things about the way they operated and uh, some things that aren't public yet or not that public yet. Like there's a lot of questions that could be asked of them during discovery that could make them look very bad. And then I had thought it wasn't so much about the legal expense, but an attorney who listens to this show messaged me and said, I'm probably not correct on that one. He said, I'm probably correct about the fact that publicity has something to do with it, but that the whole defense of this suit could be very, very expensive for Stones, and they may have realized that as well. So he's probably right. It probably also was that this could have gotten very expensive and that Mac seemed like he was going to take this all the way. So Mac was working on contingency. It wasn't going to cost the plaintiffs anything. And on the other hand, Stones has to pay per hour to defend it, and the cost could have added up big time, like a lot of money. So that probably was a big factor as well. So Stones agreed to settle, and that was already out in poker media. But the part that I put out that has not been in poker media and that has gotten some attention since I put this out last week is that they are offering all of these people, all these 88 plaintiffs, only a nominal sum of money. Someone texted me, oh, so are you saying it's like between 10000 and 100000 I said, no, <laughs> that's that's not a nominal sum of money. Maybe this guy's rich. Maybe to him that's a nominal sum of money. But uh, no, that's not a nominal sum of money. Uh, when I say a nominal sum of money, I mean a nominal sum of money. Now, Rounder Life, remember them? Remember Rounder Life that has been obsessed with defending Postle because he used to work with them? He used to be part of that. Rounder Life, Rounder Magazine. Uh, they have been super pro Postle while pretending to be neutral, which is a joke. They listened last week, and Rounder Life loved my segment for some reason. As did uh, Postle Defender, 
I, I don't know her name, but that Asian grandma who also loves to defend him. I don't know why she defends him. I know why Rounder Life does, because he used to work for them and own part of it, I think. But the Asian grandma, I don't understand what her motivation is, but she also loves to post things in Postle's favor and to troll Veronica and all that. She's, she's not so mean. She's just kind of like, I don't know, she gets kind of annoying with her pro-Postle stuff. I'm going to ask her again to come on the show, though. She, she agreed to come on the show and then stalled and never did and blames it on me. I'm going to try to ask her again. The Asian grandma, by the way, is my age. She's not like some, she's not like a, some super old Asian woman. She's like an Asian grandma who's 48. But anyway, uh, the two of them liked that segment. And I'm not sure why, because I was not like pro-possible at all in the segment. Nor was I anti-plaintiffs, nor was I anti-Mac. Like, I, I wasn't. But for some reason, they loved this and kept promoting it. So whatever. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sure Postle heard it, too. So I'm sure Postle's probably listening again. So hi, Mike Postle. You're welcome to come on the show at any time. I'd love to have you on here. I doubt you'll ever come on, but I'd love to have you on here. The settlement was uh, the offer, which was accepted in principle. And when I say in principle, it's because Mac needs time to discuss this with all 88 plaintiffs and have each one decide individually if they want to accept it or not accept it. And each one can make an independent decision. So some can take it and some can't. But it uh, it was a nominal sum of money offered. Rounder Life said it was probably dozens of dollars. No, it wasn't dozens of dollars. I thought I made that clear. I said it's not like five dollars. Well, when I say it's not like five, I also mean it's not like thirty. It's just a nominal sum of money. That's all I'll say. In return, they have to agree to non disparagement. They have to sign a non-disparagement agreement where they can't bash Stones or Justin Kuretis ever again. Possible they can bash, but not Stones or Justin Kuretis if they accept that money, which, as I said, is not very much. So what I said last week, and Rounder Life also took me out of context when quoting me, but as I said last week, it is fine to take that offer if you are convinced you're never going to publicly bash Stones or Justin Kuretis ever again. If you've already decided you've moved past it, you're never going to say anything about social media about it on social media. You're never going to speak publicly about it if asked. If you've just decided you are done with any kind of public speech about the matter, then fine, take the money because it's free money for you if you're not going to do it anyway. But if you do think that you might want to speak about this in the future, you probably shouldn't take it because you're basically selling your silence for a very low amount of money. So it's one of these things, if someone wants to pay you to speak about some, to not speak about something you weren't going to speak about anyway, then fine, take the money. If it's going to quiet you down when you were going to speak otherwise, then it's not a good idea to take a token sum of money. That's my advice. That's my uh, non-attorney advice to you. That's my common sense advice to you if you are one of the 88 plaintiffs in this case. So it depends on your personal circumstance. Also, if you desperately need the money, then take it. But I, I have to imagine that the amount of money here is not something that people are going to really need. As a, It's not tiny, but it's it's nominal. So, that was last week. And I had wondered, after I did the segment, I was wondering, like, is, is Mac going to message me? Is he going to be pissed off? I, I didn't do anything, like, legally wrong. And I didn't violate any kind of trust anyone had in me. It's not like I promised Mac I'm never going to divulge details I find out. It's not like I have come upon this information illegally. It's not that it's any kind of violation for me as an unrelated third party to the case to state things that I was told and that I was shown. However, they didn't make this stuff public for a reason, and that's why I chose to reveal some of it, but not all of it. But I did feel like, hmm, 
like I, I don't want to I don't want to be a big factor in just making people decide or not decide to take it. I, I want you guys to know, but I I don't want to have that type of an impact on the case. And after I did that segment, while I was proud of bringing an exclusive story that a lot of you were interested in, I was a little bit I don't know if I should put it this way, but I felt a little guilty for putting things out that hadn't been made public. Again, not that I did anything wrong, but just I thought maybe I was uh, poking my head in a bit too much. Well, now I don't feel guilty anymore. Why? Because Veronica came out and talked about it publicly anyway. Though she talked about it from a different angle. So she didn't repeat the stuff I said. She said different stuff about it, but she freely spoke about it. And this was on a public podcast. It was, again, on that uh, one that runs on Run It Once with Jamie Kerstetter and Marley Cordero. So Veronica appeared on there. This is a video show. It's not an audio show. And Veronica put it out there. She put out new things I did not know. So I'm going to play you what Veronica had to say about it. And once I heard everything Veronica had to say, even though it was different than what I said, it didn't contradict what I said. It was just new and different details. I was like, okay, Veronica's going to give this much, and she was a major part of the case. She was the main part of the case. She was, like, to me, kind of like the main plaintiff. She, in fact, it was Veronica Brill et al. suing Stones. So if she's putting this stuff out, then I definitely don't feel bad about what I put out, especially because I didn't put out an amount of money. I just said a nominal sum of money, and I left you guys to guess that. And maybe one day it'll come out. Like, if, if others... If somebody else puts this out there of, of the amount, then I'll verify it. Not if you guess, but like if someone in the know puts it out. Like let's say one of the plaintiffs posts, okay, well, it was this amount of money that we're being offered. Okay, then then I will uh, publicize that too because at that point, someone has gone public with it already. I just – I don't want to be the one to do that. So I, I put out what I did. We will see where this goes. So, okay, I'm going to play you the Veronica appearance on that Run It Once show – which is called The Rake, which I really think needs a better name. Not that we have a super creative name here, Poker Fraud Alert Radio, but I don't know, The Rake just seems so generic. I, I never remember it. I, I just remember it's the Run It Once show. I will give them credit that they, they are getting relevant topics on the show and relevant people on the show because in the last few months, I have been playing clips of this show fairly often where before I uh, wasn't aware it existed. It's not a super old show. It's only been on 36 weeks, but at the beginning, I was never playing it. I didn't even know it existed. Now I'm playing it a lot, so obviously they're doing something right because they're getting my interest in various topics, and then I share some of that on here. So from that standpoint, good job. But I'm going to play you the, a clip starting from 2820 for a few minutes of Veronica talking about the Stone's settlement offer. I will stop every so often to... Make my commentary. Trader Risky, are you with me here too? I am. Okay. So let's go. Is this live right now? That's Veronica. I'm curious. Nope. So I don't know when this is. Release it in a couple of days. Yeah. I don't know if this should go out, but we will get an email soon, Alicia. If not, we, I don't know if we got it this morning, but this is how mafia they are. This is how much they blame me. They want to settle with all of us except for me. Oh, no. I'm not kidding. What, you what, are shitting me. On what ground? They want us to not appeal, and they're offering comps or whatever money to everyone but me. Like they a will free not, drink? 
But what's their grounds? Are you like, what? Because I am a villain. I honestly, at this point, I do not believe that Art, the general manager, actually thinks there was cheating going on. All right, let me stop it right there. A lot to already process here in that, like, one minute I played you. Okay, so a few things we learned already. Veronica just went out with it real fast. Interesting thing how she said, is this live? They're like, uh, no. (laughs) Yeah, see, you guys have the advantage of just not being live. This is a live show. I do edit it afterwards, but I edit relatively little. And when I say relatively little, it takes me a while because it's like an eight-hour show. So any going through a show and editing little things will take time. But you're hearing mostly the same show. So I don't have the advantage of uh, something which isn't live because we, we always broadcast live. And then afterwards, I will sometimes edit out what just didn't sound good or had issues or whatever or dead air. But for the most part, you hear it as it is live. But anyway, that's not the point I was trying to make. Veronica said, this is very interesting, Veronica said that the settlement offer that I mentioned last week was not offered to her. Uh-oh. I didn't know that. I didn't know that till she said it. I had thought this was open to every plaintiff in that case, of which she was the main plaintiff. But they offered it to everyone but her. See, I was not told that. I believe her. But I wasn't told that. So that shows you how much they despise her. They're like, we'll settle with everyone except for her. And I think, well, we'll get to the reason for this shortly. But that's really interesting. And now she's going on to say that they, she believes the owner actually now believes that there was not actually cheating there. And that's why the guy's pissed at her. They Basically, the owner thinks that she falsely accused them. She mentioned comps. And that has confused people because people watch this like, oh, wow, the settlement is for comps. So when you hear comps, of course, you think about free stuff at a casino. Like I'm getting comps at Caesars. Well, you picture that means I'm getting a free hotel room or I'm getting some free food. Maybe I'm getting some free play. That, that's what comps probably sound like to you. And to me, that's what they sound like. I think that Veronica misused that term. I didn't talk to her about it. But I was not told about any comps, and that doesn't make any sense. Like nobody, none of these plaintiffs are, are likely to go back to stones, so they're not going to want comps. It's not that they're getting X amount of dollars at their restaurant. It's if they're just getting that money from from what I was told. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe the person who gave me this information didn't have the full story. But I was told they're getting U.S. dollars, not comps to use at stones. So I think maybe comps, she's trying to say compensation. So unless I'm told that I was wrong, I'm going to assume that she kind of misused the word comps. But whatever, that's a small nitpick. Let's go on. Just wanted to clarify that because people were not understanding what comps meant. Yeah, Veronica, the one thing I'll say is like probably don't um, discuss the terms. If other people told you settlement terms, just don't discuss them on here because I think we'll have to take them out. But okay. Not being offered a settlement, I feel like that's just a fact, and that's probably fine. I'll ask Mac after this, but wow, that's shitty. That's interesting. She has to consult with Mac. I'm talking about Jamie. She said, we'll have to take them out if you were told not to say. Remember, this is not live, so whatever Veronica says may not make it onto the show. And she said she's going to have to run it by Mac. Now, apparently Mac didn't have an issue with what I'm playing right now, or it wouldn't be played. I would not have access to it. 
because <laughs> I'm playing the same YouTube video that you'll see. But that's interesting that they have to go to Mac to ask. I don't know why. Like, I don't know if he has some kind of uh, association with his show. I, I hadn't thought he did. Or may, maybe uh, Jamie Kerstetter is just good friends with him and just doesn't want to piss him off. Uh, I like Mac. Uh, we, we once did a little uh, fake arbitration together involving Alan Kessler and some other – I forgot who it was. Jason which, – which, which, one of the Jasons in poker. I forgot who it was now. But uh, they, they had some argument about uh, what it was considered an overlay – and Mac and I wrote a legal opinion together, even though I'm not an attorney. And so we had fun with that. And uh, that's the first time I really got to go back and forth with him on a personal level. And then we got along very well. So I, I definitely have no issue with him. But at the same time, I'm not asking for permission for things. Like, I'm just, if I've got something I want to say, I'm going to say it. And I'll use my best judgment of what I should and shouldn't say. That's why I, I didn't reveal everything, is out of respect for him and the plaintiffs. But at the same time, I didn't go to him and say, hey, Mac, are you okay with me saying this? Because, you know, he's, we, we don't have that kind of relationship. We get along, and I, I think he likes me generally, and I like him. But I'm not going to ask his permission to put out things about the case. I'm just going to use my common sense and say, okay, I think this is something that it'll be okay to put out in public, and this probably isn't. And I didn't put out the exact settlement terms either. I put out probably more than would have been allowed on this show over in uh, The Rake, but I used my common sense. And you know what? I'm always open to people coming to me and saying, hey, can you edit that or can you erase that or can you take it down because it'll do such and such harm? So if Mac came to me and said, hey, can you take this down for this reason? I'm not saying I'll just do it, but I, I'll be open to changing some things or removing some things if, if I agree that it's probably the right thing to do. And I've had that with a forum occasionally. Someone will message me, hey, I'm trying to get a job and someone has associated my real name with my name on the Poker Fraud Alert forum. So, you know, what can we do about this? And then I'll say, okay, well, show me some posts you've made that you think could be a problem for you. And then I'll, you know, if the posts are years old, I'll remove them or I'll edit out the part that the person's embarrassed about. Or they got, I, I don't want Poker Fraud Alert to ever harm people in real life unless they're scammers or unless they deserve it for some other reason. But I, other than that... I, I try not to do any harm to anybody, even unintentional. And if they come to me and want my help uh, with something, then I, I, I try to give it within reason. But at the same time, I don't consult people. Like, can I say this? <laughs> so that's interesting. But it might just be because, the, because they're friends. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. They, they honestly, I think that it seems, from my perspective, from it's hard for me to... Uh, quantify or to describe a like a two year experience of doing the live stream there and the the different dynamics between different people and how art trusted Justin it, like a one hundred percent. If I, I remember going to art once and I felt like Justin treated me unfairly, Justin for the most part did treat me fairly. He was really nice to work with for the most part. I can't say he was like this evil villain. He wasn't. That's interesting, too. By the way, Art is the big boss there. But she's talking about Justin, and you have to give Veronica credit. She is being honest to the point where she's saying, look, I, I could say that Justin is this horrible, evil monster. I'm not even going to say that. Most of my interactions with him, she's saying, were good, and he was respectful. And you know what? I had interactions with Justin, not about this. I, I played on the stream once at uh, Stones, if you remember from back in 
September 2017, and Justin was very nice, and I got along with him very well. And it was it saddened me to see uh, that he was wrapped up in all of this. Now, I didn't let my one good experience with him color how I felt about the whole situation, but uh, I do sometimes have a little hard time rectifying in my mind the guy I dealt with then is the guy who these accusations are about, but then again, I barely knew him, so I'm not shocked. I'm just saying it's just kind of weird when you have a nice experience with someone and you, you think good things about them and then you hear something like this. But uh, anyway, she's basically saying the same thing, but she has a lot more experience with him than I do. So she's saying that most of her experiences there with Justin were positive, but this one experience when she tried to report possible to him was surprisingly negative. But um, Art trusted him. It didn't matter what I said. I could have been like, he murdered a baby last night. He would have been like, well, he told me he didn't, so I'm not going to say anything or do anything. Mm-hmm. So it it was this like really, really mafia type of connection. They were like considered family. Like Justin used to say, like, none of my guys in this booth would ever be involved in, in anything bad. You know, I trust them no matter what. And it's like, no, that's not the way things work. We have to have oversight. We have to be accountable to requirements or to our customers. And so I, I think still to this day, from what I've heard, because people still text me a lot of um, interactions that they've had with this, you know, among people who are involved in this. And I've heard that Art, I know Justin is still an employee, and I've heard Art is considering keeping him because he is believing Justin in that Justin had no involvement if there was cheating. Wow. If that's true, that's a really, really bad decision. Now, I don't know for sure whether Justin had something to do with this or not. I was having this discussion with somebody else. I think I mentioned this last week. And this person I was discussing it with told me that they were about 50-50 on whether Justin was involved in the cheating. I said, I'm not 100% believing that, but I'm much more than 50% on the side that he did it. Because it just seemed like... uh, it would be a very hard thing to pull off without his knowledge, especially with people starting to express suspicion to Justin about this and for him to do so little as far as investigating. It just wouldn't have made any sense. Justin didn't seem like an idiot. He didn't seem like a moron. It would be hard for me to believe that this gets brought to him and then just somehow he doesn't bother to look at it and, and, and Possel continues with the same behavior and continues cheating and they don't catch him. That, to me, does not seem likely. And also, Justin was the one in charge. Like the, Whenever something like this happens in a relatively small operation, it's really hard to believe that the person actively in charge had no idea, especially something that needed multiple participants to work in all likelihood. I don't think that Possel hacked the stream himself. I'm pretty sure he had at least one insider, probably more than one insider, that was helping him there. And I think it's likely that Justin knew. But even if Justin didn't know, this still occurred on his watch. Justin either was involved or was incredibly negligent in not stopping it. Once Veronica brought this to him in March of 2019, that should have been it. The cheating should have stopped either because they caught Possible. The smartest thing to do at that point is for Justin to say nothing, act like everything's the same, watch Possible like a friggin' hawk. This is if he's not involved, of course and then have security ready to pounce the second you see Possel doing that crap he was on the stream. So you watch Possel. If he's acting any differently than the rest of the poker players at the table, 
then you have security pounce on him. So in the case of the way Possible is behaving, you have security watch him. Again, you don't put any restrictions on the game. You, you run the game as normal. From the very beginning, you watch him, and the second that he has a tough decision and is staring down at his crotch where his phone happens to be located, and he's not looking at the player, the second that happens, Justin should give a signal to security to rush over there, to grab him, to grab his phone, and then to investigate what's going on. Catch him red-handed, and then call the police if it does appear he's cheating, and then also have whoever is helping him in the booth get arrested as well, if you can identify who's doing that. So... That could have been the end of it, and uh, it could be a much different story. If Veronica had, well, she did. She reported it correctly. And then if Justin had, from that point, jumped into action as any manager should have, then Postle should have been arrested, as should any accomplice, and we'd have a much different story, basically, that uh, Veronica helped catch a cheater, they caught him in the act, and that's that. And they could have even put, like, cameras under the table or something. Yeah, they but... They could have he, caught him red-handed, you know? Yeah, that's true. They could have, they could have tried to... They could have put uh, secret cameras lower down that could have been focusing on Postle so it doesn't... You don't count on just grabbing his phone from him. Yeah, there's a, a number of things they could have done. But... And ju- did they ever look at... Trump? Sorry to cut you off. But, you know, I wonder if any cameras had been able to see that prior... If somebody looked way back and maybe they were changed, that would be interesting. Yeah, or, or they were lost on purpose. Yeah, I don't believe that the upper management knew this was going on, but either Justin was in on it, which I think is more likely, or he was so terrible at his job that this is reported to him, and he not only didn't catch anyone, he let it continue. So if he didn't know, he was the biggest moron ever. And he shouldn't be managing it anyway, especially because of the optics. If this hadn't blown up, if this hadn't become a big thing, if this hadn't been a huge story in poker, and they wanted to just have him continue figuring that uh, barely anyone's going to know about this, that's one thing. But here, Justin Kouradis is the public face of stones in this scandal. When you think of who's involved in the Postle scandal, of course, Mike Postle's number one. But then, really, number two, as far as the villains, is Justin Kouradis. Like, who else is there? Yeah, there's some tech guys that have been, their names have been thrown around. Most people don't know them. But really, if you think the average poker player who knows of this scandal, they know of Mike Postle, and then the people who've who've been following it somewhat also know about Justin Kouradis. So how do you bring back the number two most named and important figure in this whole scandal as far as uh, the potential villains? How do you bring them back, even if you think they're innocent? Even if you think that uh, Justin just was... This just happened under his nose, and he had no idea. He was still incompetent. I mean, there's no way. He was either incompetent or he was a criminal. It's got to be one of these two. I think it's more likely he was a criminal, but but if he wasn't, then he was incompetent. There's There's no way around this one. Because when that is brought to you, it's very simple to put an end to it. The fact that it continued for six more months is insane. It's insane. So if now this is just Veronica saying they're going to bring him back. Maybe maybe she heard wrong. I don't think she's lying, but maybe someone told her this and wasn't accurate. But so I'm not going to say that they are bringing him back. But if they are considering it, even if they think he's innocent, that is an incredibly dumb move. But we'll see if it happens. And um, that it's all just a huge misunderstanding. And I am this villain who they have this storyline. 
that I was using this to gain popularity. If that's not a 12-year-old making up a fucking uh, show plot, I don't know what that is. What benefit did I receive from this? I practically got death threats the first weekend that I went live with this, that I went public with this, and it's just been hell ever since. And now this guy's off and trolling the shit out of me. People sending me messages like, I'm actually worried about you. Like, is he going to do anything? He literally threatened you on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, he's been doing that shit the whole time. But I, I just like the plot that they have told themselves as to, you know, why I'm doing this and actually believing Justin and and uh, probably keeping him after this. I don't know if it would be good for them to keep him, but... Yeah, this is the saddest part of the whole thing, honestly. Like, if I think of what bothers me most about this whole story, yeah, the cheating's very bad. Yeah, it sucks that people lost a lot of money. The thing that just makes me angriest when I think about this is the way Veronica's been treated. Because she was the hero in the story. I mentioned this last week, but she's saying it here. I'm going to say it again. It's such BS. She was not trying to do this to get popular or to get better known in poker or to gain any kind of job. It's so ridiculous. She didn't do this for herself. She did this out of concern. It's so obvious. You can see how sincere she is. There's no conspiracy. There's no secret uh, plan to screw Mike Possel so Veronica could elevate her status in poker. It's such nonsense. She did this at great personal and reputational risk. She also, as she mentioned, risked that there would be some kind of retaliation against her by these people, especially Postle himself. Indeed, she has been the subject of a lot of uh, online harassment, and I've seen it. I've seen tons of it. And this is a result of doing the right thing. She would be in a different spot. She wouldn't be trolled and harassed all the time by Mike Postle and his friends if she had kept quiet. If she had kept quiet like everybody else did. She wasn't the only one suspecting it. A lot of people suspected it. There were a lot of people that played there regularly, even some of the other commentators that suspected it and said, nah, we're not going to go public. She's the only one who did. She is the only one who did, and she's taken the beating for it. And now Stones hates her, apparently. She's she's really baffled by that. Of course, Postle hates her. That's to be expected. But Stones, she believes that Stones really hates her, which if they didn't offer her that same settlement they offered everybody else, then yeah, they do. Especially because that settlement involves Stones agreeing not to sue them. So it almost seems like Stones wants to reserve the right to sue Veronica for uh, for slander and for libel. Which is crazy. I, I can't see how that case would ever win. But it looks like they want that option. Was she the only woman, Trap? No, there were there were other women involved, but they just didn't call it out. I mean, there, there, were, uh, there were people of both genders who knew. She was the only, she was the one who she was the one and only person who called it out, and uh, uh, it's. I don't think this is about her gender. I just think this is uh, she's being blamed for this coming out when coming out with this was correct. Coming out with this was brave. Then why wouldn't they be just as aggressive against Chicago Joey and Doug Polk and everybody else? You know all these others. That basically confirm what she's. They should be just as mad. Well, I'll tell you why them. they're not. They're they're not thrilled with them. But these guys are are poker media figures who are just reporting on a big story. They they're not thrilled it happened, but they're seeing it like Veronica brought out lies about them. Well, Postle knows it's not lies. He knows what he did. But Postle's just mad the whole thing got ruined. 
Stones, she's saying she believes that they legitimately think that this wasn't happening and that Veronica brought this out just to elevate herself and her own reputation and that she caused all this hassle and expense for them just uh, because uh, she wanted to do this, that she wanted to tell these lies. And that's why they're so pissed. That's what she thinks. We we don't know because they haven't commented on how they feel about her. But that is her theory. That's what she's saying here. So they see her as the source of this whole thing. They All the people involved on the other side, I'm talking about Stone, I'm talking about Apostle, they see Veronica as the person who is at fault for all their problems. And everybody else who ran with it from that point afterwards, like like Polk and like, uh, like Joey Ingram, uh, that they were just media who were jumping on a big story that Veronica brought out there. So that's why they're not as mad at them. And, and also that Veronica was working with them. It was, uh, Joey Ingram and Doug Polk were not working with them. So that's, uh, that's why they're so furious at her. You might wonder, guys, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, you might wonder why last year I was not bigger in pushing this. Because, in fact, I noticed this before Joey and Doug Polk did. When Veronica was tweeting about this for the first few days, I saw it and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Why does nobody care about this? But there's a reason why I didn't jump on it, why you didn't hear it on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, in fact, for like a week and a half. And that was very bad timing. I was sick. Not with the coronavirus. That didn't exist yet. But I was sick. I had a bad cold. And when this was all breaking, I'm like, no, I, I so badly want to get involved here, and I can't. And I, I finally forced myself to do like a solo short episode. I think I did two short episodes, short by this show's standards, about the Apostle situation, already a good way into it. I wanted to jump on it right at the beginning. I just was too sick. That was too bad. Very bad timing. Otherwise, I probably would have been a third person. I didn't have as big of a platform as far as audience size like Polk or Ingram do, do but you know, I, I definitely would have been a lot more aggressive with it myself at the beginning if I were healthy, but I was not. Anyway, that's a little side note. Let's go on. I, it's just like all, it's all, I just don't understand it. Hello, friends, and welcome. Hello, friends, and welcome to another commercial that they stick at inopportune time. This is I hate about this show. Look, I understand this is a run-at-once show. I know they're sponsoring it. I know it's on their channel. I understand that, and that's fine. And you guys can run ads for for your poker site. Totally fine. Totally makes sense. I have no issue with that. But you guys, you'll, like, throw it in the middle of a sentence, and it's it's jarring. Honestly, I'm watching, and it's like, hello, friends. Like, no, I, can we can we cut this better? Can we put this, like, between segments? Like, how often do TV shows do this? You're watching a TV show. They pick a moment that's between scenes, often, like, a, after a dramatic scene, so you want to see what happens next, so you stick around. But they'll they'll pick a natural moment to stop. And here they're not doing that. <laughs> it really is like they have a computer randomly pick the minute and second to drop this commercial and it just falls in there. Let's get back to the pod. Let's get back to it. So I have a, I have a question for you, Veronica. You, we can't change what happened in the past. That's Alicia Daniels, the friend of Veronica's who played on the stream a lot. It can only inform the decisions we make in the future. How do you think they should move forward? You've got friends who apparently are still going in to the card room there. Um, right. And I think they're opening again this week. I, I know that Stones did one good thing is they played the, they paid their employees this entire time during the COVID lockdown. So that was good. 
Um, how do I think they should move forward? Jeez, I, I can't say because I feel like this has been a mafia organization the way they handle everything. I would have been accountable. I would have been like, I want everyone safe. I want to make sure that when you bring your money, excuse me, to stones, that it's not, we're not going to have someone steal it from you. Can they still do that? Can they still do that? Can they do it about faith? I don't think they have any intention to please me in this process. Not to please you. But I I don't think that, I don't think they're going to do it. They would have to show that they were, that there was something going on in order to have accountability. They don't need to have accountability because they're in deny, 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 deny. Well, that's, that's not really true for the future. The, the reason in the future it's not going to be an issue there is that they're not going to have a live stream. <laughs> I don't think that's coming back because there's, there's no upside to having that. They, they tried to have it while the scandal was going on in the beginning. They even tried to have, uh, Mike Possel's brother on there who played as Possel, which was really, really obnoxious to do. Like that was really a big F you to everybody you, you guys are forgetting maybe how arrogant stones was at the beginning of this whole thing that they were tweeting out that these allegations are, are not true they're insane that they, this has already been investigated when it really hadn't been and then they put on the apostles brother playing as possible i mean it's just really a big troll to the community so the community responded in kind and every stream they tried to have after the scandal broke the chat room was just filled with trolls bashing them, bashing Possible, just just ripping on the stream, just ripping on everything. And they realized it became a net negative for them. They realized that uh, the stream, was, which was once such a positive for Stones, became a vulnerability, that they were never going to get rid of the trolls. It was just going to be troll, 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 which it should have been. That's a, That was the correct response from the community. I'm, I'm proud of the community for going there and trolling them. But uh, I think they know if they started this again, it would just be all trolls all the time. And they, but like, it, I, I think they've realized that that ship has sailed. So I don't think we have to worry about cheating on the stone stream again because there's not going to be a stone stream. It's just going to be a regular card room spreading games. And I mean, yeah, there could be other forms of cheating, but the lightning struck once so hard there. And as I said, I don't think that upper management wanted that. I don't think upper management approved of any cheating or knew of any cheating. So. I wouldn't be afraid to play at Stones. I just wouldn't because I don't think they deserve my business. But I wouldn't be afraid of being cheated there. I wouldn't want to play on their live stream for that reason. I'd be afraid of being cheated. But would I want to play uh, – would I be willing to play there from a standpoint of not getting ripped off in a regular game? Yeah. Would I be willing to play from the standpoint of uh, wanting to give the business? No. So that's why I'm never going back there. But – uh yeah, had they handled it differently, then I, I would consider going back there. But I, of course, it's nowhere near me, so I probably wouldn't anyway. So that question wasn't a very good one for Alicia. Like, since there isn't going to be a stream going forward, to my knowledge, I don't see why they're discussing this. And then Veronica's kind of answering a different question, that there's, like, no accountability. They won't admit anything happened, which that part's true. They haven't admitted anything happened, so they can't say what they're going to do differently in the future if they think everything was fine. If they think they've done nothing wrong and their security was great, then what do you change? It's <laughs> a good question. Like, okay, how should we feel better about playing at Stones now? Uh, well, we, we've improved things. Okay, then what were you doing wrong before? What did you improve over? Uh, nothing. No, we were great before. <laughs> so it's it, like they can't admit they've improved anything unless they're admitting there was something before that was deficient. Of course, they can claim that it was good before and now they're making it great, the security. That's probably the answer they'd give. But as I said, I don't think there's going to be a stream, so it's kind of a non-question. 
And they would have been yeah. in so such a better spot. So they don't necessarily have to say that something happened. Um, they do, I however, just... have to say <laughs> Now you may be wondering what I'm laughing about. Nothing that these women were saying was funny. Okay, <laughs> I think the show needs a better editor. I don't know who edits this, but they they switched. You got to go look at this. This is about the 35 minute mark. Start around the 35 minute mark. Okay, you got to go watch this. It's it's as as uh, Veronica and Alicia are going back and forth about this. It it jumps, I think, because it made a little bit of noise on her end, kind of like a Zoom call does. I don't know what platform they're using. Maybe it is Zoom. But (laughs) it shows uh, Marley blowing her nose. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) You see them arguing back and forth, and then you see Marley there, and she's got a tissue in her dashboard. (laughs) This is why I don't do a video show. I, I've blown my nose during this show, in fact. I, while I was playing one of these clips, I hit the mute button, and I blew my nose. And you didn't know that because you can't see me. This is the problem with a video show. But if you have a video show and it's not live, this is why you need an editor to edit out Marley blowing her nose. <laughs> have to say that something could have happened, that the possibility was there. And think, given the I possibility... How do we make sure that it can't happen or if something untowards were even another opportunity arose, how would we handle that? Do they have that opportunity? I think that's really smart, Alicia. I think that's a way to um, avoid admitting uh, admitting wrongdoing and, and like the legal ramifications of that and still fixing the potential problem. Like you just say, hey, you've exposed the the fact that this could happen and we're not comfortable with that as a casino. We want to have a fair game and we're going to change all these different things or maybe take the live stream out indefinitely. Yeah, that's mostly not a good take. Uh, First of all, as I said, the live stream's not likely coming back. She mentioned that at the end, but it's it's not likely coming back. And and second, they're never going to say we want to provide a fair game, we're going to change things. That implies it was an unfair game before. The only thing they could say without making themselves seem awful is saying we had good security before, we're confident that there is no cheating, but just to make you feel extra good, we're going to have industry-leading, super-tight security beyond what anyone has. We're, we're really going to go all out with security from this point forward just to uh, make everyone feel assured that it's safe here. But no one would believe that. Like I, I can't see anyone trusting the live stream ever again there, and I can't see that ever having marketing value for them. So I don't know why they're even discussing this, and and the suggestions that Jamie is giving, they wouldn't be utilized because it would imply that they allowed cheating there. I see kind of what she's going for, but this is kind of a pointless discussion, to be honest. Um, That's like one way to do it. Yeah, they took the live stream out. How much does that suck? Like this is something that um, it actually like affects all of us. Like uh, Alicia, you loved playing in the game. Veronica, like that was your like, foray into commentary. As someone with a real job, it's really cool to be able to do some commentary and like experience that. Um, Marley and I have like commentated and played a ton of these live games. Sometimes they're like the juiciest games you get invited to because like celebrities or someone wants to play in it. Um, the fact that this, this kind of thing can happen 
it can close that live stream down, something everyone enjoyed. Um, other smaller casinos have to think about this, like the potential ramifications of having some dumbass cheating going on um, or just being exposed, like having their live stream exposed is potentially unsafe. And some of them are going to decide that, you know, the amount of attention or money they can make and rake from these games is not worth it and they're going to shut it down. And that takes opportunities away from so many people. I think right. that besides you getting personally attacked, Veronica, I think that's the saddest part for the poker community of all of this. Yeah, I know that Matrix was considering, Matrix is out here in San, San Jose, they were considering having a live stream. They actually reached out to me before all of this and they wanted to just talk about the logistics of how Stones functions. And now it's like, done. They're not doing it. They don't even want to risk it. It probably isn't um, profitable to have a live stream, even though I know what Justin told me, it increased their revenue by like 10%, but I don't know if it was in the long term worth it. Especially- okay, so uh, that is an interesting discussion topic about did this harm live streams for good? Now, Live at the Bike, they would still be going if it wasn't for the coronavirus, but they've been around for a long time. But let's talk about new live streams that aren't known and trusted like Live at the Bike. Would it be worth it for them to start one since everyone will be constantly on edge that the next Mike Possible thing is happening. Every time someone makes a good play or a good bluff catch, is it possible that they're the next Possible? Will people feel comfortable playing on those streams? And is it possible that these card rooms are going to say it's not worth it? They don't want to even deal with the potential allegations. They don't want to deal with a potential headache. They don't even want to risk that... uh, there might be something like this occurring at some point on their stream. Not even just that they'll be falsely accused, but that maybe it'll really happen. Maybe that there really will be cheating by bad employees and some uh, poker player who's in cahoots with them, and that they're going to have to face the ramifications of that, like Stones is to some degree. So that a lot of them are probably saying, look, this isn't worth it. Yeah. I believe it. I believe that this Matrix, which I haven't heard of before, I believe they probably lost interest in this after the Possible scandal. I think that uh, this could really set back the live stream thing for a long time. That's that one that's across the street from Bay 101, Dra. You know, okay. that kind of tall one that's across the double tree. I haven't been over where Bay 101 is for a long time, but okay. Uh, anyway, it's... It used to be, it used to be a place in, like... Uh, I used to play there actually in the nineties. It was like off Stevens Creek. It was called, um, fuck, I forgot what it was called. Anyway, yeah, somebody probably remembers, maybe put it in the chat, but it was an old beat down shit house. And then it was like Artichoke Joe's, that one, and then Bay 101 opened and that was the best. And then that one, sh- the other one shut down and the Matrix opened. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I didn't know it was in San Jose area, but that yeah, makes sense. But anyway, I think they have a good point there that this did set back live streams and that that's an unfortunate result of this whole thing. So that's, that's really too bad. And I do disagree with one thing that Veronica said that uh, it isn't that much benefit to them. It may not be anymore, but at the time this was a huge benefit to stones. I don't know what their numbers were. I don't know if the 10% that Justin quoted to her was accurate. But Stones was rapidly rising in their profile in the poker community. It went from a little Sacramento room that nobody knew to a room that more and more in the poker community were aware of. Big name players were coming there. 
they were starting to run higher and higher profile and buy-in tournaments there. They really had a good thing going. This really could have elevated them to become a major player in live poker. And this whole thing derailed that. So that uh, before all this happened, live streams were definitely profitable. Not from the rake. I'm not talking about the rake. The rake is minimal. That's not worth setting up the whole thing just for the little amount of rake they collect from one table in those hours. I'm talking about the publicity it brings and the notoriety it brings and the big-name poker pros it will eventually attract if done well, as this was, and except for the cheating. So uh, this was definitely a good idea. Stones was smart to create this. They were smart not to just give this to Live at the Bike and say, okay, you're going to be the only one. We said, well, look, Live at the Bike does it. We're, we're not in the same area. We're, we're in Northern California. They're in Southern California. We're going to do one here. And uh, we'll see what we can do with ours. And it was working. The bike is already huge. The bike is already one of the biggest card rooms in the world. So they, it's nice that they have this, but they don't need the help from it like Stones does. Stones is a small room to have something like this going. That was very smart. I'll give them credit. That was very smart. And they did it well, except for the puzzle thing, which is a huge exception, unfortunately, that destroyed it they ruined everything good they did by allowing that to happen so and they didn't even benefit i mean you know like if they had come out i mean i guess even after like if they found out justice still went on i mean for the casino not to make any money off of it it's not like bovada where they got the 162 dollars they made nothing yeah, and if they had, like if they come out, if they come up and stood up for the players, like I would think all everybody would want to play there. They'd have a ton of loyalty. Well, I think this is what happened. I see this is the order of the way things happened. I believe that uh, first of all, this, this was an inside job in some way, and whether Justin was involved or not, I still think he was. But whether he was involved or not, uh, by the time upper management ca- became aware that cheating was going on there. They didn't want to admit to this and open themselves up to massive legal liability and to a hit to their reputation. So they thought, okay, maybe we can just deny it and just say, our, we've done an investigation, everything's fine, our security's great, don't worry about it. And the problem is that wasn't cutting it. The, the community was too interested in this story and people weren't buying the bullshit. So after a few weeks of trying to bullshit people, which is a big mistake, that, that, that's a big mistake that some of these companies will make when they're caught red-handed and when there's intense public interest. You, at that point, you stop lying. Because at that point, the, the public is going to tear everything you say apart. Absolute Poker tried the same shit. Ultimate Bet tried the same shit. You, you can't try to make outrageous excuses or, or ridiculous explanations or non-explanations and hope it just goes away. Because if, if there's tremendous interest in it, people are just going to get angrier and become even more interested because it looks like a cover-up's going on. Uh, the, the cover-up only works if there's very little interest in it. If there's a lot of interest, uh, the cover-up's not going to work unless the cover-up's very strong, which it usually isn't because there's usually a lot of evidence, or at least circumstantial evidence, against uh, against those when these scandals start. So um, a good question would be, if they had this to do all over again, let's say we can drop ourselves back on September 27, 2019, and you ask Stones, okay, what do you do? And let's ignore the coronavirus. Let's, let's pretend somehow we don't know that's coming. Let's just say that uh, Stone just knows how this all went. What do they do on September 27th? Obviously, the, the correct thing to do is you could be dropped back in March, stop the cheating right away, catch Postle, and, and actually show that their security caught him, 
even if it was Ronica reporting it, at least you could show that uh, that, that security caught a cheater and he was busted and that was that. Like At least something like that. Uh, there's there's no... Uh, now, if they really wanted to keep it quiet, they could have just pulled Possible aside and said, you're banned, and he could just disappear and then hope just no one mentions it. But but let's, let's go to September. Let's say that you can drop them back on September 27th. And you say, what did they do? What's the correct thing to do? Where at this point, it's already been happening. And uh, now you've got to react to it. It's It's been happening. Veronica just called it out on Twitter in late September. So now what do you do? And I think the, there's no easy way out of it, as I mentioned in saying last week. But I think the easiest way out at that point, the best way out for Stones at that point, was to immediately jump into settlement mode with the players. Come up with some... Now, I know there's a lot of players involved. But uh, come up with some sort of kind of like reasonable but not super high compensation for everybody based upon their hours played on the stream. But put out something like that uh, we're looking into it and uh, we're going to get back to you shortly. We're taking it very seriously. Do not deny it. Do not say we had great security. Don't try to make it seem like this This is wrong. Just right, right away say... We're taking this very seriously. We're stopping the stream. We're going to look into it, and we're going to take responsibility for whatever we find. And then, once you see it's true, then try then come up with something where you're going to compensate everybody X amount of dollars for based upon time played on the stream. Not not huge money, but and and compensate it without admitting guilt, saying we. Uh, um, we can't find any proof of wrongdoing, but we admit this this doesn't look good. Uh, we, we're, we're taking down the stream for good, and we are going to be paying each player there this much uh, for, for uh, the inconvenience, whether anything happened or not. And we're very sorry, and uh, um, we we upper management knew nothing about this until Veronica tweeted about it. Something like that. You're never going to get out totally clean. But at least people can say, okay, so we can see what happened here. Stone's upper management learned about it, and then they're trying to make it right for everybody. And that's all they can do. And, of course, fire Justin. That that would have been the best way out of it. And, and it's not even like a hindsight thing. It's not even like, well, yeah, now that we can see it this way. I'm not talking about in hindsight. I'm talking about, like, they could have done that at the beginning. In fact, I would have probably done something like that myself if I were in charge. At the time. If, I, if you just dropped me as the person in charge of Stone's. I probably would have done something like that. I definitely would not have come out denying it with, with all the strong evidence. You just look foolish. It's, it's better to say nothing than to give a foolish denial. And they learned that eventually they went quiet about it when uh, people weren't buying it. And remember that silly thing we, we're hiring an independent investigator and it was really their own lawyer? Like, they really thought they were going to fool people into believing this wasn't happening. As soon as Joey Ingram did his week-long investigation where he just sat all day and all night watching possible videos and commenting on his stream. Once that was out and got such tremendously high viewership and the whole poker community came together as one to believe possible cheated, that is when you stop with the, okay, uh, we're going to investigate this and clear ourselves. Like you, you don't bother with that at that point. You're not going to convince anyone at that point, except for a few idiots. So you, you give up with that. You give up with the, let's convince everyone we're innocent when, Something like that has been put out. When you know it's, that that possible was guilty, and when you know everyone has become convinced of that, that's when you give up. Because this is one of these cases where the cover-up can end up looking worse than the crime. 
you got to always be careful you don't ever get into that situation. And sometimes it really is just better to say nothing. And if you're going to say something, it's got to be apologetic and something that seems like uh, you're not fighting back against what people have found. And then this will die a lot faster, and then you start to look a lot more sympathetic. That's, that's the way you have to handle something like this. But then I see what they were worried about. They were worried about legal liability. And when I was discussing this with, with another individual recently, we were talking about They were talking about, like, in, in a way, it's understandable, like, Stone's management, why they were in such a terrible position. Because they didn't know about the cheating, and then they find it is, and they're damned either way. If they admit it's going on, they open themselves up to liability and, and, and kills their reputation. And if they deny it, they piss everybody off. So it, it, it sucks. It's a very bad position to be in. And that's why I'm amazed that they're considering bringing back the guy, if this is true, that they're considering bringing back the guy who was overseeing this whole thing. That would just be insane. But why not, Druff? If they, if, hey, if nothing happened, if, if they don't bring him back, now they're saying something was wrong. Well, here's what they could say. It's, it's, if, if asked why, well, first they don't have to give a reason. But, but a, a good explanation without admitting any wrongdoing is just, uh, look, this was, the truth was this was reported to him back in, in March. And, uh, we didn't feel that, uh, a strong enough investigation was done at the time. Or, or we didn't feel that uh, Justin jumped on it fast enough. They should have shut down the stream. And like, there's a lot of ways they can explain it and kind of blame him without admitting they were cheating. Just like uh, we, we would have, we wanted to see a better response from him when this was accused, whether it was really happening or not, and we felt he didn't take it seriously enough. So, or they could just give no explanation. They could just be. What do you What do you think the odds are? Like these, how much like this art guy? Is the I guess he's the owner, the president, or something. Yeah, I don't know exactly what, if, his, his, what his uh, ownership is, or if he's just the president. He's probably the owner in some way, but one of the owners. But uh, what's, uh, what's the question? I'm just wondering how much they spent like watching the Joey Ingram tape, you know? Uh, that's a great question. I wondered that, too. I wonder if – because when Veronica says that they that this art guy kind of seems to believe Justin, I think she might be right. I th- Sometimes people can be in incredible denial because those who they like and have always been close to them and, and good to them – tell them one thing, and they just don't want to see it any other way. That's how I think some of Apostle's friends are. Like some of these Apostle friends who have been, uh, who hate Veronica and have been tweeting nasty things to her, you think, okay, what are, what are these people like? What's the motivation of these people? Are these just evil people who, uh, who are going to harass a woman who called out their friend for cheating? Like are these people that evil? that they're going to attack someone like that for calling out legitimate cheating just because their friend was the one doing it? Or are these people who were tricked? Are these people who have been convinced by Apostle that Veronica was the evil one by falsely accusing him and that she concocted this whole story so she could increase her status in poker? And if you believe that about her, which definitely isn't true, but if you believe that about her, then I can see why you're pissed at her. I can see why you want to tweet nasty things to her. Because if she really did that, if she really made up this story just a gain personally, then she would be a total piece of shit. But that's not what happened at all. However, those that believe it and those that have been brainwashed into believing this, I can see why they are angry at her. And uh, so I wonder if so maybe the owners of Stones have been convinced the same way by Justin, that uh, Veronica is terrible, Veronica is evil, and that this is one of these things where Someone really screwed them. A third party screwed them by making false accusations against them. And 
now they're reeling from it, and they have been for a long time, they probably they might see themselves as the victim, and they may not have taken the time to watch these streams and to to really take a look at the evidence. And I've seen a lot of times where people just don't want to put out the effort into seeing if their strongly hold beliefs are true or false. I've seen this in politics, of course, too. I've seen this on both sides of politics in, in recent years, where I've seen some ridiculous viewpoints held by the left and other ridiculous viewpoints held by the right. And then I say, no, 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 you're wrong here. Let me show you where you can research this. And they don't want to. They don't want to see it. Or they'll make excuses why that's not reliable information or why, like, they anything but believe that they, they just cannot even consider that they could be wrong or have the wrong information and have the wrong conclusion. They just want to stick to what they believe. And I think that might be happening here in a non-political way at Stones that I think they, they've liked Justin. They've, as she said, Art and Justin always got along great. Justin comes off as a very nice guy. I can say this from my interactions with him. He was, uh, they, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, not only was he very, uh, you know, cooperative and nice as far as, uh, get, getting me a hotel room in the area and, and getting me a free meal there during the game, but, uh, People from the Poker Fraudler forum went when I was playing and trolled the chat. Not in a really nasty way, but they were trying to screw with him by telling him false things about me, getting him to say ridiculous things about me on on the stream. This all started with Live at the Bike a number of years ago where they were uh, doing the same thing. They even tricked Bart Hansen into saying uh, ridiculous things about me. But So they, they like doing this from the forum whenever I appear in a stream. So so they were really going crazy there and, and like, the commentators weren't understanding it, why like such a large percentage of the chat room was interested in me and me only. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, I felt a little bit bad that people from my forum were disrupting the chat there that much and had really dominated it. And, and so afterwards, I went up to him and I apologized when I heard that this had happened. And he said, oh, no, 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 I thought it was funny. You know, that was great. You know, at first, at first we didn't understand what was going on, but... Uh, but uh, you know, then, we, then we got it. Then we realized they were screwing around. That no, was funny. There were some funny guys in there. Like he had a very good attitude about it. Like, oh, this is a nice guy here. Like I, I was, I was worried he was annoyed and pissed off about it. No, he, he had a great attitude about it. And I, I left there thinking, okay, this is a nice experience. The whole thing here. It's too bad it's so far away. Otherwise, I'd come more often. So, I can see why this art guy liked Justin. So now you have these people that Art doesn't know as well. He knows Veronica somewhat, I guess, but uh, he knows Justin better. He trusts Justin more. He, de- he definitely doesn't know guys like Joey Ingram and Doug Polk, I'm assuming. So it's, it's much easier to believe the guy you know you like when, he, when they tell their stories. And if the narrative has been pushed to ownership that just trust us, this is, uh, it's all made up, it's all exaggerated, it's all uh, speculation that really isn't true. Mike was just good in owning everyone, they just can't take it. I can see ownership, especially if they don't know as much about poker, like they... They know something about poker, probably, but they may not be good poker players or experienced poker players, the ownership. They may just own poker rooms, and they may not understand how obvious this is, and all you have to do is watch these streams to get the idea. And that's my response. And anyone who, who questions me about uh, how do you know possible is cheating, how, how can you prove, and I start to tell them about individual hands, and I go, you know what? Forget what I'm telling you. Just go find these Joey Ingram streams. You don't have to watch the 20 hours he put out. Well, probably longer than 20 hours. Probably like 60 hours. Whatever, whatever number of hours he put out on the stream. 
maybe more than 60. He was constantly doing this. I mean, he, he put in tremendous time. He even said his girlfriend was pissed how much time he took of this. I said, go watch just some of that. Just watch a little of it. Just just kind of sit there watching it, fast forward it when if it gets dull. But you, you can, you'll get the idea real quickly. Uh, Joey Ingram really proved this with with volume. It just over and over and over and over again, and he's commenting as it's going on. And you can't come away from watching that if you have any shred of intelligence and think anything but there is blatant cheating going on. And that's when I watched those. Um, I, I didn't watch every hour he did. I, I watched it on and off, but it was very convincing. And he was just like jumping to random points and playing. He wasn't like preparing certain hands that uh, he thought were egregious. He would just let it run and then and jump around. And he was like. He he put a lot of uh, time into this, and you you like they they should have watched it, but they probably didn't. I think you're right. All right. Well, it reminds me. Sorry, Jeff. Just real quick to that. If you saw that Daily Show thing, that Jordan Klepner guy, he goes to like that Trump rally in Tulsa, and he's saying, and they're like, "Oh yes, everybody has to read the the you know the Mueller report." Well, did you read it? Well, no, but you know everybody's saying it's great. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, on both sides, no one's reading shit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And a lot of times, people just uh, stick to misinformation, especially if it comes from those they trust and like. And that happens too, where you you get to like someone, you get to respect them, and then just anything they say, you just believe it must be true, and you don't stop to verify for yourself. I always like to verify for myself. I really do. Like even political opinions I hold, I, I will sometimes read things from the other side or watch things from the other side. I, I want to see the other side. And sometimes I'll go, wait, 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 wait. So the thing that was portrayed to me by the side I'm on, it actually wasn't correct. Well, sometimes, it, now sometimes it'll be so outrageous. I'll think, no, come on, this has got to be an exaggeration. <laughs> and I'll go, t- I'll go look and I'll go, no, actually this is correct. Wow. I can't believe this. This totally seemed like something that would have been made up or exaggerated, but it's not. So uh, that, that seems to be happening more and more these days. But but there have been times I have, like before I've even repeated anything, I want to make sure it's true because I don't trust some sensational things that I read or, or hear about on social media. And I encourage everybody to always do that, to always uh, check things with multiple sources and with politics with multiple sources on both sides and then judge for yourself. And you and I may come to different conclusions, but at least if you're going by like correct information – that you're analyzing, then at least you're doing it based upon the facts, not uh, based upon misinformation. And that's all I can expect of anybody. All right, so uh, a little bit more about Veronica, and then we'll move on. This is a little bit of a different topic, but along the same lines. Remember I mentioned last week that Veronica had contact from Mike Postle's ex-wife. And we know that because his ex-wife reactivated her Twitter account. I don't know if it was actually deactivated, but she hadn't touched it in 10 years. So her last tweet was in 2010. She came back on in 2020 just to tweet to Veronica and say, hey, I sent you a direct message. Please respond to it. I'm Postle's ex-wife. They're like, whoa, okay. So everyone was wondering what they were talking about. And we found out. We found out uh, what this was, I think, at least part of it. August 15th, 2020, Veronica tweeted, Mike Postle is a cheat, and no amount of attempts at vilifying me will change that. 
you're a scumbag, Mike. Try not to go to jail for domestic violence. Oh, my. I don't know. Did we say this last week? I kind of feel like we said this last week. This was before last week's show. See, now, I'm, now I'm doubting myself. Well, anyway, Veronica claims that Mike went to jail for domestic violence and that uh, she didn't say the ex-wife told her, but this was right after the ex-wife said, hey, check your DMs, so I think we know where that came from. So this seems like uh, third-hand information, of course, that the ex-wife told this to Veronica. Now, maybe the ex-wife made it up or exaggerated, but... Maybe she didn't. In fact, if I had to bet, I'd say that she probably didn't. She probably... I I don't think she would contact Veronica and say that Mike went to jail for domestic violence if he hadn't. Now, it's possible Mike was arrested for domestic violence and never charged or never convicted. That happens, too. And they will take people to jail for domestic violence for very small things. when you hear someone went to jail for domestic violence, I, I'm just trying to be fair here. Like I'm not trying. I, I I could sensationalize this and say Mike Possible is a horrible wife beater, but I have seen instances. Like I'll, I'll tell you one I know of. Uh, these people are not involved in poker, but an older couple, and I when I say older, I mean they're over sixty. Okay. Uh, they very slightly laid hands on each other. I mean very slightly, like. Uh, uh, I think the, the, the wife uh, scratched the husband's nose or something, and then he shoved her and she fell to the ground. But no, no one got hurt. The husband had like a little scratch on his nose. That was she, The woman didn't get hurt falling. It wasn't a terribly hard shove. I think it was like she got mad at him. She scratched his nose. And then like at a reaction, he shoved her back. And this is a very long-time married couple with no previous domestic violence history. It was just a bad fight that turned into that unfortunate situation, which wasn't uh, a horrible situation. It shouldn't have happened, but it wasn't, like, horrible. It was something that they, they would have gotten over. Anyway, um, when she got pushed to the ground, she, she called the police and then, like, immediately regretted it. Like, like a minute after she hung up the phone, she's like, crap, I shouldn't have done that. Well, too late. You can't take back the call. So the police come down, and all they want to do at this point is get, both of them just want to get out of it, okay? Remember, nobody's injured except for a scratch on the guy's nose. They just want to get out of it. The police come down. They ask them. And uh, what they should have done is rehearsed the story and just said that uh, um, in the heat of the moment, uh, she called up and said things, but that uh, it was a misunderstanding and nothing actually happened. Instead, they told the truth. They said, well, they didn't put hands on each other. And uh, and the, finally, the husband's like, yeah, well, you know, I, I pushed her, but I, I just was pushing her away from me. I wasn't... Uh, um, I wasn't trying to make anything bad happen. I wasn't trying to hurt her. She just, you know, I, I pushed her a little too hard. And she fell down. And I'm like, oh, well, you've just admitted to assault. We're taking you to jail. And then uh, they asked the wife, they said, uh, so it's your, that's all that happened, right? He just pushed you, right? And she said, no, 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 please don't take him to jail. He only pushed me because I scratched his nose. They said, oh, really? We're taking you to jail, too. So they took her to jail for scratching his nose. They took him for jail for pushing her. They were never charged, but they were both taken to jail for domestic violence. Two people over 60 who had been married a long time and never had any kind of domestic violence incident prior to that. And nobody was injured. That can happen. Now, I'm not trying to 
say that uh, all domestic violence arrests are like that. Often there are serious matters where one partner beats the other. Usually it's the man doing it. Occasionally it's not, but uh, usually it's the man doing it. It's very possible that Mike really did beat up his ex, and maybe that is the reason they got a divorce. And I've known women who have faced domestic violence of... uh, you know, re- like I'm not talking about where they just get pushed and that type of. I'm talking like you know, real domestic violence they faced, and it was really too bad. And uh, in some cases, they did call the police, and the husband or boyfriend got taken to jail. In some cases, they didn't. In many cases, they didn't. So I'm not trying to make light of domestic violence or say that it's not a, a serious problem. I'm just saying that uh, we'd have to know more details about this before figuring out what to think about this. So if M- Mike went to jail one time for domestic violence and was never charged, then it could be a lot of things. Now, sometimes the person's never charged because of lack of evidence. Sometimes it's just an accusation, and if there's not, like, real evidence that the other person uh, got beaten or really, like, if they just say something happened but you can't really see evidence of it, there's not clear marks or anything, then... Uh, Sometimes they won't uh, take it further than just taking the person to jail and releasing them. So that happens too. But we, we just don't know. And it's, it, there's a small chance that this is being made up or exaggerated too. Because this ex-wife popped up after 10 years and wants to talk to Veronica when she has nothing to do with poker or the cheating scandal. She just, she just happens to be Possel's ex. So obviously she's doing this for a reason. She's doing this for some reason for herself, not for everybody else here. And uh, it, it really is like the enemy, the enemy is my friend situation. So you have to take some of that with a grain of salt. But we also know that Mike Postle is a piece of shit. So like, I would not be surprised if Mike Postle is a wife beater. But yeah, I remember now that I, I think I said that last week. <laughs> I think someone texted me this just at the end of the segment. But whatever, we'll talk about it again. I mean, there's not much more to say. And... Uh, I mean, we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see if anything further comes out about this. It'd be more interesting if we saw, see like an actual conviction for domestic violence. That would be much more serious. Like if he actually was convicted of domestic violence, then it's very likely that something bad happened. Even if not like really terrible, like something at least I'd classify as bad occurred if he got convicted of domestic violence. I think we can all agree with that. And we can agree that uh, it's not like he's a sweet guy that you couldn't picture doing that. Even though he wasn't known for violence... Uh, like when someone is a piece of crap cheater, serial cheater like he is in poker, really any other criminal behavior I couldn't put past them, including wife beating. So wish we had more, but that's all we know right now. Very likely this came from the ex-wife, even though she's not saying that's where it came from. I'll let you know if we have any further information about that. One more thing. Veronica also tweeted, some guy called me last week claiming to be a director who's shooting a Netflix documentary about the cheating scandal. He claims that Mike, Justin, and Stones were all compliant. I was suspicious and was right. Someone was working with one of them was trying to set me up. WTF. So she's claiming that a fake documentary uh, maker contacted her and wanted to talk about this documentary he's making for Netflix about the cheating scandal and that uh, she realized the person was phony. Well, 
I'm not convinced the person's phony. This guy claims his name is Dave Broom. That's B-R-O-O-M-E. He claims that he has a company called uh, 257 Productions. You know, like 247, except it's 257. They have a website, uh, 257tv.com, and he actually gave an email address at 257tv.com. So presumably that really is his email address. He's not pretending to work for them. Now, I haven't heard of 257 Productions before, but from what I can see here, this looks real. I think uh, I understand that she's concerned. I understand why she would believe this was a setup and that it seems weird that they would be doing this. But if you go to uh, 257productions.com, you'll see a professional-looking website that actually has a Netflix logo on it. So if, if you go to 257tv.com, it forwards to 257productions.com. So provided you could really email this guy at 257tv.com, that shows he is associated with the company with his website. And while you can have a professional-looking website and still be a scam company, like I don't see this much effort being put into just to trick Veronica. Like It's very unlikely this whole thing was set up as a sham so Veronica can say the wrong thing and get sued. Like, very unlikely that they would have put out that much time, effort, and money to do it. So it, it, the whole thing looks real. Now, that begs the question, is there going to be a Netflix documentary about Mike Postle? Uh It's possible that Netflix has agreed to let them create one or to create the beginning of one. And then they'll basically look at the pilot episode of the documentary and see if they want to pick it up. I don't know how Netflix works with this, but it is possible that they are willing to have it like a, prelimin- a preliminary agreement to have some of these things made where they're not committing to it. They're, they'll give some token sum of money to pay for some expenses to make the, the beginning of the documentary. Then they'll see how they like it and then pay for the rest if they actually run it. So it could be something like that. But this does look like there is at least a documentary being attempted. Now, I don't know how interesting this would be to the general public. It's especially not that interesting because there's no conviction, no arrest, and no hard proof. So while all of us can watch the Joey Ingram stream and laugh at some of these ridiculous hands, the general public's not going to understand it that way. And there's only so much you can mileage you can get out of interviewing Veronica and Justin and, and Postle. I mean, all you're going to get is, no, 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 Mike's a good player. No, 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 I'm a good player. No, 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 they were cheating. Like, there's only so long you can watch that before getting bored. So I, I don't think this is good documentary material, to be honest, for the general public. Like, this is not going to be the next Tiger King. Tiger King was interesting because even though it, it was about a world that none of us knew, like we, none of us knew about drama in the uh, tiger zoo community. None of us even were aware that that type of stuff existed for the most part. Uh, it, it was all these weird characters that you got to understand it from watching the whole thing. And it kind of drew you into a world where a lot of crazy and interesting things went on. To where it, it seemed like fictional characters. It actually seemed like a mockumentary. When I first watched it, Tiger King, I thought, oh, this has got to be fake. This is like a mockumentary. And then I looked it up and it was real. Like, oh my God, I can't believe these are real people. So that's why it was interesting. This, not so much. This is not 
going to be like that. This is something more interesting if you're into poker. But I believe they're trying to make one. I don't think they're trying to set her up. So we'll see if that goes anywhere. You never know. You never know. We even see uh, this guy's phone number. His phone number is right up there. I'm not going to call it, but his phone number is right up there on her public tweet, which still stands. Her tweet was on August 13th. So for nine days, this poor uh, Dave Broom guy's phone number is up there by Veronica. That's the first thing she's done that I kind of think is kind of wrong. The rest of the way, everything she's been criticized for, I didn't agree with. I didn't agree with any of the criticism toward Veronica. I felt that she's uh, been vilified here by and and harassed by people. And like, I, I thought that she's done almost everything right here. But I don't know. Like, when someone contacts you about the documentary, at least block out their phone number and say, do you guys think this is real? Block out their phone number, their email, whatever. Like, it looked like she became convinced that this was a scam in some way, that they were trying to trick her, and then she put out this guy's info. Now, maybe this phone number's not private. Maybe it's his work number that they make public on the website. I don't know, but it's it's not good practice to post people's phone numbers up there unless you're really convinced that it's a scammer of some sort or if that person's given out your personal info. Other than that, no. So she shouldn't have done that. She should take it down. Looks like this is innocent. Okay. I know I mentioned this last week, but I never got into it. I forgot to get to this portion because, like, this week, I took a long time on this stuff last week, and then I just forgot. This week, I'm not forgetting. Marley Cordero, who, of course, was one of the co-hosts on that uh, show I just played you, she had a separate lawsuit against Mike Postle because she was in these games. She was in one of the uh, infamous hands where Postle made an amazing fold against her, which he would never have made if he couldn't see her cards. So she sued him individually. And uh, I'm not sure why she didn't join the suit of the 88 people. It never made a lot of sense to me. Her lawyer was also Mac Verstandig, so it wasn't even like she wanted different representation. She was fine with Mac representing her. She just wanted a different case. But uh, it ended up going the same way. Marley's lawsuit against uh, Mike Possel was also dismissed, just like the 88-person lawsuit was. Now, I'm talking about Possel here, not Stones. But as I mentioned, she had... I'm not sure if she has a, a lawsuit against Stones. But I know she had a lawsuit against Possel that was separate from everybody else. And that got dismissed. It got dismissed on August 14th, and it says, Order, it is hereby ordered, adjudged, and decreed that defendant's motion to dismiss for lack of personal jurisdiction be, and same hereby is granted. And then it was, it says, Clerk's judgment in favor of defendant and against plaintiffs, signed by Clerk of Cork, uh, Clerk of Court. Uh, I think this was probably filed in the wrong court. I think that's the problem here. So it looks like the dismissal was not based upon any evidence in the case, but it was actually filed in a jurisdiction that was not proper. That's what it looks like from what I can see here, because it says it's for lack of personal jurisdiction. That means you can refile in the correct jurisdiction, and I'm not sure which jurisdiction she filed in. Maybe she... I See, that's a good question where she did this. It's possible she 
did it in Las Vegas where she lives. I don't know. Whatever it is, the court decided it's the wrong jurisdiction. I had a weird jurisdictional issue many years ago that had to do with something online. And when I say many years ago, I mean 27 years ago. I had a small claims case that I filed based upon something that happened online. And I was actually in the right, but uh, I didn't want the hassle of going to the jurisdiction of where the uh, server was located of where this occurred. And I'm not even sure what was legally correct here. Maybe the attorneys listening to the show can tell me. But this is in 1993. I was a member of a BBS, which was a, a computer bulletin board, which is, that was the way people communicated online in 93. The internet existed, but it wasn't used by many people at that point, and not by the general public. So I, I was on the internet at that point, but uh, this was a BBS I was on. And I had been on it for a number of years, for like five years. And I think in 91, I bought a $150 lifetime subscription, which they were selling. They were selling that to raise immediate cash at the time. It was being run by a young guy a few years older than me. And uh, I guess he needed money. So he uh, did something that probably wasn't smart for the long-term health of the BBS. But since BBSs fell out of fashion anyway, I guess it may have been correct in hindsight. He sold $150 lifetime subscriptions instead of charging you monthly. You used to pay like 10 bucks a month or depending on what type of access you wanted, usually around like five, 10 bucks a month. He sold $150 lifetime access at the highest level, which was a great deal if you're going to use it a lot. That would pay for itself in like uh, less than a year. So I did it. Many people did it. And I had my access for about two years and I got deleted, meaning banned, meaning my lifetime access was gone that I paid for. Remember, I didn't pay for two years. I paid for lifetime. Lifetime doesn't mean my lifetime or his lifetime. It meant lifetime of the system. If the system went down, then uh, I wouldn't have a claim. But the system was still up. I just got removed, and I was not refunded anything. Um, I was deleted for uh, basically this, the system. He, he slowly changed the focus of the system to become more serious and more strict because he didn't like it was attracting a young crowd. Even though he was young himself, he wanted like a, an older, more serious crowd. He felt that it was more lucrative to have them. And he felt that the younger, kind of more rowdy, trollish crowd was holding him back. And uh, I was part of the younger, more trollish, rowdy crowd on there. So I was removed. And I was not given a refund. And I, I was told it was because of some petty rule violation. So basically, my argument, and this is for small claims, was that I bought a membership to this place based upon the way it was in 91. And that I hadn't committed any kind of egregious rule violation. Like, yes, that doesn't entitle me to break rules willy-nilly and expect a full refund. But, but that also doesn't mean that they can change the focus of it and then find some petty reason to throw me off and keep my 150 bucks. Now, if he wants to throw me off and give me back the 150, that's a different story. He just says, you know, we, we don't want you here anymore. But this, is, this was throwing me off and not giving me a refund for a petty reason uh, I didn't think was legal to do. And I never got the answer whether that was legal to do because the problem was I lived in Riverside at the time and this guy who ran it lived in the San Fernando Valley. And these are about, I don't know, 60 miles apart and then there's a lot of traffic. So I didn't want to go all the way to the San Fernando Valley to sue for 150 bucks. Even at the time, that wasn't worth it to me. Now, there was a principle of the matter. 
but I tried to file it in Riverside, and this is where the attorneys can tell me if I'm correct or not. And my argument was that even though the server of it is located in, uh, even though you know, the defendant and, and the computer, which runs the BBS, it was located in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles, that I was a customer, I was connecting to it from Riverside. So the so that's basically where I was using the service. So even though the service is running over there, I'm using it over here. So I felt that the jurisdiction could be in either place. And I tried to file it in Riverside. Well, he objected, claiming it was wrong jurisdiction. He had some attorney friends of his help out. And the court agreed and sent me a letter that uh, the case has been dismissed. I never even went to court. I got a letter that the case was dismissed because wrong jurisdiction. At that point, I had an option to refile in Los Angeles. And I said, you know, screw it. And I didn't. I just let it go. Like I wish I could have seen the way it would have played out in court, because I'm, I'm kind of also curious if I would have won that lawsuit. I think there's a good chance I would have. But I am also curious if, in 1993, based upon law at the time, if anybody knows, if I was correct that being that I used the BBS from Riverside, and that's where I signed up, and that's where I, yeah, that's where I was connecting from, uh, that, and of course it's the same state, and it, you, you can't even say it's super burdensome for him to come over there because it's it's 60 miles, which isn't pleasant, but it's not uh, it's not like I'm making him travel 500 miles. Should that jurisdiction have been allowed? Just wondering what the attorneys think. Anyway, back to the Marley thing. I wonder if it's something similar. Now, this one's different because this is a live game. I don't see how the jurisdiction could be anywhere but where it occurred. But anyway, it's it's been uh, dismissed. And I have a feeling she won't refile because... Uh, the one that was in the proper jurisdiction that Mac filed with the 88 people, that got dismissed for other reasons that had nothing to do with jurisdiction. So you have to think hers would go the same way. You have to think that Mac is probably telling her, yeah, but look, even if we put this in the right jurisdiction, it's going to lose. So I have a feeling this isn't coming back. And I have not seen that Marley has made any statement about this publicly. And I've never understood why this, she was not part of the main lawsuit, why she wanted her own. Maybe she felt that not being part of 88 other plaintiffs will get her a bigger settlement, but I have to think Stones would treat it all the same way. I I have to see Stones wouldn't say, okay, Marley, we're going to give you a big settlement, and these 88 people get a smaller settlement because they're part of a whole group. Remember, it's not a class. It's just 88 separate plaintiffs that are all part of one lawsuit. Why would Stones treat them any differently than they would treat Marley just because she separated her suit into a completely different suit? I never fully understood what was going on there. Not all that important, just the whole thing was weird to me. Not that she wanted to sue them, that makes sense, but just the way this is being done. All right, no more Stones talk, let's move on. The next topic on our agenda is the situation in Las Vegas with the coronavirus and the fact that casinos are now being blamed for catching the virus. Now, I have been told by listeners that this is a problem all over, not just in Vegas casinos, but the casinos everywhere, a lot of employees are catching it. And that some casinos, especially like Indian ones, are trying to cover up the fact that some employees are dying of it. Because if you have a lot of people catching it, and if you have some employees there that are uh, over 45, you're going to have a certain percentage that die, especially the older ones, like 60s and 70s. So... Of course, it's not a good look when people die of the coronavirus who work at a place. 
And you can see why a casino would not want to make this public if they don't have to. But I've been told that it's spreading around to casinos a lot. I also know someone personally. I've mentioned this before. I know someone personally whose husband knows how to card count and went to Vegas. There's a person from California, went to Vegas, card counted with a mask on, thought they were really smart because uh, they were able to play at places they were banned from because the they couldn't be recognized by the camera or by the facial recognition software. They said, ah, ha, 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 I can play in all the black, the best blackjack games and nobody can tell I'm banned. Ha, 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 they can't make me take off my mask. Ha, 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 And they won a lot of money. Ha, 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 And then they got the coronavirus. Not ha, 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 ha. You know, like, that's what happened to them. That's what happened to this person who got the coronavirus. Fortunately for him, he didn't get that bad of a case. He was in his mid-30s. His wife, who's actually older than him, she actually was asymptomatic. She got it, but she was asymptomatic. And then their young son... Uh, got it and had mild symptoms. So the family was fine, thankfully, at least as far as we know. But uh, still, uh, he got it in the casino. By the way, the guy I'm talking about, he does have to still fade possible lung damage. I heard he was, uh, he had a little difficulty breathing at the worst point, And sometimes what that means is lung damage is happening. So I hope for his sake, that's not what happened here. Anyway, the, the the best thing to do, as we said when Robert Goldfarb came on here, the best thing to do is to just not get it. So, casinos are bad news as far as your risk for coronavirus. And just wearing a mask there and watching what you touch is not going to cut it. Now, that doesn't mean you're guaranteed to catch the coronavirus if you go into a casino, but it's you have to be aware when you go in there that you are taking a risk. Why? Because, number one, there's a lot of people. Number two, there's a lot of ventilation. That is uh, ventilation meaning indoor ventilation systems like air conditioners. And number three, that you're indoors. And that's a bad combination. So you don't have to be within six feet of someone. And you don't have to be touching something and then touching your nose or mouth. This isn't a cold. This isn't the common cold. You get it a different way, apparently. So it seems like catching it off surfaces is not that common, or it may barely happen at all. They're they're starting to believe more and more that the surfaces are not the problem. So you've really got to avoid indoors with air conditioners or heaters. Right now, there's not going to be any heaters, of course, in August, but there will be soon enough in a few months. But anything that's moving air around indoors, you don't want, especially if there's a lot of people. And the reason a lot of people is bad, even if you stay away from them, is that it can suck up what they are, uh, what's coming out of their mouth, whether it's it's air or it's whether they're spitting when they're talking or they're sneezing or coughing, whatever it is. This the virus comes out of them and can get sucked up by the ventilation system and then put out in a different part of the building. And you can get it without being anywhere near that person. And that is what is being blamed for a lot of the cases now. Not all of them. And there are cases where people catch it outdoors, like when people crowd together at parties outside. But there are a ton of cases which are attributed to people being indoors with an air conditioner on with a lot of people. In fact, the surge in cases that you've seen in states like Texas and Florida and California 
most of that has been from people being indoors during the summer with an air conditioning on, and I'm not talking about in their own home. I'm talking about they go places which are air conditioned, which have a number of people where the the air conditioner spreads the virus around. So if you think about it, the casino, like you've, you've got all of that. And there's a theory about super spreaders, which I think might be correct. And that is that a small percentage of people are doing most of the spreading. That there's some people that for whatever reason, they spread it a lot more than others. Not their fault. That's just the way their body is. And it's hard to identify these people. But there are certain people who spread it way more than others, which explains why you have some households where every one person gets it and the others in their family don't. In fact, uh, Danielle Anderson was one who talked about that, that she got it and her husband and kid did not. And she's like, how does that happen? We were in the same car for hours and hours. We live in the same house. And yet she, she, she thinks she got it on a trip. And then they were in a car a long way back on that trip. And her husband and son never got it. And she did. So she was saying, how is that happening? If this is so contagious, how did they not get it? And the reason is probably that she's not a super spreader. So the super spreaders are believed to be the ones who are spreading it for the most part. And we can't identify them, but it seems like they exist. So if you have a casino with a ton of people, then chances are there's going to be several super spreaders there. Whereas if you have five people with you, the chance of one being a super spreader is much lower because you just have a much lesser volume of people. So the chance of at least one super spreader being around is much less. It's just basic mathematics. So you have a lot of people, meaning that a certain percentage of them are going to be super spreaders. That's just statistics. And then they are spreading it through the air conditioning system. So you can see you can be as careful as you think you can be. You could be wearing a mask, which, again, doesn't really help you. It helps other people getting it from you. So if you don't have it, then you, you're wearing a mask actually is not helping anything. And that some people are confused by that, too. You're wearing a mask just in case you have it and don't know it, so you don't get other people sick. That's the only reason you're wearing a mask. So when I see people getting it, and then I read that, oh, well, this person was um, against masking and never wore a mask. You go, ah, look at that idiot. He went out and didn't wear a mask, and he caught it. Well, no, that's not why he caught it. He didn't catch it because he wasn't wearing a mask. That The mask was not going to help him. Where he was an idiot is that not wearing a mask, he probably spread this to others once he got it. That's where he was an idiot. And he may have been reckless with his other behavior related to the coronavirus where he just went around and didn't care. So that's that might be why he got it, but not the mask part. The mask part only has to do with who he gives it to before he knows he has it. So that's why you wear the mask. You wear the mask not to spread it to others. So you wearing a mask, you can feel safer, but you're not safer. And you can feel like you're not coming into contact with people and you can feel like you're being careful with what you touch and you're using hand sanitizer and you can make yourself feel safe, but it's a false sense of security, most likely from what is known so far about the virus. So casinos are a bad place to go. They really are. That's why I won't go into one. I'm, I would be terrified to go into one at this point. I know Brandon asked me on a show a few weeks ago, What's the amount of free play that could get me to come in? It was a great question. And it's what I had thought about myself before he even asked me. Fortunately, I'm getting like $5 free play is now mailed to me. So not, it's not a, exactly a great temptation. Actually, I got a $25 offer from Tahoe. That was exciting. But I, it would have to be a lot because I'm just very concerned about this. 
I really think casinos are a very bad place to be. So why am I saying all this? Well, there's been a study on Las Vegas casinos and how responsible they are for the surge in cases that we've seen in Nevada. Now, I do want to say that until around the time the casinos reopened, Nevada did not have a bad coronavirus problem. But as I've also said, I believe that every area has to get it once. And if you haven't had it yet, it's just a matter of time of when you will. That until we have a vaccine that is effective, which we may never have, we don't know. We're going to talk about vaccines a little later in the show. But until we have that, we don't know. Until we have that, every area is vulnerable to an outbreak. Why? Because it's highly contagious. And once people start getting together, it is going to spread. So, yeah, if, if we all hide out in our houses, we keep the numbers down. We don't keep them to zero because people go out for things, for, for essential things, which may be essential, but it's still a risk. So that's why there's always some infections, even when everything's locked down. But once lockdowns end and people can start doing more, then you start to have the situation where it spreads a whole lot if it has not run through the population yet. So in a place like New York, where it has run through the population, they're getting uh, relatively few cases. Like New York, for example, had 817 new cases yesterday and zero new deaths. Actually, zero new deaths. Remember remember when they were losing more than 1,000 a day in New York? Zero yesterday. Actually, zero deaths yesterday in New York. Isn't that amazing? And 817 cases, which may sound bad to you, but remember, they have a big population there. And remember, they had tons of new cases at a, at the peak to where right now their total cases are 459,000. They had 817. So 817 is not nothing, but between the much lower caseload and the huge population, so 817 is pretty low for the entire state, and the fact that they've gotten better at treating the coronavirus – they haven't found a cure, but they've started to figure out things that work to stop people from dying. Uh, not stop them, but to lower the number of people dying. Like they, they can save some people that before they couldn't. So with all that, they actually had zero deaths yesterday. Not because of anything Cuomo did, by the way, just uh, that it ran through the population and now it has like a partial herd immunity there. They won't, they don't like talking about that, but that, that appears to be what's going on. Well, Nevada didn't have that. California didn't have that. Texas didn't have that. Florida didn't have that. Why? Because they did not have the April surge of cases like New York was having, like New Jersey was having, like uh, Connecticut was having, like some other places were having, some places outside the U.S. were having. So Nevada, once they opened the casinos, because Nevada, they locked down like a lot of other places at the beginning, so they did not have that surge. And Nevada, it was bound to happen. If they were to reopen the casinos, this was bound to happen. So their choices, honestly, their choices were to reopen and deal with the fact that the coronavirus cases were going to spike up, which they did, or keep closed until a vaccine comes out that is effective, if that ever happens, and completely destroy the economy to where it actually may cause more harm than opening and having some people die from the coronavirus. And that's a tough policy decision that every uh, person in charge at whatever government level is making the decision has to make. And if you think it's something that's obvious and easy, you don't know what you're talking about. So 
You can't say that reopening is uh, obvious and that you must do it. And you can't say that keeping locked down is obvious and that reopening is reckless. You can't because there are downsides. There are big downsides to both. You reopen and you're and the it hasn't run through your population yet, then it's going to kill people. The reopening is going to kill people. But if you leave yourself locked down for the long term, then the devastation to the economy is going to kill and devastate people. So you're going to have death either way. You're going to have devastation either way. You're going to have suffering either way. This isn't a matter of locking down for a month. This is a matter of locking down for a very long period of time and the economy crashing and terrible consequences and uh, all kinds of other things that go along with it. Depression and uh, lots of lots of problems that come with these shutdowns for a long term. So you, you have to try to find the lesser of the two evils. Where I think it's much more obvious is a place like New York, which has already had it run through the population. That's where a reopening is much smarter. Where you haven't had it run through the population yet, I can understand both sides. I can understand the side of, hey, look, the second we reopen, it's going to get bad and it's going to kill people. So let, let's try to hang on a few months longer and see if a vaccine's coming. And I can also understand the, look, we've been, the economy's taken enough of a beating and people can't stand it anymore. We have to just let it happen and, and advise people to stay away if they uh, are vulnerable. I can understand both sides. So Nevada, they had this tough choice. And their tough choice was even tougher because they have a one-note economy. They have a one-note economy that is based around the casinos. They really don't have much else. What else is the Nevada economy based on? Think about Reno, think about Vegas. Like The casinos dominate everywhere. Casinos are the tourism. They are the local entertainment. They are often a lot of the local dining options. If you live in Nevada, you pretty much can't avoid casinos. Even if you don't gamble, you're going to go to casinos to eat. You're going to go to socialize. You're going to go to watch shows. You're going to go to hang out with friends. You'll go to gamble if you like to gamble. You may go there for the bar scene or the club scene. Casinos are a very big part of life in Nevada. And a lot of businesses in Nevada actually support casinos either directly or indirectly. If you take away the casinos, you close them, you leave them closed for a long term, you devastate the economy in Nevada. That's the truth. But, as I mentioned before, casinos are also dangerous. And the new information that's come out in the last uh, two months or so about the coronavirus seems to point to indoors with air conditioning, with large crowds being the absolute worst of all situations. And that's exactly what a casino is. So how do you deal with both of these facts at the same time and do the right thing? You can open up what is kind of like a coronavirus death trap, or you can leave it closed and it's a death trap for the economy. Isn't that a tough situation? Isn't that a very tough decision for Governor Steve Sisolak? It is. I don't envy him having to make that decision. And there's no clear or easy way to do it. So finally, after Sisolak was not letting casinos open, finally they opened on June 4th. And as expected, the coronavirus case load shot up there. It also probably didn't help 
that most of their customers were coming from Southern California, which was having its own surge. Believe it or not, I think the social unrest in Los Angeles could have indirectly hurt Nevada. This wasn't the only reason, but people got coronavirus there, which is being acknowledged even by left-wing health officials, that these likely created some of the surge of the coronavirus in Los Angeles, and then some of these people went to Las Vegas and brought it there. Though I think, to be fair, I think this would have happened in Vegas either way, even if these protests never occurred. So I'm not trying to blame it on the protests, but I think they had a hand in some of the cases that ended up in Nevada. I think people in general coming from an area that's that's getting hit into Vegas and staying there for the weekend is not good for, for Nevada. So Nevada had a surge, and uh, so far... 1,185 people have died of the coronavirus in Nevada. You may say, okay, that's not terrible. 1,185 total? Well, Nevada's population is small. They have 3 million people. Their population is about 1 13th the size of California. So if you want to compare it to California, you'd have to multiply it by 13. California has had 12,000 total deaths. Let's go back to Nevada. 1,185 multiplied by 13, it's actually worse. So Nevada has actually been hit worse than California. So with all the bad press California has gotten for its coronavirus issues, which it does have, Nevada's, as far as deaths, is a little bit worse. They're roughly the same, but Nevada is actually a little bit worse. So Nevada has definitely been having a problem, and it is because of the casinos. There was a study, this isn't just uh, my theorizing anymore, there actually was a study about this, and this was done by uh, ProPublica. Now, ProPublica, I want to say, I know some of you hear that name and go, oh, wait a minute, I know ProPublica. Yeah, ProPublica is a, uh, it's investigative journalism, but let's be honest here, it's left-wing investigative journalism. I'm not saying that everything they write is wrong. Like They have put out some accurate and good reports on things, but you do have to understand they're left-biased and it is true that the left has had much more of an incentive to make everything with the coronavirus look more dire. The more dire it looks, the better it is for them, because then you're going to blame Trump and, and vote for Biden in the fall. And they know that. So so there has been a general tendency for the right to try to say the coronavirus isn't a huge deal, and the left to say it's a bigger deal than it really is. And it's unfortunate. I wish politics didn't come into this. And you can hear that I'm not doing this. You guys have heard me on this show, how seriously I take it, yet I'm on the right. And I've seen people, by the way, who are like me, that are separating their own politics from the coronavirus situation and just telling you like it is. I have a friend who's very left-wing who's been uh, putting out a lot of information about the coronavirus and uh, about the fact that New York may have reached partial herd immunity and stuff like that. And this is really infuriating people on her side because they – they hate seeing her put this out. They want the, the narrative they want is that uh, Governor Cuomo is doing a great job. You got to follow him, and the Republican governors are idiots and killing people. And she, she who's on the left and hates Trump with a passion, is putting out nothing in defense of Trump, but is saying no, you, you know, Cuomo's not doing a good job. Here's the truth, and she's putting out a lot of facts that they don't like. And she's not doing it for political reasons because, as I said, she's on the left and clearly on the left. And she's not one of these like fake leftists who's moved over to the right. She's definitely on the left and still on the left. And I still see plenty of left-wing material she puts out that I strongly disagree with. But with the coronavirus stuff, uh, 
she puts out a lot that angers people on her side and much like stuff that I say about the coronavirus angers people on my side. And I don't agree with some of the things that people on the right have put out about the coronavirus. And I've said that before. So uh, anyway, ProPublica, I'm just saying to take with a grain of salt, they are on the left, but I'm not saying I doubt this report. It's probably right. They have put out a report that casinos are dangerous and that casinos are actually the main source of spreading the coronavirus in the state of Nevada. Now, this is going to be true to some degree because casinos are such a large part of life. Like, because they are so present in every city in Nevada, then, as I said, you're going to be going into one. So it's a, just because of exposure, they're going to be a big part of it. Like, the casinos are also a very big part in spreading around the common cold in Nevada. You just don't read reports about that because nobody cares about the common cold. That's just a fact of life. It's an annoyance. Uh, you don't die from it, so you don't care. But casinos spread around all illnesses, and that's important to know. So this is not shocking. But the report is indicating that really it's driving the spread. It's the fact that casinos have reopened that has made the cases surge. And I believe it. I believe it for the reasons I said more. But they're not just guessing at this. This is where they got the information. Something they've been doing recently in a number of uh, places is studying cell phone data, which in a way is a little bit disturbing. Now, they're doing this using anonymized cell phone data. So they get data on people's movements, but it doesn't identify who they are, and they get to see where people are going. Now, there's been reports about this before, before the coronavirus even, that this is happening, and there's been concerned that this, quote, anonymized cell phone data can be analyzed and you can figure out very easily who these people are by where they go, such as when they go home. You look at who lives at that address then you can match it to where they work and you can figure out exactly who you're talking about. And there was an interesting report that uh, one media outlet did that analyzed some of this, quote, anonymous cell phone data. And this is last year. This is before the coronavirus. They analyzed some of this anonymous cell phone data and they found all kinds of interesting stuff. They could identify people. They were able to find celebrities and politicians in there. And they were able to find some of them doing bad things, like likely cheating on their wives. <laughs> they'd, see, they'd see some guy who goes to a house where a celebrity or politician lives, then goes to the place where that celebrity or politician works, so it's very clearly them, and then you see them going to a motel from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. one night, and this person's married. Like, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what's going on there. Not that this guy's taken a staycation to a, mot- a sleazy motel with his wife. So they, they didn't release who these people were, but they said this is the danger of releasing this anonymous cell phone movement data because it can be analyzed and figured out. And it is a big privacy violation, and I think it's crappy that this stuff is being uh, distributed, even for coronavirus purposes. And in fact, if it is going to be uh, used for this, it should not get into the hands of anyone except for uh, – government researchers under uh, a very secure system that would not allow it to be copied or distributed anywhere. So it's it's disturbing that this is being done, but it is being done. So taking away the privacy aspect of it, which I find very obnoxious, they analyzed this data and they saw 
the movements of people and they watched the movements and correlated this with uh, the coronavirus surges. And what they found was that there were far more devices showing up on the Las Vegas Strip in June after the casinos reopened on June 4th. There was also uh, increased travel to and from major Midwest and East Coast cities. Now, I will say that most of the people coming to Vegas were still coming from Los Angeles, like way more than before percentage-wise, because people just don't like flying right now for obvious reasons. So most of the travel there was people driving in, but they did see additional travel from those places too. During July, the data showed that there was significant travel to and from Las Vegas in from every uh, continental U.S. state. So there were still a lot of people coming to Vegas from elsewhere as well. Not what there used to be, but there still was. So what they found was that uh, a lot of these people were going into casinos, of course. Of course, the tourists, that's exactly why they're coming. But they even found that locals were just going to the casinos far, far more often, that they were able to connect not just the date of the reopening to the increased coronavirus cases, but with this cell phone data, they were able to connect far more visits to, to casinos, which of course were closed before, but that uh, it was as soon as the casinos started getting a lot of visits that the cases surged up and they even see how many visits there were from this anonymized cell phone data. Now, they did not attempt to identify these people and see if they had the coronavirus. That would have been this uh, privacy violation I was talking about. They probably could have if they put enough effort into it. But I think it's an obvious thing. I think it's an obvious thing that reopening the casinos did spread the coronavirus in Nevada and did kill some people. But the consequences of not doing so may have been worse. So I'm not even saying the CISLAC was wrong to allow it. Just some sobering information for you if you are planning to go to a Las Vegas casino. Just know the risks. If, if you want to take the risk and do it, then fine, do it. I'm just saying you, you just need to be realistic. There's some people who are not realistic about their chance of getting it. They think, okay, well, I'm just careful. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm not going to touch anything and then touch my face without using hand sanitizer first. I'll carry it around with me. Uh, I, I'll stay, stay six feet away from everybody. You know where you stay six feet away from people? I mean, you should everywhere, but you know where that makes the big difference is like if you're outdoors. If you're at a park, you're at the beach, you're hiking, whatever, that's where staying six feet away is very important because there's nothing otherwise recirculating the air around. So you've just got to keep your distance from everybody. So th- this way, if, if somebody coughs uh, a good deal away from you outside, you're not going to run into it. It's not going to get to you because it's, it's, there's nothing that's moving it to you. I guess if it's windy, it could happen. But it's, it's not the same thing as, as a closed place with an air conditioner. When, when it's outside, it really spreads in every direction, which is good. You want, you want it to dissipate. because You're not worried about uh, getting a tiny bit of the virus inside of you. You're worried about getting enough to get you sick. If a tiny bit gets in you, it, nothing's going to happen. You need enough to actually get you sick. So... Outdoors, that tends to only happen if you're close to someone who breathes on you, coughs on you, spits on you, uh, anything like that. That's where you stay six feet away. That's where you, you just don't, don't come into close contact with anybody outside. And then, really, you can enjoy yourself outside otherwise. 
If nobody comes close to you outside, other than people who live with you, you're, you're pretty safe. You're, you're very unlikely to get it outside. Especially because the sun tends to kill it on surfaces, too. That's additional protection you get. So, outside is a good place to be for the coronavirus. If you have the choice to do something outside instead of inside, I would really suggest outside. Even things you usually don't like to do outside. I would really opt for the outside stuff. And and people are starting to learn this, and businesses are starting to learn this. Like, uh, actually, uh, I wasn't going to cover this, but I heard that uh, the L.A. card rooms are going to be spreading games outside pretty soon. I don't think they've started yet, but I believe the plan is to spread games outside. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I was playing in a home game before the coronavirus thing happened. I was going about once a week, once every two weeks, and no one you guys know. But that home game... Uh, I stopped going to it, obviously, but uh, some people were interested in restarting it outside. And I considered it, and I said, no, 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 I don't want to take the chance. And I still don't. And I thought it was the right decision. But that that would be a hell of a lot better than indoors where we used to play. So uh, anything outside, it's good to keep away from people. Inside, yes, also, but that's not going to protect you. That it just... One of many threats is being physically close to people inside. But there's so many other threats, you're just eliminating one of them by staying away. So we're outside, being close to people is the one and only threat. Inside, there's a number of threats. And you must know that. So keep that in mind. Now, if you're 25 years old, okay, have at it. You know, you're not likely to get very sick from this. If you're over 45... You may want to think about it. If you're over 60, you especially want to think about it. I think we're getting closer and closer to clarity as far as how people are getting it. There's a lot we still don't know, but I think we're getting closer and closer to the truth if you really pay attention. The problem is there's so much crap, which I'll talk about in the coronavirus segment, so much crap in the media and such little useful information put out by the government we're not getting the most important stuff, which one of them that's really not being, the message is not being put out clearly enough is you got to stay away from going indoors, except in your own house. Uh, I was considering getting a haircut. I haven't done it yet, but uh, I was considering getting a haircut by calling the person who, I think I mentioned this before, but I'm calling the person who cut my hair last time I have her number and actually having her do it in my backyard. I don't want to go into a salon. I don't, but now she'll still be close to me. If she has the virus, then there's a decent chance I would get it. That's the one thing that worries me. But uh, at least it's only her I'd have to worry about. I wouldn't have to worry about a whole group of people in a salon through an air conditioner. Like I, That's what scares me. Anyway, think about it. You really don't want this, and uh, I actually learned of another person recently who died of the coronavirus that I knew through Facebook. This was not a friend of mine. So this is one of these things where I think, oh, it's too bad, but it wasn't anyone I had a personal relationship with. It's someone I've interacted with before, but uh, and I talked on a, like a group phone call with once or twice, but it, it was not a friend of mine. But the guy was only 56, just like Robert Gray, who died in poker recently. But this guy was 56, and he died of the coronavirus. So... I see these people who are not that far from my age 
and they get it and they die, and I think, crap, you know, I could be unlucky, that could be me. All right, another Nevada-related coronavirus story. This one's uh, interesting. Steve Sisolak is currently being sued because bars that own or bars that have video poker machines want to be able to run them and right now that's illegal. Bars are not closed at the moment in Nevada, but they have a restriction on them that's really brought business to almost a standstill. It's like they they yeah, they get drunks in there, but they've really lost a big segment of their business and they feel they can't survive the way it is. This has to do with what's known as bar top gaming machines, mostly video poker. So you know when you go to a bar in Nevada and you sit down there and instead of a regular bar like you'd see in any other state, instead you're there's a video poker machine at the bar and often the pay tables aren't very good. Once in a while they are, but usually the pay tables kind of suck. But nevertheless, this is for degenerates who want to drink at the bar and play video poker at the same time. It's a great thing for casinos because these people get drunk and then they don't play well and they can put bad pay tables on these things and people don't care because they just want to play. So these have gotten uh, more and more popular over the years. Every bar in Nevada pretty much has them, not just casinos, but any establishment that has a license to operate them will operate them. It's very lucrative to have. Now in casinos, especially big casinos, people like to take advantage of these and slow play. Some cheap people like to go in and uh, either pretend to play or put $20 in and play super slow, like a quarter at a time, and hit the button like once every 10 minutes, and in the meantime, just drink, 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 drink for free. Some casinos have clamped down on that in recent years, as I've described, and we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how those can't run at all now. They are not allowed to have these games turned on at bars right now if the bar is going to be open. So bars can open, but they cannot have these bar top games, which is mostly video poker. And this is really, really upsetting the owners of these bars, especially ones that are independent bars and not ones that are part of the casino, because uh, this was a big part of the revenue. And a lot of people don't even want to come in. A lot of people, the enjoyment for coming into these bars was to drink and play video poker at the same time. Now they can only drink and they feel a big piece is missing. Now this is different than other states. You may say, well, what about states like California or tons of other states, uh, pretty much almost every other state, uh, except for New Jersey. How, how come they can't have bar tops and these bars do fine there? Well, the difference is because people got used to it in Nevada. People in Nevada would come for this reason, and now that this half the reason for going is gone, they don't want to come. And they also lose the revenue. So it's a, it's a one-two punch. Fewer people and less revenue per person. So on uh, July 10th, uh, Steve Sislak ordered a return to phase one level restrictions for bars in uh, certain Nevada counties. So this isn't statewide, but certain counties had this. And they were allowed to have these through July 10th, I guess from July 4th or June 4th to July 10th. But then on July 10th, because of the spike in cases I just talked about, Sisolak 
changed. You know, they're doing it in phases of what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. He actually backed out some of the things you were allowed to do, one of them being that you could no longer play video poker or any other gaming machine while sitting at a bar. So they were forced to turn off those machines if they wanted to continue serving alcohol at those bars. There could not be any more bar talk games. So the governor's ruling uh, said that uh, any venue that operates 15 or fewer slot machines uh, that... uh, they cannot uh, that they can't do this. I guess that this did not apply to larger casinos, but it, it applied to bars that had fifteen or fewer slot machines. And uh, apparently, the venues like these that have fifteen or fewer slot machines. When I say slot machines, I mean any kind of gambling machine that includes uh, video poker. So the ones that had fifteen or fewer machines tended to be these small bars. There are apparently almost 2,000 such bars in the state that have 15 or fewer machines that are subject to these restrictions. Now, I don't; these may not all be bars. They could also be other uh, businesses that have 15 or fewer machines, but there are almost 2,000 businesses in Nevada which are allowed to have machines but can have uh, 15 or fewer. So 62 bar owners got together and filed for an injunction against Steve Sisolak, the governor of Nevada, to reverse this order. So they say that the closures have created significant financial losses and that they can't continue this way. They also contended that the health and safety measures that are in place significantly risk limit risk to any patrons and staff. Okay, I half agree with this. I don't think these machines in themselves make risk much worse. So if you're worried about the people touching the same buttons, since it's not really about uh, surfaces from what is believed currently, I wouldn't worry about that too much. And the bars can deal with it. The bars can uh, wipe them down with... with, uh, with disinfectant to kill the coronavirus, even if it does spread that way. But it really seems like it's not spreading that way. However, I do believe that these machines encourage people to stay longer in the bars and probably will increase COVID transmission that way. So it's kind of like indirectly. However, you might say, well, but people could be staying in the bar for a long time for other reasons. Maybe someone just likes to drink for three hours at a time. So yeah, they're taking away one reason to stay as long, but there are people who stay in bars a long time that are not there for gambling at all. In fact, I've seen it in California where there is no gambling in bars. So I, I do think that this is kind of foolish. I would much more understand just saying we're not reopening bars because it's too easy to spread. It's a small place. One of these, these type of bars are small. A lot of people cram in. It They're air-conditioned. They, they spread COVID. They, these are big spreaders of COVID, and I can see it. I can see it even be worse than casinos because it's a smaller space where people are more densely crammed in, and yet you have enough people to where you're likely to get uh, probably some super spreaders in there. So I I could totally see how these bars would really spread it around quickly. But I I don't believe in this crap where you're just half-assing it by saying, okay, we're going to allow people to go to these bars, just just no gambling. That's stupid. Even if it's slightly bringing down cases... 
It's stupid. Either allow it or don't allow it. It's either dangerous in these bars or it's not. And since it's believed it's going through the air, then these machines shouldn't really be material. If you're really that concerned that these machines are making people stay longer, then put a time limit on how long people can stay. But I think that's stupid too, but at least that would attack the entire problem. At least you'd be saying that you're not just arbitrarily singling out these machines. You're saying we're trying to keep people to where they're not staying as long and therefore not it therefore lowers their chance of both getting it and giving it. So each person has X amount of time to go in the bar and then they have to leave. Now that's hard to enforce. What are you going to put like a clock around everybody's neck? But at least that would be attempting to address that problem. But just saying certain activities are banned in there, but not others, which all have about the same risk, doesn't make any sense. I think touching those machines is only slightly more risky than drinking there, because I think it's spreading through the air. So I, I kind of agree with the bar owners here. The, the bar owners should just say, look, bottom line, it's either safe or not safe to be in a bar with other people. So since the governor's determined it's safe, people should be able to do what they want here. They, they Maybe distance from each other, you know, that's fine, but provided they distance from one another, they should be able to do what they want. And just arbitrarily banning machines makes no sense. So I agree with that. So far, the court injunction, the, the court injunction has been done, or the attempt to pass it has been through a video conference. On August 13th, there was a 90-minute hearing, again by video, and both sides tried to give their argument as to why they were right. The attorney for the plaintiffs, the bar owners, said that the bar industry has actually done much better than other industries. They said that uh, bars and casinos have uh, been 80% compliant with the guidelines and that water parks are 0% compliant. Well, I don't know about 0% compliant, but even if they are, water parks are much safer. They're inherently much safer because they're outdoors. So I don't think that's a good example. That's an apples to oranges comparison. I'd rather be at a water park that's 0% compliance compared to a bar with 80% compliance. It's just much more dangerous than the bar. It's not just about compliance. I hate in general the belief that if you feel you're doing the right thing, if you feel like you're acting right, then that's enough. It doesn't matter what the results are. It doesn't matter what the true danger is. It's how you, it's if you feel you're doing the right thing. I've never been a believer in just, if you feel you're doing it right, then it's all good. It's, to me, it's, is this effective? Does this work? Or is it a failure? And if it's a failure, even if you think you're doing the right thing or feel good that you're doing the right thing, if it's not helping, it's useless. So that's the case here. And a lot of people feel that way about COVID. They, they feel like if they follow what they're told to do, then they're safe. I mean, I've seen this before with with cholesterol, with high blood pressure. People feel they're they're doing the right thing. You don't yeah, you cut down on salt. Okay, I, I, it's going to protect me from high blood pressure. I'm not eating much salt. I'm not eating much salt. I'm not getting stressed. Okay, I'm keeping my blood pressure down. That's, no, that's not how it works. That's how, that's how they believed it worked decades ago. But that's not how blood pressure really works. High blood pressure is mostly hereditary. High cholesterol, I'm not, I'm not eating chicken skin. I'm keeping away from saturated fats. My cholesterol is going to be good. I feel good about myself. No, it's hereditary. So people hate that. People hate when things are out of control. 
They hate, they want to be able to, they want to have control of their own destiny, their own destiny. People hate when good behavior is not rewarded with good results. When responsible behavior is not rewarded with good results. They hate it when others' irresponsible behavior is rewarded with good results or a lack of bad results. People always want to believe they are in control of what happens, but often you are not. And with COVID, you're somewhat in control, but you've got to understand where the control is. So it's not about putting on a mask that will help other people not get infected, but that will not help you. It is not about hand sanitizer. You might as well. Couldn't hurt, but uh, it's probably not helping you that much. It is about staying away from places indoors with a lot of people and an air conditioner. That's what it's about. It doesn't matter how you feel as you're doing it or how safe you feel. It's a matter of how safe you are. There have been about over 60,000 cases in Nevada, and Clark County represents 86% of all cases, but they are a healthy percentage of the population of Nevada. They're not 86% of the population, but they're more than half. At least I believe they're more than half. I haven't looked it up, but I think they're more than half. The population in Nevada is about 3 million, and I think they probably have more than 1.5 million in Clark County, but they definitely don't have 86% of the population there. So yes, it has been hit a lot harder in Clark County than anywhere else, but that makes sense because that's where they have the big casinos where people cram together. And uh, Steve Sisolak has been getting it from all sides. The casinos don't like him because they feel like he's been too tough and that he's not allowing them enough freedom. And then the the mayor of Las Vegas feels the same way, and she's been very outspoken about that. And at the same time, those who are pro-lockdown have not liked Sislak's decision to open the casinos and the subsequent spike in cases, and he has not closed them. So everyone's upset with Steve Sislak, and he's got a tough situation there. I don't even know what I would do if I were him. I don't know what I would do as governor there. Any decision you make is going to be wrong. (laughs) That's the problem. Imagine having to make a critical decision with people's lives like this where any decision is going to be wrong in some way. Any decision is going to be second-guessed and there will be old... People can point to their relatives died because of your decision. And that will happen either way. Your decision will cause devastation to families either way. Different families in either case, but... uh, it will cause devastation either way. It sucks. So what do I think of this lawsuit? I, I would actually rule in favor of the bars here. But I also would not object to the bars being closed entirely. Uh, now, there is the Sweden method, which is just let people get reopen, let people get it, tell the vulnerable to stay away, and let it burn out. And in Sweden, after... They made one big mistake over there. They uh, they didn't protect the nursing homes well. But aside from that, uh, they, so far it's actually been somewhat successful because their their cases uh, are are way down, and they never locked down. So that's a reason to possibly reopen in in Vegas and just deal with the fact that uh, unfortunately some people are going to die from this. Sweden, uh, I'll give you their numbers yesterday. Sweden 
had uh, – for some reason it shows cases zero, which I don't believe. But they had five deaths yesterday. Sometimes the cases just don't come in or whatever. Like you'll see zero, but it doesn't always mean zero. But the deaths tend to be more accurate. And they had five deaths yesterday. And that's uh, pretty low. They they don't have a huge population, but they do have 10 million. So they, they have had more death than their neighboring countries, but they seem to be pretty much past it. They've, they've gotten very few new cases recently, uh, relatively few deaths, and nobody's locking down. Everyone's just going out. And uh, had they protected the nursing homes, which I, I don't know why so many places screwed up with the nursing homes. Sweden's one of them. Had they protected the nursing homes, their death numbers would be far lower than the 5,800 that it is. Sometimes I just wonder where the common sense is. Like, this wasn't, this didn't require a genius to say, you know what? This is killing old people. Old people are way more vulnerable. We've known this since the beginning. Where are a lot of old people? Nursing homes. What should we protect? Nursing homes. Very easy. Very easy to be extra, extra, extra careful there. And a lot of places weren't. Some places like New York and Michigan actually brought people in intentionally who had COVID, which is insane. All right, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. I'm getting a text from... uh, the 951 who's asking about Mike Possle and he's saying, uh, how did he get custody of the kid if he beat up his ex-wife? That's a good question. See, that's what I mean. Like, we've got to know more information. There's a lot of times different sides to the story here. Like, you know, for all we know, she could have attacked him. And then, of course, you know, him being stronger, he could have attacked her back and it looked like he did it. And then it came out later that she attacked him first. I'm just making all this up. It could be any of this. And I'm not trying to defend Possel. I'm just saying that we need to know a lot more than just he got a domestic violence arrest, especially since it looked like he got custody of the kid. And when they don't give the mom the custody of the kid, then it's rare that the mom is anything but screwed up. So usually the mom has major problems and issues if she's not getting custody. So I I really would need to know more about that whole thing before commenting on the marriage. I can comment on the cheating. I watched the videos. Mike Possle cheated. But as far as his wife, who knows? All right, from the 773, T-Mobile gives free MLB TV. That might be true, but I still think they suck. You get to watch MLB TV for free, but you don't get to listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio for free. Where is the justice there? You get to watch baseball, and you don't have to pay for an MLB account, but then they charge you for the damn call to listen line. This small operation here costs you money, and watching baseball is free. Terrible injustice. Though I do think Major League Baseball is handling the whole watching on mobile thing incorrectly. That's a different subject for a different time, but they're screwing themselves. They're screwing themselves long-term. They're making it difficult for the young people to watch. Make it difficult for everybody, but the when the older guys like me die off, then they're going to find themselves missing baseball fans. And all they can think of is today. They're not thinking about 30 years from now. They're not thinking about 50 years from now. But if you're not getting a lot of interest in baseball from people in their 20s and their teens, which they're not, 
they're going to have a big problem. Then the fan base is going to die out and the game's going to die out. And all they can think about is the present. Right now they still have their old and middle-aged fans coming in. Sometimes it's hard to picture the future when things change. Sometimes it's hard to look for what's right in front of your face that is going to become reality. All right. I'm going to tell you guys about a bizarre online poker pot. I mean, you see things like this and you just go, where do these people get their money? Just how do they put so much money in in situations like these? So GG Poker... I've had a lot of criticism for them recently, but this is not about anything controversial on GG Poker. This is actually about a crazy hand that occurred there at uh, their No Limit Hold'em tables. Now, some of you remember when there were those huge battles between Tom Dwan and other people where they just put in a lot of money, and a lot of times they, it wasn't even like like nuts versus second nuts. This would just be where one side just shoots off or both sides are playing very aggressively. There is a pot that occurred in 2008 between Tom Dwan, of course him, and one of the Dang brothers. Remember them? This was D Dang. And the pot was won by Dang, who he won a $723,000 pot where it was Kings versus Aces. It was Tom Dwan's Kings against D-Dang's Aces, which held up. I mean, yeah, it's a cooler, but you do know this happens. <laughs> like, You don't go that nuts with Kings, Tom Dwan. I'm not saying you're a bad player, Mr. Dwan, but you don't push it with Kings that hard. I would be shitting my pants if the pocket got pumped up that high and I've only got Kings. But uh, nevertheless, that's what happened. That was 2008, though. This is a bizarre hand. I, I saw some really weird pots on full tilt, like where both sides would go all in and one of them has like ace eight offsuit. Now, who knows? Some of that may have been chip dumping, but chip dumping wasn't as necessary back then because you could actually make transfers. So I, I don't, I think it was legit. But th- I think this was the, the biggest online poker pot ever. That's what it's claiming in this article I'm reading. I thought there was one bigger than this, but maybe not. This pot was, uh, $974,000. That's not what the winner made, but that's what the pot was in the heads up, meaning each side put in half of that. So the pot really was in a single hand of poker almost $1 million. Now there's been bigger pots live, a lot of bigger pots live than that. I mean, there's huge games played in Macau. At least there were prior to the coronavirus that had a lot of pots like this and bigger. But online... I guess the biggest pot was that one with Tom Dwan 12 years ago. But this pot was the biggest one ever. And uh, it occurred between two players named uh, Tan4321 and uh, Almedin IMS. Uh, oh, I see. It's, it's, uh, it's Ali... How do you pronounce his name? Ali uh, Imsurovic, I think that's how you pronounce it. And Tan4321 is Tan, Tan Juan, uh, X-U-A-N. So they, they played that, and uh, this is what happened. Tan opened to 4278. By the way, this is a six max. This wasn't a heads-up game. It was a heads-up pot. It was a 
500, 1,200, meaning there was a, uh, an ante of 200, and an additional $2,000 straddle. Now, they allow this type of stuff on GG Poker. Most online sites, you can't straddle. It just There's no way to do it. But on GG, they allow to straddle, and this actually has antes too. So it's they're trying to get action with this, this type of stuff. So at 500 small, 1,000 big, and this is real money. This is not uh, tournament dollars. 500 small, 1,000 big, $200 ante, six max. I think all six people were there. And there's a $2,000 straddle, which means the person who is under the gun has to put in $2,000, and then act, and then they're the last to act. So, Zwan, uh, entered, he opened to 4278, and Imserovic re-raised to 21,000 out of the big blind. And Zwan called, and the pot at that point was a 45k, almost 46k. Okay? And it was just the two of them. Everybody else folded. The flop was 559. Now, given what I told you the pot ended up as, almost near a thousand, almost a million dollars. It's only at 46k now. So how does it get from 46k to 974k? I bet you would picture that a 5 was involved. Maybe one of them had a 5, maybe both of them had a 5, maybe someone had a set of 9s. Maybe someone was playing loose and had 9-5. Maybe someone had 9s and the other one had ace 5. That would make sense, right? How about the fact that neither person had a set and neither person had a five on that flop? (laughs) So no one hit this flop really hard. (laughs) But before I tell you what they had, I'll tell you the action. So Ali Imserivik let out. Remember, he re-raised from the big blind. He let out for 15K, and Zwan made it 53K. So Imzervik called. Turn. Jack of spades. Now it's two red fives, nine of spades, jack of spades. So possible backdoor flush draw, possible backdoor straight draw. Haven't told you yet what they have. Imzervik decided to check, and Zwan threw in 101K. That was about two-thirds of the pot, by the way. The pot was over 100 by now, of course, but uh, about two-thirds of the pot. I think the pot's around 150. And Imzervik called. And then on the river, when it was eight of spades, which makes both backdoor spades and a backdoor flush, Schwan shoved his last 309,719 in. Just like it's nothing. Just shoving 309K. Now, wouldn't you want to have a really strong hand in that spot? 559 Jack 8 with the Jack and 8 being of spades. So now puts that backdoor straight and flash out there. And you've been firing this whole way. You, uh, you called the flop. You bet to a check on the turn, and then on the river, you fire in your remaining 309,000. Wouldn't you say that you had to have had a pretty strong hand? Because let's think about this here. Your opponent's calling with something. He re-raised out of the big blind, and then he's calling all this money. So you may think, okay, well, Imzervik probably had like 
kings or aces and just uh, decided he didn't want to screw around with the the five five nine that he doesn't he's worried about uh, nines or, or any any five there, but he doesn't want to get run off the hand, so he's just going to check call and try to uh, let the guy hang himself from behind. That he doesn't want to force him out if he it's either it's like it's the way ahead way behind theory, which is a uh, one of the basics they teach of no limit hold'em that. Uh, if you think your opponent is way behind, you don't want to run them out. You want to let them hang themselves. Uh, so if they're hammering you, if you think you're either way ahead or way behind, that you're best off just calling. So it looked like that's what he might be doing here with, with aces or kings, where that would be a way ahead, way behind situation. If, if uh, Juan has... A five, he's way behind. If one has nines, he's way behind. If he has aces or kings or queens, uh, it's possible, but it's, it's possible, or he could be drawing dead or, or close to dead, or he could be uh, way ahead. He has a lower pair, has just a nine, has some kind of draw. Now, of course, draws may have made it on the river. So what did they have here? What did they have here? Trader Risk, are you still with us? Oh God, Druff. I think one of okay. So I'm going to say one of them has nine ten suited. What do you think the other one has? Well, I, I, yeah, I think it's something like that, and, and maybe the other guy has like I don't know tens or jacks. Yeah, see, that's you're giving I mean, them. Too, you're, 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 you're giving right? you're, you're giving them too much credit. At least, at least the jacks would have. <laughs> at least the jacks would have made the the boat on the river. But um, you're giving them too oh, much credit here. So, so Imsurvik, I kind of understand how this happened, though. I thought I think he put in too much on the. He 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 should have given up on the flop. I would have given up on the flop if I were him. But anyway, he had ace king of spades, so he made the flush on the backdoor flush on the river, which. He still couldn't have been super confident with because he's losing to a boat, but at least he had the, be- the best possible flush. Uh, unless, other than queen 10 of spades, which would be the straight flush, but that's not likely. Okay? Or 10-7 of spades. So uh, there's a chance he was against the straight flush, but not the way the hand played out. So he, yeah, he could be pretty confident that if, if it wasn't a full house or better, that, that he's winning. Okay? But the problem with 5-5-9 five, five, and the guy hammering this hard, uh, you could be against a full house, and this is totally a way... Even on the river, it's, it's, it, you want to just let him shoot off. So... Um, you want to run him off. So, so he, he was correct to check call there, but but uh, the flop, like of course on the turn, I understand why he called with a with a ace with a f- over cards and the the nut flush draw. But uh, the flop, I don't know why he he called. I would have given up there. Too many ways to run yourself into trouble. Well, what did this Juan guy have? Who was firing the whole way? Remember, he put in all this money. He ended up putting in almost five hundred thousand dollars. What did he have? He had nine seven. <laughs> nine seven. You may say, maybe you're missing something. No, you're not. He had a pair of nines the whole way with no draw. Nine five five rainbow, he had nine seven of diamonds. And then on the turn the di- the diamonds didn't matter because there were two spades out there and only one diamond. So the flush he had a backdoor flush draw and top pair. Where he's also behind any two, he, the two pair is not going to be good if if Imservic had uh, a high pair. On nine five five, he can't hope to spike the seven when Imservic's raising out of the big blind because that's often a high pair. So he really can't hope to spike the seven. 
So really all he had was a pair of nine. So he, he, he's really looking for a nine or he's dead. Either a nine or run the guy off. So he tried to run him off. Like he, was, he turned his nine into a bluff. He just couldn't give up. He just kept hammering, hammering, hammering. Where he made the biggest mistake was on the river. Because when Isravik's calling that turn, there's so many things that got there with that eight of spades. The turn is five, five, nine, jack with two spades. Now, yes, the second spade's on the turn, but at that point, when you hammer the turn pretty hard and he call, he check calls. Now that spade on the river, that totally looks like it's possible spades got there, and you could even see it where where maybe the straight got there, maybe even eights could have gotten there. There's there's so many ways that eight could have screwed that eight of spades could have screwed you. Now, yeah, you can hope that he's not going to call the three hundred three thousand. Uh, feeling that maybe you have the full house. But the truth is, anything that that eight got there for someone, they're going to have a hard time folding after all this. If they've been chasing something and then they spike a set or better, they're going to they're going to call it. It would have been a correct call, too. You only had a pair of nines. Now, I don't know their history with each other, but that seems like shooting off money to me. Uh, I could understand kind of shitting your pants during this whole thing, given the the amount of money being put in. Like, if the money that was being bet wasn't that big, then this hand is fairly standard. Just someone's firing off and the other one backs into a not flush draw and, and, and then a flush and they win. Okay, so that's not a huge deal poker-wise. It's not like some shocking hand occurred. But it's it's the... Could you picture that the online pot that's the biggest ever was a pair of nines versus a backdoor flush getting there? And keep in mind, Imservic on the flop, he had nothing. 5-5-9, five, five, he had ace-king of spades on a 5-5-9 five, five, rainbow flop. So he had backdoor spades and overcards. That's it. The other guy has a weak pair of nines against what looks like might be a, a high-pocket pair. It wasn't, but it could have been. He had ace-king spades. Imservic probably would have played the high-pocket pair the same way. So, like, what was the nine doing here? What, what was Zwan doing with his nines? It's, a, it's not even like he could put him on weakness. Like, I don't understand this. Uh, when I got deep into the main event last year, this was basically my strategy. I mean, like, I, I, I was looking for these spots. This wasn't my entire strategy, but I was looking for these spots where people were just going to hang themselves against me. I, it, it was slow enough where I felt I could just wait until people hang themselves against me. And if you play the main event, that's what I suggest, too. That's, what, that's the best strategy you're going to have, unless you're really good at pushing people off hands and, and uh, things like that. If you, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to play a very aggressive style, the best option you have is to just uh, be very observant of what people likely have and just let them hang themselves against you. And uh, that's what I let people do. And that's what kept me alive. Now, sometimes that won't work out. Sometimes they'll really have it and you're going to bust, but uh, that's pretty amazing. I can't even imagine playing for that type of money. I don't think either of these guys have the type of bankroll that would be necessary to play these type of stakes. But they are. I mean, how do you, how do you feel when you lose that much money with that? Now, of course, this is just online. This happens live at these private games all the time. So, as far as poker hands played, this one doesn't stand out that much. As far as online hands played, it does. Rick Solomon is known for doing things like what this Zwan guy does. He just hammers it constantly, and it makes people uncomfortable. Because he, he shows up, 
he bets very big in these big games. And even the rich people start to feel uncomfortable because they're just having to commit so much money to each hand. And they're just like, it's, it's hard to do. Even if you have a lot of money, it's hard to do. I talked to someone who was in one of those games who has a ton of money, an old guy who has a ton of money who happened to end up at my World <coughs> Series table. And he told me he hates playing with Rick Solomon because Rick Solomon pushes, he makes every game play about five times bigger than it normally does. And so he thinks he's sitting down to a certain level of game that he's comfortable with, and Rick Solomon makes it play like five times bigger. And he said he hates it because Rick Solomon's not a bad player. If he was just a fish, it'd be fine, but Rick Solomon's just aggressive. He's, you know, he's fairly good and he's aggressive. Some of his being good is that he's aggressive at high stakes. If you put Rick Solomon at a 2-5 game, he probably wouldn't be very good. But Rick Solomon at these high stakes where he puts them to the test as far as whether they're, they're putting the type of money he does, a lot of them don't like it. People show up thinking they have a certain risk involved in that game, and Rick Solomon elevates it by like five times. So I, maybe that's what the Swan guy is doing. I don't know. I don't know much about him. Anyway, that happened. Trade risk game. Getting a bit of an echo here. Is this on speaker or something? No, I actually took it off mute. Oh, okay. All righty. We'll move on here. I don't do much poker strategy talk here, and I'm, I'm not a no-limit cash player for the most part. I play very little no-limit cash. For the most part, my no-limit hold'em experience these days comes from tournaments once a year at the World Series. Every time I come to the World Series, I have to shake a little bit of the uh, no-limit rust off. But, uh, I mean, you guys have seen, I, I've been competitive at these. I'm not saying I'm the best no-limit tournament player ever, but you, you saw the main event. You saw that they got 33rd in a... Uh, a 1500 event the year before. I, I've had a lot. Go look at my record on Hendon Mob. You'll see a lot of no limit caches. I can hang there, but I'm not a no limit cash player. Anyway, moving on. Uh, let's talk about something having nothing to do with poker or gambling, but something that someone I know ran into. This person is not a poker player or a gambler in any way. This person is actually a female who's around my age who has had some tough things happen to her. And she is disabled. And not one of these disabled people who's mostly healthy and calls themselves disabled. This person is legitimately disabled. Uh, It's a physical disability. It's not a mental disability. But uh, this person uh, is trying to get a job. And it's very tough being both disabled and it being COVID time. And this person and her husband, they don't have a lot of money. I've, I've known this woman for uh, almost 30 years. Uh, I saw that she was talking about a scam and how she had been scammed out of her bottom dollar, which she didn't have very much. So I think she got, I don't know the exact amount she got scammed out of, but uh, whatever it was, it was her last funds. And she was flat broke. And she wasn't making this up. This really happened. She didn't describe the scam. I was curious. uh, Just, I wanted to know what happened. And I was hoping I could also give her advice for the future. I wasn't going to rub it into her and say, oh, yeah, you're so gullible, blah, blah, blah. I I was going to just politely give her some tips so this doesn't happen in the future. And I, I also offered to her that if there's ever anything similar or anything she has a question about that might be a scam, that she's welcome to bring it to me and I'll give my opinion. I told her I'm an expert in these matters, which I think 
I would qualify as being one, given everything. So uh, she said she was very grateful that I was uh, making this offer. And uh, I'll tell you first about the scam she fell for, and then I'll tell you about the second scam that she was possibly going to fall for. She was little afraid, given what had just happened. Th- these were within like a few weeks of each other, so she was... Uh, paranoid and rightfully so after the first one but the second one she was considering and there were two different scams from different people and i believe with two different motivations and i'll cover both of them and i'll tell you what to watch out for because whenever i see a scam happen not only am i just kind of interested out of curiosity to know what occurred but also i like to think about How good is the scam from the standpoint of uh, how many people is it going to ensnare? So there's the very obvious ones that you have to be really gullible to fall for, like the Nigerian prince scam that began many years ago, that a Nigerian prince needs your help to get uh, $600 million out of the country, and he'll he'll pay you such and such for it. And, of course, that scam was that eventually he wants you to front him $10,000 for bank fees and then you'll get your your 10% of the $600 million, and you think you're going to be receiving $60 million, and of course it's all a lie, and they just run off with your $10,000 in fees. So th- that's a very old scam, the Nigerian scam, and truthfully, anyone who fell for that, even at the beginning of it, before it was well-known, was very gullible. Like the, the average person would not have fallen for the The average person would get that and laugh. You don't have to be an expert in detecting scams to know that Nigerian thing was ridiculous. But then there's other scams which are much more believable. There's other scams which uh, are much more clever, much more creative, and much more grounded in what seems like might be reality. And I find the whole thing interesting. Now, I don't give any credit to the scammer. I don't think the scammer ever deserves to succeed. These are almost always from foreign countries. So the truth is there's not going to be any criminal consequences But uh, I I enjoy seeing the scammers fail. I enjoy seeing people waste their time and mocking them and getting getting the scammer to send ridiculous pictures or waste the scammer's money. And there were websites that used to do this that would uh, actually do this crap to scammers and then would post uh, the history of the whole thing, including videos and pictures, and it was very funny. But – and I approve of all that. I think it's great. I think it's great to screw with scammers all you want. You can screw with scammers to your heart's content, and you're morally justified. You're more than morally justified, even if they haven't gotten you for anything. If you want to screw with scammers and make their life miserable and harass them, prank call them, have at it. I once uh, I once hammered a scammer. I've told this before. But I once hammered a scammer with phone calls all day and all night. I, I set my computer modem to call him day and night, just... Every second, like for every 30 seconds, his phone would ring. And he went nuts. He hated it. And he was screaming at me, begging me to stop. And I said to him, This is someone who tried, who stole my identity in a way. And I said to him, You know what the best thing about this is? I can do this with no guilt, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. You can't go to the police. You can't do a thing about it. I can do this to my heart's content, and you have to take it. What do you think of that? And he got so mad and screamed at me. <laughs> it, was, it was very satisfying because the guy was a piece of shit scammer from a foreign country. So anyway, um, 
I do though have an interest in just taking these apart and saying, oh wow, this is, this is kind of nasty. This is kind of bad. This can really get a lot of people. I can see how people fall for this. So these two scams, uh, especially the second one, I think the second one was, uh, better than the first in most ways as far as being believable. But both of them were pretty clever, especially because they came up during a time of COVID, which isn't a coincidence. Foreign scammers are constantly looking for new angles to scam people because eventually word gets around about the scams that they're perpetrating and uh, it gets harder to successfully pull off. So the old tried and true methods such as the Nigerian inheritance scam and the uh, the dating scams, uh, these are starting to get tougher and tougher, and often banks will get in the way. Sometimes they'll get gullible people willing to wire money, and the banks will say, no, 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 these, this is probably a scam, or the banks will put up a lot of hurdles to stop that person from wiring money and make it a huge pain in the ass for them to be able to do it when they suspect they're scamming. So these scammers are not making as much with these old methods as they did before, and they have to constantly come up with new angles. So a new angle has to do with the coronavirus and the fact that a lot of people are working from home and a lot of large companies, which before never had home-based employees, now actually has people taking customer service calls or doing other office work from home. And that part is true. That part is really happening. That part is not a lie. So you may have called your cable company and you get a customer service agent with a crying baby or a barking dog in the background. You never got that before. You get that this year because they are allowing people to work from home and they have adjusted their phone systems to bring the calls over on that person's phone at home and uh, and they can take the customer service calls that way and then they can use uh, a website that they connect to and, and log in with, with a login and password to do whatever they need to do for your account. So you, and I've, I've had a number of these calls already where I've had to call customer service and I'm calling a large company and I get someone who's clearly in their house, which never happened before this year. And it's understandable. I'm not criticizing that. In fact, I think it's responsible, especially given what has since come out about the coronavirus and how people are getting it in indoor air conditioned environments. And an office of course is one of those. So I think that's a good thing that these companies are doing it. However, this has opened up an opportunity for scammers. How? Well, scammers now are recruiting people to supposedly apply to work at these companies that are now taking people's applications to work from home. And people believe it because it seems plausible because they know from calling the cable company themselves that the cable company's hiring people from their house. And they, uh, know that many other companies are allowing people to work from home. So now the work at home for such and such reputable company seems a lot more plausible than it did before. Now, yeah, a lot of other companies allowed telecommuting before, but now it is so common that even jobs that traditionally were always in an office have gone into the home because of the coronavirus, which has opened the door for scammers to come off a lot more legitimate, and they have taken up this scam. How do they find their victims? Well, they have taken to places like Facebook and Craigslist to post job offerings. And these jobs look very good. Now, who typically responds to this? Well, a lot of people, because a lot of people are out of work right now. The job market is terrible. A lot of people lost their jobs as a result of the coronavirus and businesses closing or contracting. A lot of people are very nervous about the future because they don't know how long the government unemployment benefits are going to continue. And they are unemployed. And they think, crap, what if the government benefits stop 
And what if I can't find a job? I'm going to go broke. How, do, how will I survive? Even if I can't get evicted, which some states are is allowing now, uh, but even if I can't be, what about my other expenses? I can't get free groceries. I, I can't uh, get other free necessities. I'm going to be screwed. So some people are getting very nervous about the fact that they can't get a job. And lo and behold, as you're browsing through Craigslist or Facebook uh, in the ad section, there are jobs that are being posted that seem uh, pretty good if you typically take jobs that are uh, unskilled jobs. When I say unskilled jobs, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, but I'm saying they're not, they're not aiming this at hiring engineers this way, or they're not uh, aiming to hire doctors this way or lawyers this way. They're, they're, they're aiming to – or even uh, other uh, programmers. Like That's not who it's aimed at. This is aimed at people who work uh, – Jobs where you don't need a skill for them. You just need to go through some training and you can do it. Like a customer service job for the cable company is a very good example. And in fact, that was the example that was used for this first scam. What happened was she got, uh, she responded to an ad to work for the cable company. And the ad was basically saying that we we're hiring customer service agents to work from home. Now, on the surface, this would seem to make sense. Why? This would seem to make sense because if you've tried to call the cable company or the phone company lately, you've probably been on hold a lot. There's a lot more customer service calls coming in and a lot, and, and fewer people working than before. So there, it, it's very hard to make any kind of customer service call these days. And uh, for that reason, it would make sense that these companies need to hire more people. So – the scammers know people are aware of this. They know people are aware that these companies are having long hold times. They're trying to hire more people. The whole thing fits. So scammers are jumping on it, and they claim to be offering jobs. Now, you may think, well, where's the scam? If they're offering to pay you, how can they get money out of you? Trader risk, do you have any idea how they might be trying to scam people? through? Obviously, it's a lie, but what, what's the goal here? To get the, to get them to send something. What do you mean? What's the goal? Well, I mean, the scammers—they're obviously trying to get money in some way. But how are you going to get money from someone that is supposed to be working for you? If you're lying that you have that you're representing the cable company hiring people, how are you going to get money out of them? Right, because you're going to have them send you money for a check that maybe they cash or something. Isn't that the scam they run? You're, clo- you're close. Fake check. You have to pay half back or something. You're close. You're close. You're pretty pretty smart trader, risky. That's why I keep you around here. You're you're pretty close. So this person purported to be from Comcast Cable, and claimed that they were hiring customer service reps. Well, and they even sent them some stuff with Comcast logos on it that they made up, and the scam came from the, the fact that that the person who was going to work there is going to need some kind of equipment, so the scammer claimed. They claimed that uh, in order to work here, you need certain equipment to interface with our network, since you're going to be working from home instead of the office. So the scam came from, you need to buy the equipment, so that they somehow convinced her to buy some uh, prepaid cards, like vanilla cards, and that, and to give them the numbers that are going to be off these cards, because that's going to be used to buy the equipment to send them. Now they, they never explained very well why a big company like Comcast would need her to buy vanilla cards, 
and then be reimbursed, and why Comcast just can't just buy the equipment and send it to her. But they, in order to make her not afraid to do that, because of course someone said, you, know, you get hired from Comcast, and you said, okay, we'll buy these vanilla cards given to us, we'll buy you equipment to send you. Of course you're going to be a little skeptical. So this is where Trader Ruski's idea came in, that indeed they said, okay, we just to show you we're acting in good faith and that we're legit here, we're going to send you a check to cover the amount of vanilla cards we're going to have you buy to send us. And before you give us anything, you can deposit the check, and you can make sure it's in your bank account, and then the next day, you can go buy those cards. So people think, oh, okay, yeah, fine, they're going to pay me first. Sure, if I, if I give them the money right back, the worst I can do is break even. Even if this is a scam, I'll break even. So they sent her a check. She deposited it. It was a fake check that was going to bounce, but it wasn't going to bounce the next day. And uh, once she saw it was in her account, she went and got these vanilla cards and gave them to her. I gave them to the, the, the representative of the fake Comcast. Of course, they took those vanilla cards and immediately bought stuff with it, and then uh, that was that. Uh, the, they even did a fake interview with her beforehand. This is what they wrote. This is from a person who was uh, uh, on Google Hangouts as Mackenzie Keisha. Mackenzie Keisha, who is not really in the U.S., sa- says, uh, Welcome to Comcast, Inc. I believe you are here for the job and briefings where you will get to know all about the job position as well as the company information and history, question <laughs> mark. So now, this, this is where if you're better at catching scams, you catch on right away. Because someone who works for Comcast in America would not write like this. Welcome to Comcast, Inc. I believe you are here for the job and briefings where you will get to know all about the job position as well as the company information and history, question mark. That's like, uh, that's broken English. That's like, it's like one big run-on sentence that doesn't really say very much. <laughs> I get what they're trying to say. They're trying to say, welcome to Comcast. Uh, it appears you're here for the job. Uh, uh, we're going to give you some briefings where you'll learn about the job and uh, and about information of our company and our history. Uh, are you ready? Something like that. But they, they write this as one big incomprehensible lo- run-on sentence with a question mark at the end. Now, yeah, you can say maybe it's someone in the U.S. who just doesn't write well. But as soon as you see poor English uh, in any of these correspondences with a company that wants to hire you, you should immediately get suspicious. Not quite disqualify them yet, but immediately you should start getting very, very worried. Then they say, so then they, so then she says back, yes, thank you for the opportunity. Now keep in mind, she's disabled. She's excited about getting a job. She's low on money. Her husband uh, is not working either. I don't believe he's disabled, but uh, they're both unemployed. Uh, This was going to be her first job since, uh, She's only recently disabled, so this is going to her first job since becoming disabled. So she was very excited about uh, contributing. Uh, they so they were. She kind of didn't have her guard up as she should have, and she's also just not used to dealing with scammers and all that. So, you know, this happens. It wouldn't have happened to me, but it, it happened to her. So anyway, she so this scammer wrote back. I need I need you to provide me with quick answers. To these few questions, are you clean from felony? <laughs> that are you clean from felony? Could could anyone in the U.S. write like that? Like other than someone who dropped out of third grade? Are you clean from felony? How about do you have any felonies on your record, or do you have a clean criminal record, free of felonies? 
Are you clean from felony? Are you clean from hard drugs? So these are easy questions that almost everybody can say yes or will just lie and say yes. So they people think that they're oh wow I'm, I'm passing this with flying colors. So uh, of course she 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 uh, said yes I don't I, I don't have a felony I don't have any I don't do hard drugs blah blah blah. Notice they say hard drugs they don't even want to disqual- they don't want to disqualify potential victims who uh, who smoke a lot of pot. <laughs> <laughs> They, they want to make sure they, they get to still scam the stoners. So they, they're okay with the, with the pot smoking. They just don't want you doing hard drugs or at least admitting it. So then the scammer said back, in the mean space time, not mean time, the mean space time, the mean time, I need you to provide me with these following informations to enable the company's secretary's department to put you into register. And by the way, they're putting like apostrophe S for every plural word. Information has apostrophe S. Uh, secretaries has apostrophe S. So in the mean space time, I need you to provide me with these following information apostrophe S to enable the company apostrophe S, secretary apostrophe S, department put you into the register. Or no, put you into register, not even the register. Full names, address, state, city, zip code, date of birth, Cell number, email. Now, that sounds like a lot, but what can they really do with this? Like, I wouldn't want to give this to a scammer, but they can't do that much with that. Maybe some kind of identity theft, but they're not quite there enough to get... Like, the the date of birth can help a little bit, but it's still not quite enough. You can get a lot of this from public records. They don't need to trick people into this. So why are they doing it? Well, because they've got a routine down to make it... They've got to make you believe they're going through a real process of hiring you. They can't just say, "Okay, well, you're interested. Okay, now buy us vanilla cards." Like, that's never going to work. They've got to, they've got to make you believe you're really going through something. So first, you go through this little interview about the no hard drugs, about the, the you know, are you clean from felony? Yes, yes, yes. So then she she gave the her her true information, and then they write this. Your primary duties include preparation of balance sheets, parentheses, mini, account balancing, invoicing, recording, comma, proper data analysis of sales records, comma, and recording pay slips into accounting database. The supervisor, comma, who, who would be attached to you online. That's a sentence. The supervisor, comma, who would be attached to you li- online. I don't know what that means. Maybe they mean their supervisor will be watching you online. I, I don't know. He, she would assign logs of duty daily and you would be required to work according to instructions using the Microsoft Office tools and the accounting software. Now the function of the accounting software is to arrange, formalize, and manage the data you have processed sent to your supervisor via email. And there's all kinds of weird capitalization in this too. Can you handle the job duties, and job is even capitalized, if you are trained towards it? So she says yes. Right away, there should be red flags here because, uh, I mean, the the English is absolutely terrible. So then, then they ask, uh, are you, then they actually, uh, they must have copied and pasted this somewhere because this is the only thing that's, uh, that's well written. Are you, one, are you currently employed? Two, how did you get your previous jobs? Three, what were your main responsibilities? Question mark, achievements, question mark. Four, have you been in the military before? So this, this is clearly just copy and pasted, which if they were smarter, these scammers, they would have just copy and pasted everything instead of writing. I know. Why did, why did they cut and paste that? <laughs> <laughs> cut and paste anything else. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, like, oh no, we can handle the rest of this. We write just fine. Yeah, I think they don't realize how badly they write. Okay, so then they, they wrote, uh, we are going mainly into the interview now, and I, this is before they 
did the copy and pasted questions. And, and I advise you should read my question I ask you. After due examination, you are required to send back your answer back to me over here. The, the quick with your answers and also questions if necessary. <laughs> I mean, I hate to laugh at this, but... Okay, so, so then there's like 18 questions which were copy and pasted. I won't bother reading them. I read you the first four. Then the hiring supervisor, Mackenzie Keisha, says, I need you to hold on online because I need to forward our conversation to the head department to enable them to see if you are committed and go for this job. I need you to hold back online, okay? She says, sure. Then after waiting a few minutes, your interview percentage scored and consideration stand is available now on my desk. What? Are you ready to know your stand? She means standing. She mean, the, the, the person trying to say, your, the, interview, the score of your interview was high and it, it meets our requirements. And uh, uh, the stand, your standing as far as our offer to you is on my desk. Would you like to know what it says? That's what they're trying to ask. But what they wrote was, your interview percentage scored and consideration stand is available now on my desk. Are you ready to know your stand? She says, yes, please. He's, and then Mackenzie says, you scored 83% on the question apostrophe S answered, and for your consideration, you have just been a, a committed, qualified for the job. Uh, due to your level of experience and communication skills, the company has decided to give you a chance to work for the company and would like to see your diligence, charisma, commitment towards this job. Congratulations. Now, in her defense, in her defense, uh, I've dealt with Comcast before, and I actually have dealt with employees dumber than this one. <laughs> so maybe she, maybe I see why she believed it. Anyway, so then... Well, hey, if this was a sign at Caesars, you wouldn't think twice. Right, right. If this was Caesars hiring me, I'd say, oh, yeah, it seems like Caesars to me. So so then she so she was very excited. She put like a lot of smiley faces. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And she, I feel so bad reading this because it's, that wasn't like phony. She was so excited that, like, being recently disabled that she could still hold a normal job and be, like, useful to the household, which I, I don't even think her husband was, like, pressuring her to work or anything. I, I think she, it's like she was telling me that she just wanted to, that she kind of was sitting there disabled and felt kind of worthless, even though it's understandable why, especially now, why she couldn't get a job. She just kind of – it was a big blow to her self-esteem. And she's thinking, well, if at least I could have a job and contribute to the household, I won't feel as bad about being recently disabled. So, uh, so I felt really bad reading this. And then they wrote, do you have access to a printer? Uh, they sent her this fake form with, with Comcast watermark on it. And then she said – and it, it was an invoice. Let me say what the invoice says. The invoice is for uh, – um, wow. I, I, I didn't – for some reason, I didn't see the full invoice before. I just kind of saw without blowing it up. I'm kind of afraid to even ask her how much she paid here. Uh, it says Comcast with a logo they must have grabbed from the web. Comcast working equipment for employees. Salesperson James something. It actually cuts off. P- purchase order number nil. <laughs> nil. Uh, requisition ship when completed ASAP. Ship via FedEx. Uh FOB point checked. I don't even know what that means. Terms is blank. I don't know what that means either. And then it's a list of equipment that they're supposed to be getting. Now, I don't think she had this much money, but uh, this is what they're claiming. Uh, Apple iPhone 11 Pro 
one for $1,299. These are things she supposedly needs. One laser desk jet printer for $300. Actually, I'll buy that. Give me, give me that printer for $300. It's a pretty good deal. Uh, a fax machine scanner and laminating machine with five cartridges for $3,000. Now, that's not a good deal. Uh, one Apple MacBook Pro Retina 15-inch laptop for $2,000. And then for another $2,000, uh, software that is a U.S. patent single-users pack, simply accounting 2019, Microsoft Office XP standard upgrade, and Peachtree Premium accounting 2019. That doesn't sound like uh, it's a good deal for 2000 either. Anyway, subtotal $85.99, sales tax $235, shipping and handling $175.50, total due $9,009 they were asking for. Wow. I, I hope you didn't pay that much. I'll be honest here. I, I thought she got scammed by – I thought she got scammed out of her like bottom $1,200 or something, which – also sucks, but if she really lost 9K over this, I feel really terrible for her. Whew. Um, now, keep in mind, when they're trying to scam these people, a lot of people taking these type of jobs do not have 9K liquid sitting around. Like, uh, you, you can forget that playing poker where people having 9K cash is uh, is very common, even if it's not there. Even if they're broke and they're borrowing it or getting staked, but... Um, a lot of people, especially those who work uh, these type of jobs, are not sitting on 9K. But uh, I'm sure the scammer doesn't. We'll drop, but the problem is, is oh, we only have 2,500. Oh, let me, oh, we can do it for 2,500. Right. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, that they they're not going to turn them away for saying I only have this much. And the scammers know that not everybody has 9K who's going for these type of jobs. In fact, most of them don't. But but it, whatever they scam is obviously terrible. From the, like this is also pisses me off most is when when the people who are poor and can least afford it get scammed out of their bottom dollar that just gets it get, really gets me so angry like uh, uh like these scammers they just you may wonder like what's in the head of these scammers and the way they justify it like they they don't the scammers don't see themselves as super villains they think that they live in a poor country like nigeria and they think that the more wealthy countries like the U.S. and the U.K., that they've just – they basically are screwing the world, that they – it's unfair, that they – these companies have all kinds of privilege. A lot of it isn't deserved. A lot of it they – that the company – the country is privileged because of some uh, shady activities that the government has employed over the years or did many years ago and leaving their company impo- – their country impoverished, blah, blah, blah. So they believe that and they believe that uh, they're just kind of equalizing it. They're taking what – should be some of theirs that their country is very poor and their and and a lot of it's not their country's fault they think so this allows them to take from those who are in these rich countries the problem is first of all that's not even correct but 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 even if it was they're not taking from the rich people they they're they're taking from the poor and the elderly usually that's who they that's who they scam that like who do they think is going to take this job someone with millions of dollars obviously not so uh but they don't care. They just, they, they're really just – they're thinking about money, but that's kind of the way they justify to themselves of why they're not horrible people. So uh, anyway, they asked for that 9000 and uh, they said, note, the company would provide full funding to all programs and equipment apostrophe S needed to get you started with training. You are getting all your working equipment from the company's certified vendor. This is not a sales job. I believe you understood, question mark. And she says, yes, absolutely. The company will provide you a payment to purchase a 
to purchase A for the installation of those equipment before they shift it to your home address. I believe the company can ensure your commitment in full trust of their funds. Yes, absolutely. So this is this is something scammers love to say. They love to say, can I trust you? And you, of course, say yes if you're a victim. If you're a victim, you think that you're making some kind of agreement. You're, you think you're doing it in good faith. You think they have to trust you, and then that makes you trust them. That's, that's a common psychological trick that scammers like to pull where they say, can I have your trust? Can I trust you? And then you're kind of feeling like you're exchanging trust that way rather than just like, can you trust me? It's uh, can I trust you first? And then it's implied that you also would trust them. The company will provide you the funds to purchase those one vanilla prepaid MasterCard for the installation of all equipment before shipping to your home address through FedEx. And I believe you get me the correct address to your home. Yes. Okay, so you see how this is working here. They send her a check. She buys the vanilla cards to buy the equipment. And uh, I don't know if they have her enter this on a fake website to buy the equipment or if they just have her give them the cards to then uh, buy it. They probably claim through some sort of uh, technicality they have to do it that way. So she wrote to me, this is when I should have known it was a scam. But I thought this is maybe how things are done during a pandemic of the new process to get a job secured. This is the woman writing to me what happened to her. She said, they electronically deposited a check into my account as reimbursement for cards, but it bounced the next day. In hindsight, I know I was stupid, but I was desperate for a job to be accepted in the job market uh, as someone who's disabled. And I was making my husband proud of me because of the job excitement. And because of the job excitement, uh, I got overwhelmed in the process. So sad story. Uh, now, she was still not understanding that uh, having an 818 phone number, this is someone who lives in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles, which is what 818 is. These scammers had an 818 phone number, despite, of course, not being in the San Fernando Valley. They're in a different country somewhere. Uh, She wasn't aware of the fact that area codes don't mean anything anymore. In fact, country codes don't mean anything anymore. You can get a phone number anywhere. I actually have an app where if I want, I can get a phone number anywhere in the world, almost anywhere in the world, for like 10 bucks. I can get free numbers in the U.S., and I can get almost anywhere in the world, even some obscure third-world countries, for 10 bucks a month. So it means nothing. I could be, do all the sitting in my house. So they do the reverse. They, they get these free numbers, or these free or very cheap numbers, in the San Fernando Valley and target people in San Fernando Valley, and people like her are not aware of the VOIP technology that allows phone numbers to be anywhere regardless of their country code or area code. She's around my age. She remembers back in the old days when 818 meant something, where if you had an 818 number, you lived in the valley. And it started with cell phones that people started getting, you could just get their number anywhere. It didn't have to be associated with the area where you were. And now with these with the VIP numbers so easily accessible for many years now, it's been where you can have a number anywhere no matter where you are. But a lot of people still don't know that, especially people who are not young and grew up in the time where your country code and area code and sometimes even prefix really said something about your location. So she still believed that, and that's that part's understandable. So uh, I, I told her, unfortunately, she reported to the police. You know, I said... I hate to tell you, but these are foreigners. 
this happens all the time. The police always get these complaints. They know there's nothing they can do. They just take the report, and that's that. And she understood. But I said, unfortunately, you're going to have to just uh, find a way to uh, move on from this. And just, uh, just if this ever happens again, if there's ever anything that comes up again like this, because I know you're still looking for a job, um, if there's any doubt, bring it to me. I'll be able to tell, and I'll be able to give you advice. So she did. This this other scam happened in July, the end of July. Well, on August 14th, just a week ago, she ran into another one. Again, she got this from Facebook. I think you shouldn't look for jobs on Facebook. I think that's the answer here. But she got this from Facebook. Now, the second scam is actually in some ways more convincing, but in other ways has the same hallmarks of scamdom as the first one did. And... This one had a weakness the first one didn't in that it was not as reputable seeming of a company like Comcast. The strength of the first one was that you thought you were dealing with Comcast. This one was using an obscure company to claim you're working for them, but they otherwise executed it better than the first, was it, which, as you saw, the first one was not a very complex scam. It was, it was kind of clever about hitting people during COVID time, but it wasn't very complex. So here, here's the scam that she was hit with the second time. And before you get bored and turn this off, this is actually a different scam with a different goal. So here's what she got from a person named Kay Lane with a kind of generic looking picture of a fairly pretty blonde woman who looks like she's in her th- like early 30s. This Kay Lane with like a filtered looking picture they must have gotten from the web. It definitely was not Kay Lane. And I later f- figured out, I don't know where the first one was from, but this second one is from Nigeria which I'll tell you how we figured this out later. But uh, Kay Lane wrote this to her. My company is hiring... Actually, this is posted on Facebook. My company is hiring for a seasonal full-slash-part-time data data entry position. You must have internet connection and smartphone. Great for stay-at-home jobs. Those looking for a stay-at-home job. Flexible hours and no experience needed. This is strictly an online and work-from-home job. The working hours are flexible, and you can choose to work from anywhere of your choice. The pay is $20 per hour. And that's all one sentence. Okay, so that's, uh, it's not, uh, it's, it's, the, this sounds better than the first one, but it's these big run-on sentences again. Training is $15 per hour, and you will be getting your payment every weekend via direct deposit on credit, on, or credit card, and the maximum amount you can work is 30 hours. If you are employed, you are going to be working as a full employee, not an independent contractor. Reply yes if interested. I'm hiring for a data entry clerk at M15 Innovations. Now, what is M15 Innovations? We'll get to that shortly. So she, so this woman messaged to Kay Lane, and Kay responded back. And Kay is listed as crypto, play, crypto trader and entrepreneur. So Kay responded, Hi. I reviewed your application for our data entry clerk job, and I'm impressed with your background. I'd like to schedule a chat with you to discuss your experience. Thanks, Kay Lane. So the woman responded back, Hi, I appreciate you taking the time to view my information, blah, 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 blah. And uh, basically, uh, they gave a uh, an email address with Gmail, not with any kind of company name. And the company that was associated with it is supposed to be M15Signals. M, letter M, 15, number 15, signals. Well, 
M15 signals did have some Google results. I've never heard of them before, but they did have some Google results. Unfortunately, they weren't very good Google results. Now, I could not find any talk on anything I Googled about it being a hiring scam. However, I did see that there were uh, almost 1,200 reviews of uh, M15 signals on ForexPeaceArmy.com, uh, which does Forex uh, reviews for foreign exchange, that is. And they have slightly over one star. Like It looks like 1.1 stars out of five. So that's obviously not good. 1,198 ratings and only 14 reviews somehow, but every one of the reviews is bad. But the reviews are all talking about how it's a crypto scam and that it's not uh, anything beyond that. It, it's supposed to be what they call crypto signals, which I don't know that much about, but it has to do something with uh, with crypto trading. And uh, people have been complaining on there that it's just basically a scam, that the, the whole uh, – their whole service is a big scam. And that when they lose, they lie about losing and that they, they just open up a new trade and, and, and lie about the first one losing and that the, the whole thing is nothing. One of the reviews is, the signal is nothing more than trash. Uh, when the trade hits the SL, I'm not sure what that stands for, they, they say the trade is still running and they do not count the loss. In the report, the, they count only the green trades, but not the red ones, referring to that they only count the winning ones and not the losing ones. So the results seem amazing. The support doesn't exist. They give you random answers, unuseful. I lost all my money following the signal. Please stay out. Wow. So Probably a secure link, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, they they uh, every, every re- review of this is pretty much the same thing. They're all kind of, this is garbage, it's a scam. So I told her, okay, that's strike one. <laughs> the company itself looks like it's very shady. But that doesn't mean the job isn't real. Now, I, I wouldn't encourage taking a job from people like this. Like, why work for scammers? That's, that's not a good thing to do. But there did remain the possibility that uh, th- this would actually be a paying position. Like, that doesn't mean, maybe they do need customer service agents, uh, and, and they are going to pay them, but uh, it's a scam. Now, again, I, I wouldn't advise anyone taking such a job for both uh, ethical reasons and the reasons that they're probably going to screw you eventually too. Anyway, I said, uh, I'm curious where this goes. I don't suggest you work for them. They have a very bad rep, but let's see where this goes. Just play along. Don't send them a penny for anything. Do not give them any banking or credit card info. I said, this could be a real job for a shady company or it could be an outright attempt to scam you. Let's find out. So she agreed. So she, a few days passed, and then she said, hey, I got this job. Now she, she said, but now they're asking for info. Now, after what happened before, I'm afraid to give my information again. Here's what they sent me. Do you think this is legit? So uh, this is what they sent. On completion, you are expected to submit the following. Date of birth, social security number, full name, home address, routing number, Account number and bank account uh, and bank. I think they mean uh, oh, the name of the bank. Account number and rank for pay, and bank for payments. ID card. Thanks. That's a lot of sensitive information they're asking for. So I think this is an identity scam. 
it's possible after that they try to get you to uh, send the money. It's even possible they try to make unauthorized withdrawals from your account and try to uh, fake being you. But I think this is probably more likely an identity scam where they use all this information to then establish other things in your identity. Because look what they're asking for. Date of birth, social, full name, home address, bank account info, and a copy of your ID card. Well, that's pretty much... Now, now they're you. They're you. Yeah, they're right. They're you. So now I, I think, like, if they steal from your bank, the problem is the bank can reverse it. The bank, like, so it's, it's just not that simple to just get someone's routing and bank account info. I mean, every time someone give, gives you a check, you have their routing and bank account info. That doesn't mean you can just steal from them. So it's not that simple. It, sound, it sounds very scary to give that out, and I wouldn't give mine out to just any random people. But uh, someone having that doesn't mean that they can ruin your life. That just means that... Uh, uh, they're a step closer to stealing from you, but it's not that simple to just steal from you using that information. That doesn't just give them unfettered access to your funds. So um, I, I, don't, I think this is more of something they're asking for so they can just have so much information to be you. Well, but drop, yeah, but also I think what they could do if they want, you know, they could go to another state, get a driver's, you know, get another social security card. Get a driver's license. I mean, I think they, with that information, you know, then they'd have everything to open a bank account. Well, it's possible. It's possible that, that that's the Now, keep in mind, they're, not, they're foreign. They're in Nigeria. So no. that, 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 that does limit no. them. But uh, the, obviously, it's some kind of identity theft thing. Maybe there was going to be some money theft behind this. But uh, um, what I should have done is have her just – in fact, I, I don't think we are – I think that uh, I, for, I forgot what happened. I'll have to look at the end of this. I was going to have her just give completely phony information and see what happens next. But anyway, uh, she should. this was completely uh, an identity scam and then maybe something behind it. But there is something just in, just in case you think there's a small chance that this is real because maybe it's just a shady company. They claim to be located in Miami. I told you in advance they're in Nigeria. Let's, pre- let's pretend we don't know that yet because I didn't know that yet when I was analyzing this. So what if this was legitimate, though? I thought for a second. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't give this stuff. And then I go, wait a minute. If you are going to work for them, they do need these things because they need your social. They need your social to pay you. They, if they're going to pay you electronically, they need your bank name, routing number, account number, and your ID card to prove who you are. So yeah, they they actually need these things and go crap. This and this is where I'm thinking, uh-oh. This is where maybe some people listening to this show can be vulnerable because this is easy to justify asking for. The first scam, you know, aside from claiming your Comcast which actually is hiring people to work from home, so that's the clever part. The part that wasn't so clever is that that was the basic uh buy vanilla cards and we'll reimburse you with a fake check scam that's been going on for a while, which is a different form of this. This one is asking for Identifying information which, while alarming at first, really does match what employers need from you. So a legitimate employer will actually want these things, and that's why people can fall for it. If anyone questions it, they can say, look, this is exactly why we need these things, and they can outline the reasons. And you go, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, my last job, I did give them all these things. I I did my last job, which wasn't an electronic job, but my last real job I had. I did. I gave them everything. I gave them a copy. Of my, I showed my copy of my ID. I gave them my social. I gave them my my address. I gave them my bank account. I, I gave them all these things. So that's standard. And uh, so so what makes this one hundred percent a scam? 
beyond a lot of the red flags we've already seen. Well, there was a PDF they sent her, a form to fill out. And in this PDF, another red flag right away. The date was 15 August 2020. Most Americans don't write the date in that way. I'm aware that sometimes appears that way on legal documents. So that, that by itself is not saying they're outside the U.S., but a lot of people uh, – I, I see that uh, Trader Ruski is dropping out. Is that true, Trader Ruski? I, I got to drop. Yeah, Okay. Uh, okay have well, a good week. I'll touch you this week. Thank you for coming on, Trader Ruski. We'll talk to you later. Uh, okay, brother. All right, All right. He didn't make it to the end of the scam segment. But anyway, the address of the company was the killer. That was the final stake – in the heart of this one. Not that I had any doubt. I knew it was a scam, but I wanted something real concrete to give her to say, this is why 100% it's a scam. The letterhead of the PDF they sent her said M15 Innovations, 105 Clark Avenue, Miami, Florida. What is the problem? What's the problem with that address they gave? 105 Clark Avenue does not exist anywhere in Miami, Florida. There is no 105 Clark Avenue in Miami. Look it up yourself. They also didn't put a zip code, which wouldn't happen if that was a real letterhead they were putting there. Why they couldn't Google any random address in Miami and put that, I don't know. Like, there's so many things they could have Googled that could have made sense. In fact, there actually are a lot of public, not public, but uh, private mail stop services that you can buy in Miami right in downtown that are on prominent downtown streets where you can put your in such and such downtown address, suite number, whatever. And it can fool people because I know these suite addresses have been around a long time. They've been around for many decades, but this is one right there on uh, the main drag of downtown. And you can actually buy addresses right there fairly cheap. In fact, we dealt with a scammer, a scam operation we've talked about on this show before that was supposedly based out of Miami but was really based in another country that did exactly that. They rented one of those mailboxes from abroad. But they didn't do that here. They weren't even that complex here. <laughs> they just made up a fake address. I mean, why not just take any address? I don't even care if it's something else that uh, – if it's an address with something else there. I don't care if it's a home address, just something that exists. But there is no 105 Clark Avenue in Miami. just does not exist. So I said, okay, well, in case you need a a real nail in the coffin, there is no 105 Clark Avenue in Miami. (laughs) So that was that. So she said, okay, I'm glad I checked. I had them, uh, I asked her to ask for a phone number. I was hoping they would have uh, a number in 818 like this other company did so I could call up on radio and screw with them. In fact, I was going to. I was considering making the call on behalf of her, with her permission. But I was going to ask her to give me permission to be her brother, and I was going to call up and then say I'm just checking on this for her because I'm concerned, and then pretend to not be that skeptical and pretend not to know it's a scam, but just ask them questions. But uh, it turns out that the number is in Nigeria, and I don't know. I kind of lost interest at that point. First of all, it's expensive to call there. Second, they're going to have very bad English skills. It's not going to be as funny as you think it would be. I had her ask them uh, 
first about the zip code. She said, please provide a zip code for mailing tomorrow. The person said, you're expected to send an email not to use local mailbox. That's why there's no zip code. Yeah, more like there's no zip code because the address doesn't exist. So she said, okay, but before I go any further with my information, I would like to contact HR. This is my suggestion to ask to talk to someone at HR, ask for a phone number. I have the company information. I can always contact myself. I would need Mr. Jin's number. I guess he's supposed to be the supervisor to verify work documents. So they, I, I think they just didn't answer her after that, which they must have seen that she was catching on here. Um, they, they can't give a, an American number if they haven't set one up. And often their spoken English is not good enough for a phone call. And that's why these prank calls aren't that good to these type of companies because they will they can write broken english with a lot of effort but if they have to speak it right on the spot they can't and it's very very slow and broken and hard to understand so it's very hard to communicate and thus kind of hard to prank them so i told her that a hallmark of a lot of these scams is that they do not have an american to talk to that either they won't have a number or if you ask for a number that you'll call up and get someone with a thick foreign accent who speaks very poor english and I said, once in a while, they'll have an American, but usually not. An American would be really valuable to them, actually. Like, they could do way better if they had a well-spoken American on the other end, some shady American who's willing to scam people, willing to be in on it. They could make a lot more money by having a well-spoken American on the other end to assure people that it's all okay. And who also could prepare the script of what they write to people a lot better. Like, this could really reel in a lot more people if it were done better. But like these are good ideas from a scam standpoint, but they're they're not executed that well because of the broken English and the lack of phone number and they don't have an American to talk to and a lot of the explanations are ridiculous. Like you, this could be done a lot better, but it's done well enough to scam people. And she even said here that the only reason she didn't send this info is because she was uh, concerned about the previous one, and that's why she brought it to me. But otherwise, she probably would have sent it. She said. So that's two of them in like two weeks. And she's not, it's not like she's going out looking for scams to screw with. She's really looking for a job and so far she's over two as far as getting one that's legitimate. It's not even like she's applied to 20 jobs and 18 rejected her and two were scams. Two for two have been scams. And they're preying upon people like that who are having a hard time finding a job, who don't have uh, a skill to where they're more marketable, someone who needs to work kind of just a, a lower-end, unskilled job, and is desperate for work now, and it's very hard to find jobs at the moment. And so these are available, and they have very low standards of who they'll hire. Of course, they'll hire anybody. I bet even if you said you have a, well, it would be fun. I would love to be in the interview and tell them like I'm, I'm convicted of serious felonies that I, uh, I that I just got out of jail for murder. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. Do you do hard drugs? Well, yes, I do. I I I, I, I snort cocaine every day, and I, I just shot up meth. Like I, I'd love to see how far I could take like the terrible qualifications and see if they'd still hire me. Which of course they would, because it's not a real job. But they're they're asking like really basic questions that almost everybody can say no to. Are you doing hard drugs? No. Well, you can you can, of course you can lie. They're not going to drug test you. Do you have a felony? Again, you can lie, and most people would say no truthfully. They make it seem like they have standards, which most people are going to pass. Almost everybody's going to pass. Anyway, I'm not just bringing this up here just to talk about a foreign scam. It's just because it's coronavirus related, there's there's uh, such a hard time in the economy right now in the job market. 
And because people are desperate for work and because people can get extra hopeful when they think they're going to get hired, you can sometimes throw your normal caution to the wind. I just hope they didn't get her for 9K. I don't think they did just because I don't think she had 9K. But I actually hope she didn't have 9K. I hope she was close to broke when this happened. But I know she spent everything, so I'd much rather they got less than more. But it's really too bad. These people are scum. And I've never had the job scammers contact me. I I get the calls with fake Microsoft a lot. That's a, I, I get a lot of those cold calls, and I like to screw with them. I like to frustrate them, and then at the end I like to say something insulting, and then they get really mad and hang up on me. Like I'll claim there's a pop-up on my computer, and I go, there's a pop-up here, I can't read this. And Hold on, let me see what this says. And I'll say, oh, look, the pop-up says... Warning, you are dealing with a scumbag, piece-of-shit scammer who's too stupid to know I've been screwing with him the whole time. Well, what does that mean? And then they, they just hang, they, they usually say, fuck you, and hang up on me. It's funny. I can hear the anger in their voices. They think they have a live one here. and they think, I'm, they think I'm following all the instructions of what to type into my computer, and they think I really believe that I have viruses and that they can fix it for $400, and then they get the bad news. Okay. Blissey is uh, listening. He says, are we down? I hope the f- it looks like it's up to me. Of course, he wrote this about an hour ago, so I hope I didn't talk to myself for too long. If you want to call in, including you, Blissey, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. We will move on to our next topic, which is, I think, the last one before the coronavirus uh, subject, and then we'll be done. I want to talk about Druff remembers life in Las Vegas in the 2000s. Now, I should have done this earlier in the show when I had more energy because I, when I tell stories, I have to like think about what happened and format it all in my head. And I'm better at that earlier in the show when I'm more energetic, especially when I'm talking most of the time. But I'm going to try anyway. So let me give you a bit of my history here. In 2003, I quit my job to play poker full-time. I did this because, number one, I was no longer happy at the job I was at. I had been there for five years, and I was happy there at first, but things went downhill. I won't get into why, but it was was a programming job. I just wasn't happy with some things going on there, and I would have left either way, but, uh, you know, even if there was no poker going on for me. But I happened to be doing very well at PokerStars in 2003. Uh, my breakout in poker occurred in April 2003. Up till then, I was kind of like a break-even player. but And I, I started playing in January 2001. So a little more than two years, I spun my wheels as, as a break-even player. I had little winning streaks and I had losing streaks, and it was, it was frustrating. I thought I was not going to really get anywhere playing poker. In April 2003, this is before Moneymaker won. He won later in the year. But April 2003, I joined... Poker Stars, which was a fairly new site. It went up in 02, but it wasn't yet the biggest site. And I started playing the highest I'd ever played online, which was 3060 Limit Hold'em. I played live higher than that, but I'd never played online as hard as 3060. I'd only played 2040 on Paradise Poker before that. So I was dominating that game from day one. Right when I deposited there, I started winning, and I was just crushing everybody. I crushed all the regulars. I was crushing all the fish. I was crushing these 
people who kept sitting with money over and over day after day turned out they were winning no limit hold'em tournaments and then coming to sit with me at limit hold'em and not understanding the difference of how like the strategy is totally different between the two games. So I was beating everybody. And I won $30,000 in April of 2003. And I was very excited about having won $30,000 in April of 2003. I didn't quit my job, though, because I knew I could just be getting lucky. So I said, let's see how this goes in May. In May, again, I won $30,000. This is a 30-60, usually at a single table, once in a while, too, but usually at a single table. So I was really kicking ass. And I was working. So I could only do this after work. I had to work. I had to drive to work. I had to drive back from work. I had to sleep. So I squeezed poker in the free time I had, not including the time that I was spending with my girlfriend, who was uh, not the current girlfriend, but the one before this one, Miri. Uh, I was with her then. So I also spent time with her. And she got with me just... I was kind of like a recreational player when she got with me, so... She was skeptical of this whole thing, of me playing poker for this much money, but I was winning a lot. Wasn't considering quitting yet. It just seemed so absurd. Well, I continued to do well. I wasn't winning 30K a month anymore. I I did run well in April and May, but I was still beating the game. I also returned to party poker, and I noticed the games got better there. So then Moneymaker won. Then the game started to get even better. And in August of 2003, five months after, I, or four months after I joined PokerStars and uh, started winning like that, I decided it was time to leave my job and devote full time to playing poker because it seemed a lot more lucrative. It looked like I'd make, make more money playing poker than I would continuing at that or a similar job. I didn't tell them that. I just, uh, yeah, they when I left there, there were certain things I was unhappy about and they were aware of that. I didn't blindside them. They, they knew that this was possibly coming and uh, I didn't tell them about poker. And I, the truth is I really would have left if it, it had nothing to do with poker. I, I, I was going to leave there either way. I just, the, the difference was I was moving on to poker instead of another job. At the time I left, I told my family that I was not going to have a job for six months. I said, I need a break. I've been uh, working for a while now. This job was very stressful. And now that I'm away from there, I don't want to move into a new job. I just won't have the energy and the motivation to do a good job wherever I go to next. Which was true. I actually would have done this normally anyway, even if there was no poker. So I said, I want to take six months. I can afford it. I've saved a lot of money, which I did. I can easily afford these six months. And I will... Look for a job in six months. My parents were a little skeptical of this because there will be a gap on my resume. And I said, no, you know, six months is not going to matter that much. And uh, I, that's what I'm doing. So I don't care what anybody says. That's what I'm doing. And that's what I did. But I didn't. what I didn't tell them and what I didn't tell my girlfriend at the time was that the six months was really a trial to see how poker went. And if I continued winning in those six months, I was not going to get a job again. If I fell back to earth and started to lose or even break even, then I would go look for a job again in February of 2004. But I continued to do well, and I had made up my mind, and then 
towards the end of that six months, I broke it to everybody that I was not going back to any job, which everybody understood because they uh, they knew how well I was doing in poker. So they, you know, it's not like people said, "Oh, wait, wait, wait," you know, you said you're taking a job. They 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 understood. They're, oh yeah, it makes sense. You're making more money this way. It totally makes sense. So I continued playing poker in 2004, but wasn't looking for a job. And that's what I was committing to do. At that time, I lived in California. Well, as we got towards the end of 2004, I decided that it probably was uh, better to move to Las Vegas for various reasons. So I did. I came back to visit to California, but uh, I, I lived in Las Vegas. I got an apartment the apartment I got was east of the Strip, but only three-quarters of a mile east. Three-quarters of a mile down Flamingo to the east, and uh, pretty close to Bellagio, obviously. Not a very good area, so actually I didn't want to walk there. The area actually was not good. I would not want to walk with money in that area, despite its proximity to the Strip. The second you go east from the Strip, the area kind of sucks. So, area wasn't good. Complex was, uh, it was a nice complex. Not a like luxurious complex. It was built in the early 90s. It's kind of like a middle-end apartment complex. Very popular with strippers and prostitutes. But more of the high-end ones. When I say that, it wasn't trashy. It wasn't like a, a drug-infested drug shithole. It was. This is where the prostitutes who charge you uh, $1,000 per visit lived, or uh, the, the, the strippers that work at the high-end strip clubs live. And I saw a lot of them around. In fact, it was funny. I would, I would be... Uh, I would look at the Craigslist ads, and, and I, I tell you this seriously. I'm not just saying this because I don't want to admit to it. I, I would really look at the Craigslist ads just for a laugh, not because I was looking to hire anybody. I never called anybody. I never I was considering calling anybody. I just thought they were interesting. I thought I, I loved reading the way they would hi- try to hide but not hide that they were hookers by talking about 400 roses or 1,000 roses we had to bring them or it, it was interesting, but I'd see pictures of them, and a lot of times I'd recognize my complex. Like they take the, a picture of themselves, like standing on a balcony or standing uh, in the hallway, and, and I, I would recognize my complex. And I go, oh, "This girl lives here." But they, they liked it because it was Center Strip. It wasn't expensive. It wasn't really cheap, but it wasn't expensive. It was decent, and it was Center Strip, so it was very convenient both for them to travel to men in hotels, and for the men to come to them. For some reason, I, I don't recall seeing Johns come in, but maybe I couldn't tell. Maybe the Johns just looked like regular dudes who I thought lived there, and in reality, they were Johns. I didn't have any of the hookers living like right next door. I would just see them in the complex. It was a big complex. I'd see them in the complex. I'd see them in the elevators. Um, so it was in late 2004 that I made the move. And I, I got a bunch of stuff together, and uh, I threw it in my car, and I drove to uh, to Vegas. I had already rented the apartment. I already had arranged to rent it, so that was waiting for me. But was not waiting for me was any furniture. So I said, okay, I can do without everything right now except for a bed. So I'll, I'll get a bed first. I need the bed right now. I'm not going to sleep on the floor. I'm not that much of a degenerate. But I'm going to get a bed. And uh, then I'll sort the rest out later. So I went, I just found a mattress store and just stopped there with no research. I just stopped there. 
But I knew how mattress stores work. You can negotiate, which is different than most things in retail. You walk into stores typically of, of any other type, usually you can't negotiate. You know with buying cars you can negotiate, but most retail items you can't say, oh, no, no, I'll pay this price. I don't care what the sticker says. I'll pay this price. You, you walk into most stores and say that, they'll laugh at you. Uh, in mattress stores, you can actually do that. And if you don't, you're getting ripped off. So I knew that, and I negotiated with the guy. The thing is that the, the guy was uh, playing games with me, and he, I, I had a feeling he wasn't giving me a good price. I wasn't getting a terrible price, but I thought I could do better. So I said, what do I do here? Like, I don't have data that I could – like, I've tried to push it. He's insisting this is his best price. I think it's not, but I can't prove it, and I can't really comparison shop – because all these mattresses have different names, so I can't even go to a different mattress store. I kind of see one that's like it, but it could be of different quality. They all do this. They do this on purpose, by the way. They have different names depending upon where they're distributed because they don't want you price comparison shopping. So I called up my girlfriend and I said, you know, I don't know what to do here. I'm, I think I'm going to end up paying too much here, but I, I, I need the mattress tonight. The guy doesn't know how desperate I am. The guy doesn't know that I need one tonight to sleep on it. I'm not going to walk away with that one. So, uh, yeah. Yes, he doesn't realize I'm in that desperate of a position, but he's not budging any further, and it just seems a little too expensive. And so my girlfriend said, I actually, you know, she told me about this friend that she has that I'd met before, that she said her boyfriend actually works in a mattress store in L.A. I said, oh, perfect. So she called her friend. Her friend called her boyfriend at work, told him the name of the mattress that I was going to order, and he had a way to look it up, being in the industry himself. He had a way to look up what that mattress actually was and what they sell it for in his store and what their bottom line price is over there. So he gave her that information, which was then relayed to me. This took a while. This wasn't instant. I, I waited about half an hour while this was all being done. I told the mattress guy I'll be coming back, which probably helped my position that I wasn't just jumping on it. I, I walked out and appeared to be just gone. And uh, I got that information. I walked back in and I said that, I left to go research. I told them the truth. I said, I researched with somebody I know who works at a mattress store in LA who was able to look up what this mattress will sell for bottom line at his store. So that's the price I'm willing to pay here. Take it or leave it. And what do you think happened? You think he threw me out and told me this is Las Vegas, not LA and tough luck? Of course not. He said, okay, you got a deal. So I, I, I saved, like, I think about $250 more. I, I did a lot better. It was worth it half an hour, definitely. So it was nice I had that connection to the mattress store. So they delivered it that night. I drove up during the day. So I was actually able to arrange that they deliver at 6 p.m. or something. And they brought it. And there I had a mattress and box springs and... A little stand for the bed, but not much else. I had like a little metal, a cheap metal frame it was on, and a uh, box springs and a mattress, but that was all I had. And I had no furniture. But at least I could go to sleep, and I had a lot of my stuff in my car, and I had a TV, and I had uh, my wireless router. I, I had a lot of the basic necessities, what I needed immediately there. Of course, I had my laptop computer. I think I even brought my desktop with me. Uh, anyway, I was set up there and so began my life in Las Vegas as a Nevada resident.
not too long after that, I got my Nevada ID. And uh, it felt a little strange. It felt a little strange that I was no longer a California resident. I wasn't born in California, but I spent uh, the almost my entire life in California. That's where I grew up, other than being a baby. But it was a little bit weird to now be a resident of another state. There was still the matter of my girlfriend. Uh, she had a job at the time. And I would come a lot to go see her. She'd come a lot to come see me. Eventually, she quit that job and went to come be with me in Vegas. And that's where she got to know a lot of the poker people. She, Once she was in Vegas, she didn't have a group of friends anymore. Her friends were back in L.A. So that's how she got to know that whole uh, Joe Seabach crowd and, uh, and Joy Miller and all those other people who were part of it. Uh, 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 Brandon Cantu was among them. Uh, some of them she was closer to than others. But she got to know that whole group. And she kind of tried to bring me into it. But I, I just never clicked with them. I didn't hate them. I didn't dislike them. I just kind of didn't feel like I clicked with them. I just didn't, like, I just said, okay, just do your own thing. She wanted to go hang out with them. She did. Uh, I came along occasionally, but I, I just wasn't that interested in it. Like, uh, it's funny because over the years, um, most of the friends I made through poker were ones I made through either the forums I was posting on or these shows. The people just generally in the poker community, whenever I kind of like, fell in with a group or someone introduced me to some group, uh, I, I would try hanging out with them and I just wasn't that interested. I didn't felt like I, I didn't feel like I had a lot of common with them. I just, I didn't feel I was clicking with them. And I just, you know, some people want to hang out with, with names in poker. So they feel cool. That was never me. You know, I just, uh, I could have, and I, I could have faked it. I could have acted like I really liked them and hung out with them all the time, but I just, uh, I wasn't interested. I didn't have a falling out with anybody. I later I had a falling out with Joe Seabach because I called him out about UB, but that was much later. So, um, but before that, I'd actually hung out with them sometimes because it was part of that group. I never hung out with them individually, but we, like, we knew each other before then. Anyway, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So in Vegas, I did a mixture of playing online poker and live poker. Uh, in, mid, in the mid-2000s, that was the peak of the poker boom. Remember, Moneymaker won in the middle of 2003. And then everybody wanted to be him. He was an everyman. He wasn't someone who seemed intimidating. He wasn't someone who seemed out of reach to become yourself. He was just an average, everyday guy who wasn't a pro poker player, who put $40 on poker stars, won his way into the main event, and then just kind of felt his way through the main event and between some good luck and some uh, correct moves and some incorrect moves that got lucky, he won the main event for two and a half million dollars. And everybody looked and said, that could be me. I could be just as good as Moneymaker. It doesn't seem to require amazing natural poker skill. And that really, really helped fuel the boom. Him and the World Poker Tour and the World Series of Poker showing whole cards on TV, the World Poker Tour did it first, that really caused a poker boom to where there were a ton of new players in the game. It was also fueled by the fact that there was a lot of money flowing around the country because the economy was great and the housing bubble has not had not popped yet. So remember, housing prices were going up, 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 and this was making the economy 
temporarily very strong. When I say temporarily, it lasted some years because this was going up a long time and it really accelerated in the 2000s until we had that massive crash in 2008, which I knew was coming. I just didn't know when. I, I didn't predict it would be in 08. I predicted at some time between 05 and 10, we were going to have a major crash. And I was afraid to buy anything at that point, which was the reason I never bought anything in Vegas, by the way. I never owned anything in Vegas. That's exactly why. Otherwise, I would have bought something. That apartment was the reason. I bought the apartment there, and I, I rented the apartment there without plans to buy anything exactly for that reason. I didn't know when the crash was coming. It could have been 05, 06, 07, 08, 09. I knew it was going to be one of those years. Just So every year that passed, it didn't happen. I didn't feel wrong. I was like, no, I'm not wrong. I just don't know when it's going to happen. I know it will. I don't know when. It would be like if uh, you sent me back to that time and you let me remember the crash but made me forget the year it happened. That's pretty much how I felt then. That just about 100% knew it was coming but just didn't know when. Anyway. Uh, I played a mixture of online and live poker. There was I, I played Limit Hold'em almost exclusively. I typically played 100, 200, sometimes a little bit lower, sometimes a little bit higher, sometimes a lot higher, but usually it was around 100, 200. Uh, online, I'd play higher, but live, I was usually, it was usually around 100, 200 there. Sometimes I played at Commerce when I came to LA. Uh, I didn't play any tournaments yet. Not in 04. I had no interest in tournaments. And a lot of people were moving to Vegas to play poker professionally. It wasn't just me. A lot of people were. A lot of people were doing it with much less of a bankroll. And when I say much less, I mean much, much less. Remember, I was in my early 30s by this point. I had built up money working a computer programming job, two different ones over time, making decent money, not huge money, but decent money, and not spending much. I was spending, I, I wasn't going without, I was getting the things I wanted, but I was also being good with my finances, and I wasn't blowing it, and I was saving a lot each month. So I had a bankroll coming into all this. I didn't even need the money that I had made in 03, though that, that helped too, but I already had money for my job. So I came in with an existing role. And I was also aware of the fact that uh, I had to be careful not to chunk it off, that if I started running bad, I'd have to re-examine things and maybe drop down limits or, or change something or whatever. So I, I did both. Um, I didn't yet have any kind of dating experience in Vegas because, remember, I had a girlfriend, a long-term girlfriend since one. So I was not uh, – I had no involvement with that yet. Uh there were a lot of pro poker players that moved there. A lot of them moved with very little money. A lot of them had kind of a depressing existence where they would uh, barely grind out the rent at low or lower mid stakes. So these were people who were playing not to get rich, but just to survive, which to me seems very depressing. They would it's not even like they were playing, hoping to run it up and then move up limits and hope to get rich. They, these were people who were just forever stuck 
at limits that were never going to make them very much money, but they were comfortable. They could scratch out a small hourly win of the game that after enough hours could pay the bills. But to me, that just seems terrible. Like at that point, you might as well get a job in my opinion. But that's what some of them did. I even knew others who didn't play live, but then moved to Vegas and then ended up like playing online, breaking even and surviving on rakeback. I kid you not. I knew rakeback pros there that put in such volume online that that's what paid their rent. But uh, but they didn't really beat the games. They broke even. You had a lot of people there that fell victim to the allure of the sins of Sin City. I don't want to say that to sound uh, cliche, but uh, that's really what happened to a lot of people. There were a lot of very talented poker players that came through who don't play poker anymore and who probably won't ever play again. In fact, they were so broken by their experience in Las Vegas that even if they were to return to the tables, they wouldn't be good anymore. They kind of lost their mojo as far as poker because of the way it ended for them. What things am I talking about? Well, first of all, there's the gambling issue. When you play poker and you're good at poker and you beat people at poker and it feels like you can print money in poker and you're running well in poker, you can start to believe you're a gambling Superman. And you can start to believe that you can beat everything, even if there's no logical reason. You can start to feel like you can beat blackjack without card counting. You can start to feel like you can uh, beat sports. That was a big one that killed people. They would bet on sports because a lot of times people realize that the casino games have a house edge, but you go, sports? Well, I know a lot about sports. I, I'm a big sports fan. I, I always have a good idea who's going to win and lose. And yeah, I, I bet I could beat the books. And so they start betting on sports and they get be- betting bigger and bigger, especially because they're used to playing poker big. So they go, well, I mean, betting 10000 on this game feels a little funny, but hey, I, I win and lose $10,000 pots uh, a few times a week. So what's the big deal? So they, they justify the sports betting based upon their poker swings, and they bet very big on sports and lose their ass. And then they get start betting bigger and bigger because they're trying to chase losses. You know how it goes. Others would inexplicably develop a pit problem. I know of a very good limit hold'em player. I'm not going to say his name. A very good limit hold'em player who definitely wins and has always won and is perpetually broke. And I'm not, I'm not talking about never win, in case you think I'm talking about never win. I'm talking about someone that I, I've never mentioned on this show before. Not a really well-known player. He's known in limit, in limit hold'em communities, but he's not a really well-known player. But he's perpetually broke. Perpetually being staked by other people, perpetually broke, beating the game all the time, but perpetually broke because he chunks off his money in various ways. This is true to this day. This person still plays. Still broke. So there's there were a lot of people like this that uh, had these gambling leaks or life leaks because when you win a lot of money, what do many people like to do? Well, what I like to do is I like to put it in the bank. But there's some people who don't. There's some people who like to spend it. They feel like a big win is not fun unless you can buy yourself something. A big win is not fun unless you can upgrade your lifestyle. Having money is not fun unless you can live like you have a lot of money. 
And if you live the same way as you did before you won all the money, you've done something wrong. What's the point, they think. And they justify it again. Well, look, what I'm about to spend here is the difference between a river card hitting for me or not hitting for me. So I'll just pretend the river card didn't hit for me and I'll spend this money. But you can't engage in that thinking. And not only that, it's not a one-time thing. It's, it's, it's one thing if you make a one-time purchase of something that's a splurge and you say, okay, that's, that's my one time acting a little bit irresponsibly with my money, but the rest thing will be responsible. People can't do that usually. Usually people will keep spending in that way, or they'll make a lot of small to medium wasteful purchases that add up and end up blowing all their money. So I saw a lot of that going on. I also saw a lot of people buying real estate, which normally is a good idea to preserve uh, the money you've made especially if you buy it in cash, then you have an asset that you can't gamble away. But I've seen people who have bought real estate in the mid-2000s and then just got their ass kicked by the crash that was going to come in 08. I was terrified of that. That's why I wouldn't do it. And believe me, I had people who were pressuring me, not heavy pressure, but they were, you know, they kind of, made fun of me because they knew I was doing well and they said, why are, you, why are you living in these apartments? These apartments are okay, but they're not anything special. You can afford a lot better. Why are you not living? Why, why don't you buy a nice condo? Why don't you buy a nice house? And I said, because it's it, the market's going to crash and I'm going to lose a ton of money. That's why. And then the next year would pass and it would go up more and I'd look like a fool because I would have made money, at least on paper, because what I could have bought a year later is now worth more, so I would have made money on it. But that, of course, only would have been if I sold it right then, which I probably wouldn't have. So ultimately, I probably would have lost money unless I held on for a lot longer, and then it eventually would go back up. But a lot of that, you know, you couldn't predict anyway. The only thing I could predict was that there was going to be a big crash, and then from there, it was hard to tell what would happen. So a lot of people, especially the young people, had a very hard time managing their money. A lot of them also developed drug problems or alcohol problems or both. And this especially would occur because a lot of people would get together who played poker and watch other people do this. So if you're by yourself, there's less temptation to do drugs or drink a lot. But if, if you're socializing with other people, especially who are doing drugs, especially who are drinking a lot, you, you want to do it too. So I saw a lot of people suffer from alcohol and drug problems, which also would ultimately leave, lead to the destruction of their bankroll, often because they would make very bad decisions when they were on drugs or alcohol, in addition to what they were spending on the drugs. So I saw a lot of that happen. Um, in Vegas, I got to notice something else. And this isn't talked about very much. But I kind of noticed that healthcare sucked. <laughs> I got to really hate healthcare in Las Vegas. And the last I saw, it was still like this. In fact, John Mahaffey, he was tweeting about a year or two ago about some bad experiences he had for his daughter. It wasn't his situation, but he was, of course, directing it. He has like a 15-year-old daughter, or at least that's what he was back then, and all kinds of crappy situations he was going with there with the 
doctors in Vegas, and he, he talked about the public on his Twitter. I'm not giving away any uh, secrets of his. But uh, what I found in Vegas was that uh, the doctors had mass over-consolidation. And there was a reason this was done. But the the doctors would consolidate in each specialty into like a mass office of like a ton of doctors all working together. And you may say, oh, wait, that sounds good. This way it's easier to get an appointment and it's all in one central place and they can all share equipment and keep costs down and and, uh, and, and you can – one can consult the other. Well, that's in theory. In practice, this is awful. There's no competition within the specialty. They treat everyone like shit. Everyone's kind of treated like a number more than in other doctor's office situations. I mean, you really were like a number there. They'd rush you through. They would give you pretty much substandard care. You, they, they barely listen to you. Just take a guess and prescribe something to you. Uh, be rude. You'd sit there in the waiting room for 90 minutes. Uh, the office ladies, who typically are terrible in doctor's offices anyway, were especially bad there. They were incompetent oftentimes. It, I mean, it was a disaster. Now, why did they consolidate? Because this was a trick to deal with insurance companies where uh, it was basically a way to fight insurance companies underpaying them, or at least they perceived being underpaid, where you have a right – as uh, a healthcare consumer to go to a doctor in your area, you're never forced to go to another area doctor just because they're not in network. So if like in, if a doctor of a certain specialty is, uh, if there's not a doctor in network within X number of miles of where you live, you have a right to go to one out of network and the insurance has to pay anyway. So the way the doctors can kind of price fix is by consolidating all into one office and negotiating together and saying to the insurance company, either you raise what you're paying us or we're just not going to accept your insurance and then everybody who goes to us is you're going to have to cover them uh, in network even if we're out of network. So you're going to have to cover us anyway. What do you think of that? And the, (laughs) the insurance would be over a barrel and they'd have to do it. So in Vegas, this was going on really badly. This goes on everywhere, but this is really going on badly in Vegas. And every specialty were these mega offices. And even the few that weren't part of the mega offices, it seemed were terrible. So just about every healthcare experience I had in Vegas was negative in some way or another. So I, I really came to dislike the healthcare there. Um, I even had this in dentistry. I, I had a periodontist there who was examining my teeth and he says to me, oh man, you have a gigantic cavity back there all the way in the back. And I said, uh, really where any point to the tooth? And I said, uh, oh, oh, um, I went to a, actually a, a different dentist I was at last year. They told me this looks like it might be resorption, but it, but since you can't do anything to stop resorption, I might as well just wait to see what happens. It's not hurting me yet. So, uh, we're just leaving it alone. And the doctor says, huh, that doctor's an idiot. That's not resorption. I said, well, they they said it was. Uh, and they showed me the, the x-rays. Is, that's, that's a giant cavity. That, uh, that doctor's dumb. That 100% that's not resorption. He was so confident, so arrogant about it. Well, guess what happened? Some more time passed. The tooth started to hurt. And it started to really hurt. 
I went to a different dentist in California and they looked to go, oh, wow. Yep. That's, uh, right away, I said, that, that's resorption. And they said, that not only resorption, that's the worst case of resorption I've ever seen. They said they've never seen – resorption is actually where the tooth attacks itself. It's, it's like an error in your body where your body thinks the inside of the tooth shouldn't be there and it starts attacking it and, and destroys it from within. There's nothing you can do. It's not even about dental hygiene. It's actually uh, your body makes a mistake and starts attacking its own tooth. Uh, I haven't heard it's hereditary, but it's not that common. It happened to my dad, so I, I think it might be because I had it happen twice, which is really unusual. Two different teeth. Uh, I lost a resorption in the back. But uh, they, uh, the, the, doc, the dentist that I went to in California, a different one than the first one, said not only was it resorption, but it's the worst resorption he's ever seen that uh, usually resorption doesn't get this far before it is super, super painful and you have to have the tooth taken out. So they've never seen one get this far before it got unbearable. So mine just, it must have just danced around the nerve perfectly to where it uh, it lasted about as long as it possibly could. So if they had to take it out, there's no question. But that, that idiot dentist there was, he not only thought it wasn't resorption, he, he was 100% sure it wasn't resorption, he told me. Just a big cavity, he thought. So I, I saw this over and over. Like, like there's a, a combination of incompetence, arrogance, rudeness, uh, not giving you time to talk. The, the healthcare there just sucked, and it got to the point where I started avoiding the healthcare there. And I'd say, okay, well, I have this health problem coming up. Is it something that can wait? Is it something that I don't need to go immediately? If the answer is yes, I'd say, okay, I'll wait till next time I visit California. And then I, at the time, my plan covered either state, so I would actually use my Nevada plan in California. For, for for a lot of healthcare things because I wouldn't go to California just for healthcare things, but if I was going, I would look at the next time I'm likely to go there, and if it was fairly soon, like if it's something like a wait a month, I'd say, yeah, wait a month, I'll go, I'll go in California. That's what I started doing because it was so terrible in Vegas. Um, let me uh, think what else I want to talk about from life there. Um Something I noticed about Vegas. Uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll, t- I'll jump a little fur- further ahead. So, in two thousand eight, I uh, broke up with my longtime girlfriend Miri. It was actually a mutual breakup. I, sh- I shouldn't say I broke up with her because we both decided we were just done. We later got back together for about nine months, but uh, during the entire summer and early fall of 08, uh, I was single. So that was my first time being single in Vegas, and uh, I got to experience that. Now, at the time, I was in my mid-30s, which I learned, actually, as a guy, that's one of the best times to be single. And I'll tell you why. And if you think about it, it makes sense. When you're in your mid-30s, you're not too old for a lot of younger women. They don't see you as old yet. And uh, yet, you're not too young for anybody. Unless you really like older women, which I didn't, so that wasn't a problem. But like, a problem that plagues a lot of younger men, like take a guy who's 22, if they want to date women who are 21, 22, a lot of times the women don't want them. They don't like guys that age. They want guys older than that. Sometimes not way older, but sometimes they want 25, 29, 31, like a... A number of women who are younger who don't want guys their own age, they want at least a few years older, sometimes like eight years older, ten years older, sometimes even older than that. So uh, 
a lot of younger guys run into that problem. And then they can't go much younger than themselves, or they get into jail bay territory, so they, they have a, a lower pool of women to date. So when men get older, but not too much older, then they get into that kind of sweet spot where they're not too young for anybody that they'd want to date, but they're also not too old. Uh, if I were to start dating now at age 48, which I'm not, but if I were, then I wouldn't be in the same spot because uh, I would be too old for a lot of women. But anyway, the reason I'm mentioning this is that there was something different in Vegas. Now, again, I was mid-30s, so I wasn't that old then, but I noticed something different in Vegas than I had noticed in California. And that was, there was a very, very different way that women in Vegas, and I'm talking about locals, and I'm not even talking about poker people, I'm talking about just women who grew up in Vegas or who have lived in Vegas a while. There was a very, very different attitude there that women had regarding dating older men. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, yeah, gold diggers. Yeah, of course. They want to, you know, the, yeah, there's probably a lot of young gold diggers there. They want to date old rich guys. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the 20 year olds who are going to date someone who's 40 years older. I'm talking about uh, that a lot of younger women in Vegas, like early 20s, even late teens, they not only are willing to date older men, but they prefer to date older men, and that's actually what they like. It's not even about money. So if you're broke and older, they're still okay with it. And this was surprising to me because I had pictured that for the younger women that when I was 36 there, like I was in 08, that I was too old for them, that they weren't going to be interested in me just because I was too old. They are going to see me as an old guy. Uh, just about every time I wasn't. And I did not tell them at first anything about me playing poker Anything about having money, um, I, I wouldn't reveal that till later because I was afraid of a gold digger thing happening there. I was especially afraid there. So I would hide that at the beginning and I would not give my full name and I would uh, avoid them knowing too much about me until I felt I could trust them and then I'd tell them. Once I felt that they really liked me for who I was and not for any money or the fact that I played poker, then, then I would... Uh, reveal more. And what I found uh, interesting there was really that uh, my age was a plus to the young women there. It wasn't a minus. It wasn't something they had to kind of look past. It was something they actually preferred, which wasn't like that in California. California, if I if I was showing interest in a girl who was like 22 when I was 36, I, most of them would not want this or, or at best they would kind of tolerate it if they liked other things about me. But they, they, it would be seen as a minus, like I kind of wish he was younger sort of thing. Uh, not there in Vegas. It was like in the culture that the young women in Vegas liked older guys. And I presume it's still like that. I don't know if it is, but uh, at least uh, back in the late 2000s, that's the way it was. So that, that was a, a pleasant surprise there. And uh, then it kind of got cut short because I got back with Miri and uh, then Miri and I broke up and then we had a short time I was single again, but then I got with my current girlfriend and that's who I've been with since. But I, I did get a, a feel for some of the uh, the dating scene there and it was different and for someone of my age at the time, it was actually better than it would have been in California. And 
I talked to other guys and I told them about this. They said, yeah, yeah, I noticed the same thing. Like they didn't actively think about that. But when I told them, they're like, yeah, I totally noticed the same thing. Uh, I think maybe the fact that there are those tourists, that so many of them come through of older men with younger women. I think the women there kind of just get to see that. And I think just it's more accepted there. I think there's just not as much criticism in Las Vegas of relationships where the woman's a lot younger to where uh, – not only is it more accepted, but there's some women who start to prefer it because they, yeah, they start to think of the good things about it. The, not only do the guys typically have more money, but they're more mature and they treat them better and they appreciate them more. I mean, there there are uh, things that women do like better about older guys if, if they're willing to deal with the fact that the guy's older and probably doesn't look as good and probably doesn't have the same experiences growing up and the same interests and uh, and maybe it's not as much energy. And, they, and so there's certain things they have to give up if they date someone older, depending on how much older. But uh, it, it, in Vegas, it was very different than California in that way. Um, let me think what else. Uh, when, when, there, when the housing crash happened in Vegas, it really changed things. And of course, not for the better. Now, I guess a little bit for the better, my rent went way down. They didn't want to lower it at first, but... Uh, I wasn't accepting anything but that. But the rents went way, way down. Apartments that were going for $1,200 a month went down into the 700s within months, which is a tremendous reduction. I'm not talking about buildings which fell into disrepair or became slums. Or I don't, I'm talking about the same place in the same condition with the area being about the same quality as far as uh, the crime rate. And... That's the reduction that was happening, like like a, a over a 30% reduction in the rents they were asking for. And of course, the landlords weren't doing this out of charity. They had this because that's what the market was, was bearing at the time, that it kept going up, 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 up. And then the crash happened, and all of a sudden, uh, there was a flood of housing on the market. There's a flood of housing that wasn't needed anymore. So... Uh, that was the good part. The bad part was that uh, areas did start to get worse. Uh, apartment complexes, which uh, were nice and had good people, went downhill. I mentioned this before, that they, the people who were moving in were trashy and would be loud and would cause problems and it would invite other trashy people who would cause problems. And, and by the way, this is in case you're thinking this is not a racial thing, this is uh, – I, I watched it happen – Trashy people of all races were moving in. And uh, when I was deciding where to live, I, I didn't even look at the racial makeup. I didn't care. I just cared about the type of people that were there, that they weren't uh, criminals and that they were not disruptive. And that, uh, that that's I didn't even care about the prostitutes and strippers as long as they didn't cause a problem, which they didn't really. But uh, um, I just didn't want uh, people who were going to be unpleasant to live in the same complex and that's really all I cared about. And I watched a- after the crash, uh, people would move out. And now with the rents lower, uh, trashier people would move in of all races. In fact, I had really trashy white people living below me and this couple who'd go out and scream at each other in the parking lot. And uh, I mean, they, they were a huge pain in the ass. And it wasn't just a couple who fought. I mean, it was like a trashy couple who fought. They, they probably got think they get on drugs and go out there and scream at each other. It was terrible. So uh, 
they eventually moved out. But like, there's a lot of that starting to happen that wasn't there before. I, I had actually, I should tell you about why I switched complexes. I got an offer to from from the uh, apartment complex to buy my apartment as a condo, which might sound weird to you, but I got an offer in uh, 2007 to buy my own apartment that I was renting for $425,000. Now, this was a two-bedroom apartment on the fourth floor, three-quarters of a mile from Bellagio, east on Flamingo. And to me, that just seemed absurd. It just seemed crazy. This is just a standard two-bedroom apartment. Nothing special about it. Didn't really have a view. It was okay. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it, but $425,000, I just got, come on. Like, this wasn't a, a nice condo in a condo complex. This is an apartment complex that was going to go condo, which was a big thing then. This is before the crash, of course. This is in 07, when things were at their peak. So I said, no way. I said, I could totally see this crashing. The second uh, the housing bubble bursts, I could see my 425000 going up in flames. So I said no, and they said okay. I, I think there's something in the law. I think what they had to do was uh, if they converted an apartment to condos, they had to make an offer, a reasonable – was supposed to be a reasonable offer to all the tenants living there to buy it. And if not, then they have a right to kick them out within this many days. So they they had to kick me out within this many – or they didn't have to, but they, they had a right to kick me out within this many days, which they did. And they did everybody who wouldn't buy. I think everybody was having to move out the same day if they didn't voluntarily leave. So I, I wrote it out to the end. And then I had to go look for another place. And so then I ended up moving a little bit west of the Strip. I was kind of like west of the Rio, which was it was convenient for the World Series. Like I, I could get from my parking lot to the Rio and into my seat there in about eight minutes if, if everything worked out right. So that was nice for, for uh, dinner breaks during the main event. Not just the main event, during, especially the main event, but any kind of event at the World Series. But anyway, uh, I was at this second place when there was this uh, crash. And I was paying like $1,185 in rent at the time. And I, since it was a big complex, I was able to look up what very similar units to mine, again, a two-bedroom, were going for. And they were going for like $790. And I said, you got to be freaking kidding me. Now, I was on a lease. There's nothing I could do. But I said, as soon as my lease comes up, I'm going to renegotiate. So I went into the office when my lease was coming for expiration. And they they actually sent me a renewal letter saying that they will renew my lease for the same $1,185. <laughs> what am I, stupid? So I went in there and I said, you've got to be freaking kidding me. I'm not paying this. This isn't the market rate anymore. And they said, well, we don't lower rents. I said, well, you're going to need to lower rents or otherwise I'm going to leave. You have to, you'll get this much anyway from a much less desirable tenant. So I have good credit. I pay every month on time. I don't cause any trouble. And the person replacing me may not have those attributes and they're going to pay the same thing that I'm asking to pay. And they said, absolutely not. We're not lowering your rent to that. We can maybe lower it a little bit. We're not lowering it down to what you claim is market value. I said, it's not what I claim is market value. I see an almost identical unit that is uh, for $790, and I want that. So they said no, and we got a big standoff about it. Then they backed down to the point of saying, okay, we will offer that if you – this is so important to you. You can move out of this one and move to the other one for – 
what we're asking for right now for that 790. The reason they said that is because they figured I would either not do it or that it would be some hassle for me. So they're conceding less. Even if they don't gain from it, that it's going to be – if I'm insisting this, I'm going to be a dick about it in their opinion. They didn't say that, but I know they, they just wanted me to accept their BS and, and go away, uh, th- that at least they're going to put me through a, a needless move. And also my unit was a little bit better than the one that, that they were offering, but of course they didn't bring that up. They, they were like identical floor plan. One was second floor, one was first floor, and I wanted the second floor. Well, whatever. Not important. There wasn't a significant difference. So I said, this is pointless. I said, look, they're, they're basically the same thing, right? She said, yes. I said, okay, well, why, why put me through a pointless move? And she says, well, because we don't lower rents, it's a violation of fair housing laws. And my response was, <laughs> I said, you don't know who you're talking to here. You know, th- these excuses may work on less knowledgeable people. I know exactly what fair housing laws are. Fair housing laws apply to groups which could be discriminated against. So you would not be able to charge someone who is white less than someone who is black, or you couldn't charge someone who is uh, handicapped more than someone who is able, things like that. But uh, from person to person, if one negotiates a better rate and you give that person a better rate because that person's a better negotiator, there's nothing illegal about that. So then she just kind of sat there, didn't know what to say. She didn't expect me to return with that. She thought I, she really thought that, uh, that she could just tell me it's a violation of fair housing laws to lower my rent, but not lower others. And that's going to fly. I said, unless it could be proven that you lowered mine because I'm white, then, uh, and they'd have to show a pattern of that, that you do this for all the white people and not all the non-white people or something like that. Uh, there's no way this could be a violation of fair housing law. So, you know, one person saying, I'm, I'm going to pay the market rate. I want to pay the market rent. When my lease is up, that's never a violation of fair housing law. She she dropped that. They, they tried everything, and I just I finally said, "Look, we're either going to make the deal or we're not." I'm tired of this dumb debate. Everything you're telling me is not landing. Everything I have an answer for, and it's a, a correct answer. You're not going to fool me here. I know what it's worth. I'm not going to pay one penny more than what it's worth, and I can see what it's worth because I see what you're charging for identical units. So you have a choice. You can accept the market rent which is exactly what you'll get for my unit if I leave. And you can accept that starting when my lease is up or I will leave. I'm not going to pay $1 more. Which one do you want? And she said, we'll have to run it by, she got to run it by her boss. And she called me back the next day and said, okay, we accept. So my rent went way, 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 way down. So that, I guess that was one good thing that came from the housing crash. In Vegas, they run tow truck scams, including in that unit, in that building I just talked about. This happens everywhere, but Vegas, it's especially prominent. In fact, if you ask anybody who manages an apartment complex of any decent size in Vegas, they'll tell you that they're very aware of this, even if they don't do it themselves. The tow truck scam is where they are approached by tow truck companies who ask them, hey, how would you like to make some extra money? All you have to do is let us patrol your lot for any cars that should not be there. Cars that are illegally parked, cars that are parked in spots that are not theirs, or cars that are abandoned or have non-valid tags that have, like tags that have expired. So we will only legally tow cars, cars that should not be there, 
and that we've met all the legal requirements for towing. And every time we tow someone, we'll give you a little piece. And we're not going to charge you anything for this. So it's a free service to remove unwanted cars here. We will patrol on our own. You never have to call us, but you can you can also call us if you want, but you don't have to call us. We'll, we'll do this every day for free, and we'll give you a piece of it. And when I say you, they'll actually give it to the office worker, and sometimes to the building too. So they agree. They say, why not? You know, why not make some extra money and get rid of cars that shouldn't be here? Sounds like a win-win for everybody except for these damn people who are parking where they shouldn't, right? Well, except for the fact that this is abused, as you might guess it is. So let's say the you're parked in your spot, which uh, is rightfully your spot that you pay for, that uh, it has a marking for it's your apartment, and you're in the right place, and you're, you even registered that car with the office, that that's the one you're going to be parking there, and you're parked there, and your tags say... August 2020. Well, let's say the date is September 1st, 2020. Guess what they have the legal right to do? Tow you away as an abandoned car because your tags are one day expired. (laughs) They do. It's legal. Because unfortunately, the definition of an abandoned car includes cars that are parked with invalid tags. That is meant to be able to be a concrete way you can determine when a car is abandoned or not. But you can't ask a car, hey, hey, car, did your owner abandon you? You sometimes don't know how long it's been there. So you can say, well, it looks abandoned. Well, you, you can't write law around what looks abandoned. You have to have some kind of concrete thing in the law that separates what's an abandoned car and what's not an abandoned car. So uh, what Nevada came up with and what some other states do too is that if the tags aren't current, then it can be considered probably abandoned. The problem is, and the big flaw in the law, is that there should be some kind of grace period as far as towing. I'm not talking about a DMV fine. I'm talking about uh, towing, that uh, there should be a grace period of one or two months that they can't tow you, and there should also be some things in there, like if it's a, a if it's in a private lot on a spot that you pay for that you're contractually entitled to, that they still can't tow you. But that's not in the law. The law just says if the car is abandoned, it can be towed. So I had this happen, not to me, but to a friend of mine who lived in the complex. And I felt a little embarrassed as I recommended the complex to him. And they towed his car because it was one day past the expiration of his tags. And they would not do anything for him. So pretty nasty. And it's not just that place. I'd love to say it's just that place, but they apparently this was common everywhere in Vegas. And I'm not saying it only happens in Vegas, but in Vegas it's real common. In fact, the whole city of Las Vegas is very big with tow truck scams, or at least it used to be. I haven't checked on it in recent years. But that was a big part of apartment life in Vegas and also just life in Vegas in general. Like if you so many commercial lots if you parked in same thing, they they'd have tow trucks hiding to grab you. Really, really nasty. And a total abuse and perversion of the towing laws that were not written for that purpose. They were, towing laws were not written for predatory tow truck companies to find excuses to grab you. Towing should be a last resort. And that's and that's where it comes down to you know, you have idiots who are letter of the law morons who they think, well, if it's written that way, then that's the law, them's the law, them's the breaks. No. You've got you have to use a common sense application and understand the spirit of the law. 
and those that seek to abuse the spirit of the law to harm others at their personal gain are pieces of shit, even if they're doing something legal. And they should never be defended. So, just because something's legal doesn't mean it's right. That's one example. So that was going on. Didn't happen to me, fortunately. But it could happen to me. Like, I... Uh, I I one time did let my tag expire. Uh, in fact, while I was living there, they just didn't didn't get me because I actually had a garage I was paying for, so they couldn't see it. But if if I was in a regular spot, that probably would happen to me too, because they were towing every day and carefully looking to see if anyone was one day over when the tags expired. So a lot of that shady type of crap was happening there in Vegas. I also saw a number of girls in Vegas who would come there with no direction. I mean, guys too, but uh, I'll tell you why I'm mentioning girls, because girls would have one more option. I'm sure you can guess what that is. So you'd have these girls that would move to Vegas, young girls, and uh, they wouldn't have a plan. It's not like they were coming there for a specific job or because of relatives there. They just, just seem kind of fun and adventurous to move to Vegas, or they just want to get a new start. They're, they're frustrated where they lived, or they lived in a place that's kind of boring. They want to go somewhere that uh, seems exciting. So they go to Vegas from all over the country. And uh, what happens is they try to get a job. Sometimes they do, but the job kind of sucks, and they get tired of it. And then they start to see that temptation is a way to make a lot more money. And there are two ways that they can do it. There's the way that's a little less problematic and the one that's a little more problematic. There is the stripping way, and then there is the prostitution way, which often intersects. But uh, if you wonder... In Vegas, you know, there's a lot of prostitutes in Vegas because there's so many tourists coming through. I mean, Brandon brought up on the show that that's a real problem during the pandemic because uh, the locals aren't the ones getting many prostitutes. It's mainly tourists. If there's not a lot of tourists coming through, then the prostitutes are struggling, as strange as that is to think about. But during uh, regular times, if you think about how these girls become prostitutes, you don't have girls coming from out of the area saying, hey, I'm going to move to Vegas to be a prostitute. Like, I guess if you already are a prostitute, that's a good place to go. But most of them that are prostitutes did not start out that way. or They have, didn't start out wanting to be that or intending to be that when they came to Vegas. Some of them grew up in Vegas and fell into that, but a lot of them came from out of the area and then just felt they didn't have any other options or the options they had they didn't like. So it wasn't that they couldn't eat. It was that... Uh, they didn't like the money they were making. They didn't like how hard they had to work at a, a menial job, and they didn't see much of a future to any kind of financial independence. And then they noticed there was one way. And they would rationalize that they would only do it for a short time, or in the case of stripping, they're really not uh, doing any. They're not really. They're not having sex with anybody, and it would always degrade from there. Uh, very few of these women would exit these professions with their mental health intact, even ones that were stable. Uh, by the time most women were done with this, sometimes they'll develop a drug problem. Often they are uh, very distrusting and resentful toward men when they weren't before because they deal with a lot of the worst of the worst men that come in. Uh, you know, Some of the men that hire prostitutes or that go to strip clubs are fine, just normal guys, but... Uh, it also brings in a lot of perverts and freaks and weirdos and, and men who have no respect for women, and they, they deal with this over and over and over again. And, they, and, and then they also yeah, they, they deal with a lot of guys who are hiding this from their wives or cheating on their wives, and, and they start to think this is all guys. So it, it really starts to 
change their perception of men. And it, it starts to make them things like no good guys out there. And they, they usually would eventually exit that profession damaged in sometimes physically, sometimes mentally, sometimes both. And they, they wouldn't come there for that reason. They wouldn't come to Vegas thinking I'm going to be a hooker. I'm going to be a stripper. They would just, it would just happen. Now with men that would come there, uh, unless they want to go down the road of gay prostitution, which most don't, especially if they're straight, uh, when they would fail in Vegas, there's a lot of men would come with the same thing, just no direction, they just show up. I'm not even talking about poker players. I'm talking about just – I've known a lot of people in my life that have just come to Vegas and I go, oh, well, why Vegas? Oh, I don't know. I just like Vegas. Like, well, do you have a job there? Uh, no, not yet, but I, I just wanted to come here. Like I, I, I wanted to say this is really stupid, but I, I didn't want to be a jerk. But I've known a lot of people that have done that. I'm not even talking about people who come with the goal to work in the gaming industry. Like, let's say you've always wanted to work in the casino, or your 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 goal is to work in the casino and work your way up to a manager in a casino. Okay, fine. Then you're coming for a purpose. You're coming because that's where the biggest casino industry is, and uh, you're going to try to wait, work your way up there. Maybe it won't work out for you, but at least you have a purpose for coming. I'm talking about people that come there with no purpose at all, other than just, eh, I just want to just want to move here. Just kind of picked it. So they come there, and then they fail in some way. A lot of times it's through the same temptations that break poker players. And then they don't have that prostitution or stripping option. So they usually just leave and go back home. <laughs> that's, that's what happens to those guys. A lot of times men who move to Vegas end up uh, back home with their parents or back in the city they came from. A lot of times the women do too, but sometimes they'll turn to the stripping of the prostitution first. In general, I saw in uh, late, mid and late 2000s Vegas that in order to survive, in order to not get uh, really screwed up, you had to have some personal stability. You had to be able to avoid temptations. You had to not have an addictive personality. You had to have goals in mind and boundaries for yourself set up in all ways. You have to kind of have a plan, and you have to know what is working for you and what's not. And you also have to just not go down the rabbit hole of alcohol and drugs, especially to excess. And people who didn't follow this type of advice were very sorry and they crashed and burned and I saw this happen a lot uh, I also found that you know it's funny because I would enjoy my time in Vegas but then also I would start to get kind of depressed by it I would feel like I'd have to leave and then when I'd be gone for a while then I'd kind of have an urge to come back but uh, I couldn't just stay there all year without leaving because I, I would find it kind of depressing. Just seeing a lot of that around me was kind of depressing. So even when my girlfriend was uh, living with me there, and she she didn't uh, she still had an apartment in in California. So I would go back with her there. Uh, most of the time, she would be with me in my place over there. But uh, I'd go back with her sometimes. I also want to see my family there. 
but I I found that uh, if I were to just stay there for very long periods of time, it would start to get depressing. And I'm not even like a depressed person, other than what happened to me in 2018, which is long after I left. Uh, I, I wasn't naturally a depressed person. In fact, the, the fact that I broke out of that in 2018 was because I am not naturally a depressed person. It was from an external cause, not a life cause, but an external cause that was separate from hereditary depression. It was a chemical depression, but it was not a hereditary chemical depression. That's why I was able to break out of it. I felt that it was just depressing. I wasn't suffering from clinical depression, but it was depressing. I kind of, it started to be like a downer to see a lot of this around me. And when I'd leave, then that would kind of go away. And then I'd get to miss it and come back. And then the stuff I'd see around me wouldn't bother me as much anymore. It just kind of needed a break from it. I also needed a break from the summer heat. The summer heat, even though it's dry, which is good, it's good it's not humid like it is uh, in the east, when it's, it's routinely over 110, sometimes over 115, uh, day after day after day, and even at midnight, it's still 100. That, that, that was a, really a killer. Like the, the fact that at midnight, it's still 100. Like the super hot day is more tolerable if you can walk out and it's nice outside. And I actually love warm nights. I actually love it when I walk out at, at midnight and it's 75 degrees, 77 degrees, 80 degrees even. Like the, without a sun, 80 degrees can still feel good outside. And I love these warm nights, nights where you, you you don't even think of needing a jacket. But hot nights are terrible. To walk outside at midnight and it's 100 degrees really sucks. And it's kind of a shock even when you get used to it. You just – your mind gets used to night equals cold, day equals warm, and you walk outside at night and a 100-degree wall of heat hits you. You go, what the fuck? I wasn't expecting this. Like I know – yes, I know it's July, but it just feels weird just feels weird it's 100 degrees at night. It feels wrong. So that would kind of grind on me too. And then I'd drive to LA and I'd get out of the car and it's 68 degrees and I'd go, ah, oh, I haven't felt 68 in so long. Uh, after leaving Vegas, I got to really... Uh, miss being there. And I'm especially feeling that this year because I have, last time I was in Vegas was in early February. I've been to Vegas one time in 2020 and that was during the Super Bowl weekend. Remember when uh, Axel Wolf came on here and uh, co-hosted the show with me towards the second half of it? This is a few months ago. Uh, so I came to a party that uh, he and, and some friends of his run that I've been invited to the last few years, the Super Bowl party. And uh, that was my very last thing like that. <laughs> and after that, I, I quit all things like that. And I quit live poker. And I, like, I, I had quit commerce already. And then I quit live poker completely right after the Super Bowl because of the coronavirus. But that was my last trip to Vegas. And that'll be my last trip to Vegas for a long time, I think. And I think about it, yeah, I miss Las Vegas. In fact, my girlfriend asked me the other day, do you miss Las Vegas? And I said, yes, I do. It's It's been a long time, and it's not even a long time with an end. It's been a long time where I'm just not coming back, and I miss it. And I still kind of feel like a local in some ways. It's been a number of years since I lived there, but I got to know it well enough in my years there that I kind of feel like a local. I know all the local roads to drive on, to get around, having to go on the crowded strip and I don't know as much about the place, especially with these years that have passed, as as the 
very long time locals like Brandon do. But uh, I'm much more like a local than the typical tourist to Vegas because I got to experience Las Vegas as a local for a number of years and not just as a frequent tourist. And it's different. It's, It's just different going there and staying at a hotel. Even if you come there like a lot of weekends, you come there 30 weekends a year. It's not the same as living there. So I, I miss it, and I do like to visit, and I still get that excitement that I think a lot of you who come from Southern California feel as you drive into Vegas and you start to see the, the casino lights in the distance. And then when you get closer and you see all the casinos, it's a, I still get kind of that excitement as I drive back in. And I enjoy being there. And... uh it is kind of too bad that I can't go. I, I can go, but I decided it's better for me not to. And hopefully that will change, and then I can uh, resume all of that. But I missed that. I, I missed Vegas itself. I missed live poker. I miss uh, traveling. I miss restaurants. miss every day not being the same. <laughs> But you know, you know all that. So I, I hope this gave you some perspective on it. Uh, there's more I could say, but I've talked enough. Maybe I'll do another segment on Vegas and tell some things that I didn't tell on this segment. I was just kind of sh- shooting from the hip here of things I thought about during from my time there. Uh, it was a, a memorable experience, though. And I don't regret it in any way. Before I end this segment, I, I do want to mention that my current girlfriend, actually our first experience together in a dating sense, we had known each other in college many years before that, but uh, our first experience in a dating sense was in Las Vegas because that's where I lived and she came to uh, she came to see me. We talked on the phone for weeks before she flew from California to meet me there because I... I had been in Vegas. I actually hadn't left for, it was now early August, then to mid-August, and I was, uh, I had actually not left there for a while, and I wasn't going to come back anytime soon, so she, I was waiting for her to come to, I would have come to her eventually, but she said she'd like to come see me. She hadn't been to Vegas in a while, so she did, and then we've been together now for- No bullshit. 11 years. What's bullshit? What's up, buddy? <laughs> you know, I got a real bone to pick with you there. Uh-oh. Now listen, listen. You did make some progress this week. Okay, you actually texted me and said you want to come on radio, but giving me about 20 to 30 minutes before it comes on the air isn't going to cut it. Well, let me tell you something. Hold up, hold up now. So what I'm respectfully requesting is maybe, I don't know, six, eight hours notice the day you decide. Listen, it's on a Saturday. It's on a Thursday. It's back on a Friday. Then it's on a Saturday. Buddy, I can't keep track of what you're doing over here. So, with all due respect, do you think maybe I could get like a six to eight hour window? Okay, I, I can before? try. I, I can try to message you earlier, and I will tell you though that I do the same Please. for. I, that you're not being singled out. Though. I, I do the same for Trader Ruski and, and singled out and, and, well, and I vintage. No Trader no offense, buddy. I got tenure. I got tenure. <laughs> you, you have tenure, but uh, Trader Ruski in uh, he actually has in, in recent times he he's been on uh, for more hours. And I will say that if if you add up the the speaking time, you're quickly catching up because you speak a lot more than he does on there. But uh, in in pure hours in in recent years, 
uh, Trey Ruski has, has been here a lot. And I, I do text him uh, uh, only a short time before, and, and he's just he always makes himself available. He's very easy. It reminds me of a story. Uh, this is true now. You can Google it and, and, and look it up. Many years ago, the famous story about how somebody tried to pull some rank with Ricky Henderson. And I listen, people may not know this. Ricky Henderson, he was a hell of a baseball player, but he was a, he was a dick. I mean, he wasn't the nicest guy, you know, nicest of guys. Anyhow, he ends up getting into a fight with a player and tries to pull some rank. And player says to him, I got tenure, Ricky. You know, and, and Ricky, as he used to always do talking in first person, said, don't give me that. Rick, you got tenure. Ricky got 15 year. <laughs> And, you know, meaning like he thought yeah. tenure meant like, yeah. yeah. I, I remember that story. Yeah, that was funny. And Right. And he didn't know. Like, it was, it was over, like, sitting in a bus or something, but you know, a seat, uh, like, up front or something. But it was pretty funny. He thought he meant, like, 10 years. And Ricky, at that point, had, like, 15 or maybe even 18. I mean, Ricky Henderson played 20, Jesus, 20-plus years. But, yeah, listen, it doesn't do me much good to get a call randomly saying or text saying, radio's in 40 minutes if you want to join. Because how do I know? What I guess in the bat signal, I'm just sitting here waiting. So if you could maybe the day you decide, let me know that morning. You know, then I could try to make an effort. I woke up. I just woke up. I mean, I just woke up. Okay, I, I will say in my defense, we've been on for a long time, so we actually. Uh, I, I did text you now many hours. It, it's been more than six to eight hours now. But you text me when I'm, I'm looking at it now, and what time the thread went up? You text me literally about 45 minutes before you started. That's not enough time to prepare. To like if I had plans or if I was sleep, you know what I mean? Okay, like, I, I'm just saying. See, but the thing is here, I, I'm doing. See, I'm not expecting you. I, I'm very happy when you appear, but I'm not, not expecting. Not it. expecting. It's just a kind of courtesy thing, you know. Let me know, like you know, you don't. Want, if you only give me forty minutes, and it's going to be very random. You know what I mean? How would I know if be free? Okay. Well, I will make. I will make an attempt. I will make an attempt to get. I will make an attempt to get a hold of you earlier and, and text you earlier so you have more warning. And then, uh, and then you you can go from there. And and as always, now, when you, whatever happened, it just on the same day. It seems like it's been Thursday, Friday, or Saturday now for for months. Well, okay, rotating. It, I, that's why it's on Friday again. I would have actually preferred it was tomorrow because it's. I, I hate doing it. Six last day. week it was Friday. No, last week it was Saturday. So or last week it was Saturday. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. So no, I'll tell you what happened. Is that I mm. I prefer there to be at least a week since the last show because there's more to talk about. Like like this week, I've just well, had to throw obviously. in. I, I had to throw in a lot of extra. This is also like a slow week, so I had to like throw in some extraneous topics, like the one I just mm-hmm. talked about. So, um, and, and now I just had the coronavirus left. So, I uh, I would have preferred an extra day. Maybe some stuff will happen, but I really prefer to have it on Friday. And it just was jumping around because a, bun- a few Fridays I couldn't do it, and then we I almost missed this Friday because but you I, ain't leaving the house. So what I don't understand. What do you got? I, when you say you can't make it, when you don't even leave the house, I'm, I'm not mocking you. You know, you're not going out. So what? What happens? Well, actually, I did leave the house two weeks ago, and I saw my parents. And then uh, this uh, last Friday, uh, I, I can tell you off the air why last Friday I couldn't make it. So it's, no. I don't want to put this out in public, but I, I also could not make it last Friday. But most, you're correct that most Fridays I can because I don't leave the house. Sure. Now, strangely enough, I almost didn't make this for, I almost didn't make this Friday mm-hmm. because I got sick to my stomach after I ate dinner and I almost couldn't physically do it, but then it got rapidly better. So I was able now, to. What did you have for dinner? I had a hamburger. 
Would you think maybe E. E. coli? No, then I wouldn't still be here right now. Uh, I, I no, be, you could survive. You no, could. I don't mean I did. I, I wouldn't be here in the show. I would be very sick. Oh, okay. so, so, so I would. No, it was. I think people are going to laugh at this, but I think I ate too much. Oh. Hmm. I, like, I've well, actually got, I've gotten I gotten less accustomed to eating as much as I used to in life at the bike. So enough of all that. How was the show tonight? Well, um, it's it's mostly just been me talking. Uh, we had Trey Daruski for some time, and uh, hey, buddy. I've yeah, that's the closest I have to him right now. And I've tried to make do with what topics the the gambling world gave me. And we're, we're getting near the end. I'm glad you've appeared here. I don't have all that much yeah, energy yeah, stones, left. A lot of stones talk. A lot know. of stones talk. Well, there wasn't that much Jesus. this week. I had, to, I had to just talk about stones. But, uh, you know, last week we had a lot of topics. Last week is a lot of interesting stuff. This week, not as much. as got. I, I can only work with what the poker and gambling world give me. So anyway, what's what's going on with you here? You woke up at uh, almost 4 a.m. I just, listen, every day is like Groundhog's Day. You know what I mean? Like you just you don't have to, or maybe that's not even the right al- analogy. You don't have to really be anywhere. So I just, when I'm tired, I just fall asleep. I mean, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. You know. So I, uh, I've been yeah, I've been going to bed a little bit early. I played a bunch of PLO today. I played like twelve uh, on the computer on on WSOP. I played like twelve hours straight of Pot Limit Omaha. I played so long, I was having those dreams in my head. You ever have those, you know, just dreams where you don't even know kind of if you're really playing hands or if you're asleep? You kind of know what I mean? Like when you play so long. You mean you like, mean afterwards you, you dream it or, yeah, or during right, it? Yeah, 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 afterwards. Right, okay. Sure. Yeah. Now, I, I've had it where I fall asleep during hands and I actually play in my sleep, no. strangely enough. I actually like mash <laughs> buttons and then I, I, I wake up and I go, what the? Like I wake up and I'm in the middle of a hand with cards in front of me and I go, I don't remember even playing this hand. Like why, what am I, I don't know what the action was in the previous streets. Like I have to just wing it from there. And that's when I go, oh, wow. I, that's where I go. I think it's time to quit. <laughs> so have a little bit of an update. The mystery guy on the, on the Bovada. How uh, how is he doing? The guy that was kind he, of he's he's trouble? he's he's still doing very well. Oh, of course, I won't play heads God. up with him. No, he, actually, what's what's been plaguing me recently was not even him. It, it was it, fish have been beating me recently. Fish, the actual fish have been just getting very lucky against me, and not even like hit and run fish. Like ones that sit there for a long time have huge holes in their game. It's not even guys who like I don't understand, and I think they're a fish. I mean, like like actual fish or semi fish that just are, are just get lucky. And then and then uh, win, and then when they start to lose some back, they they bolt. So that's, that's oh, so uh, so I know what it was. Also, I, uh, I I'm in a couple of these Poker Stars home games. Uh, they're tournaments. Not none of them are cash games. And you know they started like when the pandemic began. Everyone was at home, and uh, one of them is like an all Vegas, you know, kind of. It's actually funny. It's like mainly like a ladies league. Like it's Jan Fisher, Linda Johnson, of course my friend Jeannie. Like all those, all the older women. You know, yeah. Like, well, you know what I mean. Not being rude, but you know, like the older women that you know that 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 group. Yeah. So, but the problem and the fun games. There's you know like tonight was horse. There's you know eight game. There's Omaha or better. Like you know all mixed games. There's no no limit. But the problem is these ladies, and there's nothing wrong with it. But for me, they they want a lot of play. And this is a daily, every day there's a different tournament. And the buy-ins are only, uh, it's 25 bucks. So it's not like it's a, you know, big tournament, but they're every day. But the problem is, like, they insist, they, you know, they want play. You know, they want play. So I played one today, a horse one that started at four. And I, I actually, I won it. There was, there was only 16 people in it. 
but I was heads up with Jan Fisher for like an hour and 45 minutes or so, maybe even two hours before it ended. It took over seven hours to play this $25 tournament. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, well, I'm playing PLO, you know, at the time. So I'm just, you know, like I'm folding, I'm, you know, I'm re- I'm playing, you know, I'm not being erratic or anything. But then after like three hours, I'm like, wow, like, you know, no one's even gone. I, you know, I kind of forgot how, you know, because a couple of them have turbo format. So at least it will end like in three hours, four hours. But, you know, the horses don't. So anyhow, after like four hours of playing, I'm like, you know what? Shit, like this isn't going to end for another three hours. But I, I'm so far into it. Like I really want to try to win it now. Only because I just spent, you know what I mean? I just spent. Yeah, it's, it's known as the, it's the point of no return. Yeah, but right. Exa- exactly. I was so. But then I said, you know what? I just like I can do this once a week. I got to give these ladies credit because they all play really well. Like they don't, you know, they're not playing goofy. Like you're trying to win it. They play these, some, you know, some of these ladies play these, I don't know, four or five nights a week. And it's long for like a $25 tournament to play seven hours to win it. Seven and a half hours. That's a long time yes. for a $25 tournament. But, uh, so anyhow, yeah, uh, you know what? There's another one I'm in. I don't know. You probably wouldn't care, but I'll, I'll invite you if you want only because the games are fun. Like they have like the mixed games that, you know, we should be able to play on Poker Stars in case you ever want to play once or twice a week. You know, in fact, if you care, you can message Jeannie. She'll put yeah, yeah, I'll message Jeannie. Maybe I'll do it. Yeah. So yeah, so that that's that's really it. I've been uh, I've been staying home. I haven't really been going to casinos. Um, I will say, I I don't even know if I if I should, but it doesn't really matter. I did have an excursion about five or six days ago, and I met with. A certain female. I met a certain female poker player for the first time that had been uh, stirring up in the news the last couple months. Mm. Younger poker player, female. Oh, uh, well, you can say I don't care. No. Take a guess. I'm sure, what, sure what, was it this. was it uh, Post Lot Malone? Yes, I, I, <laughs> I ended up meeting her with another member of the forum. Too. Really? Who do you meet her with? I, well, I don't know if I should say that. Oh. That might be well because I don't want to blow up. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I understand. Yeah, I mean, I don't. You know, if they they don't if they don't care, then whatever. But it's yeah, so someone that lives in Vegas, and uh, we met at the Bellagio. It was very nice. It wasn't anything like you know, not a menage a trois or nothing. But uh, she was very very nice. She asked me to come down and meet her. I had never met her, and we hung out for a few hours and. Uh, it was. It, I'll put it this way to you: It's not an act. Like no, I didn't think it was she, the way she comes off on social media and whatever. She was just like that in person. No, that's what I tell people like, about Ken Scaler. People say, "Oh, he." This oh, is, people say about Ken Scaler. Oh, I think he's just uh, acting like this on purpose so people can get a laugh on the show. No, I go, no, no, no. That's really him. Only heads up, me and her three way act. You know, nope, same, same, same. Like it's not an act. She was very nice and sweet, but it's definitely not an act. No, I didn't think it was. So, yeah. So, but no, it was in public, you know, with, you know what I mean? It wasn't like in a hotel room or anything. Yeah, you know, nothing, nothing uh, scandalous there. You just made up. No, no, right. No, I'm just meant, yeah, like it was a public place. We had our, all our, it was actually funny. We tried talking and it was so hard because Blasio has the blaring music almost a, anywhere you go. I didn't even realize they did, but any part of the casino. So with all, with all of us having masks on and staying like, a, you know, feet, apart from each other you know and then you know with music it was really it was really like hours of wait what did you say i couldn't hear you i, I can't hear you 
Like it was a lot of that. Yeah, that's that's very annoying. That's that's always one of the things that's annoyed me most about uh, bars and nightclubs is they can be very loud. And it, yeah, I try to have yeah. conversations, and it's like what, 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 and then you yeah. then you start feeling like you don't want to say a whole lot because you're tired of the what, 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 what. So then yeah. like the conversations die, well, and I don't know. I just don't like it. I'll uh, I'll give them credit. The Bellagio was very clean. Um, they had people. Let's see, it was what night of the week was this? It was a slow week night. It was a Tuesday night. Um, they had people all over cleaning machines. You couldn't go maybe, or, you know, tables, chairs, ashtrays, whatever. You couldn't go a good 20, 25 feet with, you know, in any direction without seeing some employee cleaning. They had plexiglass galore, every table game. And I you know, went to the poker room, poker room on a Tuesday night. Uh, I walked with post-flop Malone over there. What do you think? At, it was exactly, I can tell you, because I knew what time we met. At 8 o'clock, what do you think the list was for 2-5? No limit. That's the eight game she played. Like, how deep a list would you guess it would be on a Tuesday night? Oh, um, I, I still think it was probably pretty long. It was. Like, 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 like 30 names? It was, it was, yeah, in the high 20s, low 30s. It, oh, very close. It took, it took an hour and 45 minutes for her to get called from when she arrived. Uh, so the poker room, I mean, and I, you know, part of it obviously is you're playing five handed, but every table was full in the in, in the you know Bellagio poker room with the whole plexiglass five handed thing. Um, they had the highest limit hold'em game for you. They had a forty, they had at least one. I think it was only one, but maybe they had two. But they had a forty eighty limit, and they had a mixed game, and then they had a, a real. They had like a five hundred, a thousand game going. A mixed game upstairs, but yeah, they had a forty eighty going, and every table was full. I, I, wonder, I wonder if the forty eighty that goes there. I wonder how many of the regulars who are around my age or older are still going, like, or, yeah. or how many are staying away. I I wouldn't, uh, you but know, that maybe. would just drive me nuts. Like to have to go there and wait two freaking hours. Oh, like, I know, that's it's crazy, insane. Well, that's I mean, why. That's I why I stay away. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to bring up. That's what I was going to bring up. I I stopped going there for the most part during the World Series. I'd call sometimes. Like I sometimes wait till very late at night and then call and say, uh, "Are are there seats open right now? Or what's the list? And if it's reasonable, then I'll come. But like, I will never wait if the if it's like some long board. Forget it. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, so I can't imagine on a Friday or Saturday night, how bad it would be. I mean, if this is a Tuesday and, and, you know, you're talking two hours just to get into, you know, a game, but anyhow, nonetheless, it was, it was very, very nice, you know, just in terms of, you know, uh, how everything seemed run there, you know, but you know, it's a Blasio. Yeah. It's never going to be a shit show. I mean, it was very, very, so right now, if I had to give people advice, you know, if people really care about that kind of stuff, in my opinion, the two best properties that I've seen, I haven't been to the Aria, since all this started, so I'm sure that's amazing too. But the Venetian slash Palazzo and uh, Bellagio, I mean, I don't know how much it even matters, but you could at least tell that they're trying. Like they're really doing their best to keep it clean, and and you know, just you never. They have masks. They have stations where you know every 20 feet you can get masks. You know, if you want a new one, uh, they have the hand sanitizer, the wipes. You know, so the, versus a place like Caesars where I. I it's still feels like it's filthy. Well, okay, but uh, but but uh, I, I hate to burst your bubble here, but it appears that isn't doing very much good. I think this no, is all, it's, it's all an illusion. It's that's yeah, a sad I, well, thing. I know it is. I mean, well, I mean, it's not an illusion. I mean, it may help a little, but it's not. It's not like a game changing. 
you know, because you mean because of the ventilation. Yeah, that's that's the main culprit. Spread. It looks yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, I know. I I I've read that. Yeah, and you know what? I get it. Like, I just I, I'm not going out a lot, but I just can't. I'm at the point now where I'm getting a little a uh, little bit of cabin fever. Like, you know, I'll stay home for four or five days, and you know, or you know, or just go out real fast, like a grocery store. But it's you know, it's going on. What are we on now? Six months now into this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know. It's yeah, dragging long, every, I know dragging uh, a long time. I know it is. I mean, I, you know, I'm at the point where I, I've watched every movie I've w- wanted to watch. I have every streaming service. I, you know what I mean? I've done everything I want to do. It just, you can't, there's only so much you can do at home. You know what I mean? It just, you know, No, I, I, know. Mean, I, I guess maybe it's different for you. Cause you got the, you got the girl, you got the kid, you know, but I don't, you know, I don't have a child. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm you know, sometimes with my dad, a lot of times I'm alone, so it just it gets kind of uh, tedious, you know. And plus, you got the international poker there. You know, it's hard when you have to log into a fail site and hope, you know, there's games going, and then you, you can't even chat. All you do is get little dots. When well, you- I, I can't chat either, so we're in the same boat there. But uh, yeah. I, I, look, I, I feel the same thing, and every day does feel the same. And uh, that it, it probably it does help that. I have uh, my girlfriend and I have Benjamin here and that, that does help. It would be, it would be tougher just alone, but I, I still feel the same every day. And I, I do miss things that I mentioned a little earlier. And uh, that's, I can understand people's desire to want to go out. And that's why I say people, they just ass- assess it for themselves. If, if you want to do it, then do it. If you don't, then don't, you've got to figure out uh, what you think your risk is and, and what you're willing to, what chances you're willing to take yeah. and what you're not. And some people uh, more than others, there's this people are much older who want, who other than, want other to go than out. running some free, other than running some free play that, you know, I've had from time to time, which is starting to slow down now, I think because in the computers are, you know, they're probably starting to see that I'm not playing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I couldn't even go, I haven't even gambled in the casino, whether it's live poker or anything, because I just, it's not to me. And I see people doing it and I'm like, you know, more power to them. I have no pleasure. Say I even wanted it's like, you know what? Let me go with Genie and let's go to the South Point, you know, which is a local's casino here, and let's go play some blackjack. And you know, some you know, hundred, you know, buying for hundred, two hundred dollars, just sit and be social. I wouldn't even enjoy it with a mask on and just everything. You know, I, I just won't even enjoy it. Like I, you know, it's just not even fun. You know what I mean? No, I agree. I, it, it's not. It's not the, the same Vegas. Thing, it's not yeah. the same Vegas that that people remember from last year. So that's. Yeah. It's important for people to know that they think, oh, I can go to Vegas now. Great. And then they go, they go, oh, well, that's not what I was expecting. So that's, yeah. yeah, it doesn't seem fun to me. And also I would be under incredible stress about being indoors with an air conditioner with all those people. I'd just be going, I'd be in a panic about and that. And I'll tell you, you know, I really think this is the Drexel, Brandon, whatever you want to call it, prediction. We're in, we're in uh, the end of, I guess, close to the end of August now. I think. By the end of next month or early October, you're going to start, unless something drastically happens with, you know, in terms of a uh, vaccine being announced, you're going to start to really hear publicly, even if it's leaked or however it gets out, some casinos that really have to make some tough decisions because I can't see how these places are making money, man. I mean, it's, it's you know, the tables, you know, like, you know, the table games, they look kind of busy at times it gives you the illusion but only because they're two-handed or three-handed 
So it seems like it's more full than it is. But the point I'm making is it, 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 it it's, it's a ghost town. I mean, you look around in these casinos at their money makers, the slot machines. And I mean, you could just, when I was at the Blasio, you could go banks and banks and banks and not see a single person playing. Like it just, I don't know how they're making money, you know, especially a place like the Blasio, because besides, you know, the table games, they're not like Caesars or some of the other companies. They have a wide variety of, of all their restaurants open. And, you know, they, they, you know, there's certain casinos that, you know, only have two or three things open. They, they eliminated housekeeping. They eliminated room service. They've closed other departments, but, you know, most like Picasso, um, What's the other, what's the other steak place, uh, at, uh, uh what's a really high end steak place at Bellagio? Um, it's right next to Picasso prime. I mean, all those places are open, like, you know, and, and it's just, they're not getting people. I mean, it just, and, but they're still open. So anyhow, I'm predicting within a month that some of these casinos are, you know, I mean, you saw with Wynn, what was it about a month ago? They were two weeks ago. They closed the rev permanently. I mean, you're, you're yeah. going to start seeing some really tough decisions. Yeah, we are. And now no, now the, you know, Nevada, you know, the unemployed are only getting 400 a week here versus a thousand before. So that's cut into people's, uh, you know, income stream as well. So man, it, it's, uh, I don't know, buddy. Uh, you know, it, it, it yeah, well, there's, like, well, we're going to talk about the vaccine a little bit later and no, it's not going to be here until the, the best case scenario. I'll quickly say is, is, uh, November 1st for those who are <clears throat> vulnerable or healthcare workers and December 1st for everybody else. And that's the best case. And it's more likely we're not going to see it till 2021. So that's the truth. And people are just going to have to deal. I don't even think that best case is the best case. I don't think they would have a mass amounts yet and have it organized properly. Enough no, I didn't. I, they won't have mass amounts. It's that they will have, that's when they will start for each group. If in, I- the, in the best case. Interesting story, uh, real fast. If you want to research it and talk about it tonight, if not, you can do it next week, but it is something noteworthy, or maybe you've talked about it. Um, I don't remember the name. A simple Google will tell you, but uh, Thursday morning, one of the last mob era characters uh, that were, that came here when like the city was basically run by the mob and welcomed by the mob died. Uh, a convicted murderer, gangster. He uh, was in real life the person that was buddies with uh, the character that Joe Pesci played in the movie Casino. If you go ahead and just Google like Las Vegas mobster, I can't remember his name. I've, I've read I've read a lot about him the last couple of days, um, but he just died, and of all things, he had COVID. Uh, he had the virus. Like he survived, you know, shootouts and, and mob, you know, violence and ended up succumbing to the virus at age 81. And, oh, yeah, uh, I saw that. I did, I did see that. That was Frank Colada. And he was. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah, that was, uh, he died of the coronavirus. And in fact, he was the vice president, uh, or no, sorry, he, he was, uh, he wasn't, he was, he, he was, uh, didn't he do some kind of like uh, mob tours or something? In uh, I think maybe in his later years, later years, he, I'm talking about. Know, I'm not talking about. Did, when, I'm not talking when he was younger. Thing like towards yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think so, but I don't. 
I re- the only thing I remember reading in the article was he was he was on some of these mob podcasts that Vegas does. But I mean, he's he's a convicted killer. Like you know, he he he. It's amazing he still walks around. He actually ended up becoming state's witness, you know, thirty years ago, and uh, was according to the article I read part of the big reason why uh, Vegas, you know, the mob era ended in Vegas because he named so many names. Um, but I thought that was interesting, like that, you know, even that some of those guys are still around walking the streets. Yeah, like, like, know, like they were. I get. You know I guess I mean? they. I guess it's lost. They've lost so much power that they these guys actually can do so and not get killed. Yeah, they, a lot of people don't know with Vegas that they, they think of the mob. They think it was a very long time ago, but even the eighties, the the mob was still very strong in Las Vegas. It it, it was after that that it, it started to change. So, and you know what? I still think now. You know, whether it's strip clubs or just other other businesses such as I still think there's probably an influence here to some degree. I mean, no. to a small degree. Yeah, I've se- I, I, I actually have seen things like that, too, where I, I believe it's still there as well. It's just not like it used to be. Yeah. I mean, whether it's like, you know, lending money on the streets or, like I said, probably strip clubs. That's that's normally where when you hear about it, like every so often you'll hear about a strip club owner getting in trouble and they'll say he has ties to organized crime, he has ties to the mob. So it probably is, but it's, it's definitely not, you know, of course, what it used to be. But anyhow, yeah, a pretty slow news week out here. There's nothing, you know, really that's gone on, um, you know, casino-wise or just anything interesting. Yeah, I, I, I looked. I, I looked for things, and I didn't uh, – in poker and in uh, just Vegas and gambling, there just weren't that many uh, interesting stories this week. It just sometimes it falls that way, and sometimes I, I'm, there's too much to talk about. So anyway, the show ended yeah. up being long anyway. But here, let me uh, – I, I because I haven't touched the coronavirus stuff yet and – my energy is uh, starting to decline here. Sure, go ahead. Uh, I have some good news, it appears, about the coronavirus, that it appears to be declining, not sharply declining yet, but it seems to be on the decline in three big problem states, in three populous problem states, and that is California, Texas, and Florida. So you may remember in recent times there was uh, a big problem in those states to the point where uh, California was exceeding 10,000 deaths, uh, not 10,000 new cases a day. Uh, Florida and Florida and uh, Texas were at one point as well. And uh, some people were wondering how far is this going to get? How long is this going to go? And when's the peak going to occur? Because what's, once you pass the peak, provided you really passed it, because with the new cases, you have to understand that sometimes hospitals are behind. There's a lag in reporting, especially over the weekend. And sometimes what appears to be progress with bringing the number down is just a lag in reporting. And then you'll see this huge jump a few days later, which is the report catching up. And so you can't be wrongly influenced by either number. But but it does seem like things are getting better somewhat. So. California yesterday, and remember, that's not a weekend. We're talking about Thursday, which is uh, typically one of the more reliable days because it's not right after a weekend and it's not the weekend. Uh, California reported 6539 new cases to lead the country, but it's also the most populated state. Texas, which is also quite populated, uh, 5753 new cases. Florida, 4684 new cases. No other state has 
over 3,000 cases except these three. Now, these three have large populations, Florida, 21 million, Texas, 29 million, California, 39.5 million. So, of, of course, uh, the bigger the population, the the higher the number of new cases. And, you, you, of course, you have to do a division to see how much it is per uh, person, how many new cases per person. But these three states definitely were having a peak for a while and all three of them at one point, not at the same time, but at one point, all three of them were having over 10,000 new cases a day. And there was also a lot of death, too. The death is still happening, but it's not uh, it's not in, at unmanageable, terrible levels. California, 166 deaths yesterday. Texas, 226. Florida, 121. So it's no long it's nowhere near going away or safe in these three states yet but the fact that the number of cases seems to be past peak shows that uh maybe it will follow the pattern of other places once they've peaked that they'll peak then they'll go below peak kind of sit there some and then have a very quick fall like what happened in New York and New Jersey which are now mostly past the problem not completely but the significantly better so there there are other hotspots in the country. Uh, when you look at the population, North Carolina, with only 10 million, had uh, uh, 2,042 cases, which if you multiply out to what California has in population, they would be the leader. Uh, they, would be above, they would be population adjusted to what California is. It would be like 8,000 to California to 6,500. Uh, Tennessee with 1,600-something uh, when they only have 6.8 million. Uh, Missouri with only 6 million, they had 1342 cases. So some of these states are spiking up when they didn't have much of a problem before. As I said, I think every area has to go through it once. Illinois currently having some issues. They have 2293 cases with a population of 12.6 million. So the, the thing is here, what we're not seeing, and the good news here is we're not seeing it getting worse. It's actually getting better in the three states which are getting hit the hardest. And we're seeing we're seeing receding also in Arizona where it was terrible before. Arizona's actually uh, improved a good deal. They only had 619 cases yesterday, and they have a 7.2 million population, so they they've really improved a lot. They were really in bad shape for a while, and uh, so so you're seeing improvement, and it really is sticking to the model that I'm claiming that everywhere has to get it once, and so. Our hope is that once it runs through the population in each state, that it's going to be a very much reduced danger. It won't be a zero danger by any means, but it'll be a reduced danger to where then it starts to become safer and more clear that things should be reopened and that uh, things are starting to get safer to do. Like when I was trying to decide what to do about Benjamin with school, he just started school, but right now there's no choice. Right now you have to do it by Zoom. But there is a choice I had to make for when they change that. And at the moment, I, I did choose that I wanted to stay on Zoom. But once I feel that California has gotten to where New York and New Jersey is, I, th- I think at that point I might say, okay, it's fine for him to go to school because then I'll feel it's mostly passed. It's not mostly passed in California yet, but in other places it is. And I think that might be the biggest way that coronavirus is going to really reduce itself. Not even like I think that may actually do more than the vaccine will do unless we get a really good vaccine. And that's still up in the air, whether the vaccines are going to be successful enough to where they basically eradicate it. And that's, I I have a lot of skepticism. I hope it works, but uh, 
I, I have some skepticism about that. So that's that's some good news there. And right now we don't have any state which is really getting terribly hit. Like there's no equivalent to what New York was facing in uh, in April. There's nothing like that going on in any particular state in the U.S. right now. There are some countries that are having some trouble. India is getting worse than ever over there. They're actually they have the most cases per day right now anywhere in the world. Of course, they have a huge population of like 1.2 or 3 billion, but they they, they had a very little of a coronavirus problem. Now it's getting pretty bad. Mexico's bad. Brazil's bad. But again, I think it burns through the population and then it uh, it dies down. What, what I, I hear something in the background. Are you vaping or something? Yeah, that's exactly what you're hearing. It is vaping. Sorry. It's a, the vaping yep. show here. Okay. Yep. So, okay. Uh, moving on. The um, I want to talk about the vaccine program because uh, that's something interesting to discuss and to think about. The U.S. has already decided the schedule it wants for the vaccine. Now, I say the schedule it wants because it's contingent on a few things, including whether the vaccine is ready. So that when I say they want it, that doesn't mean that they know a vaccine is going to be ready then. It, it means that they are hoping a vaccine is ready then. So so basically, the U.S. says that they want a vaccine ready to be delivered. They, if, if it's going to be ready, they want the distribution in place for November 1st for those who are needing it the most. And the way they define that are healthcare workers, that is frontline healthcare workers, not just if you work in healthcare, but if you work in healthcare that uh, puts you in danger, uh, especially like at a hospital or ER, what they call frontline healthcare workers will be the first to get it. And then also in that priority group will be those who are very vulnerable, which does not apply to either of us, of course. I was thinking before this was announced that they would have a tiered program where they would make it, uh, because they can't just drop 330 million vaccines at once. I know that's not going to happen. So I said there's going to, there, I thought there should be a priority for most important to get it fast to least important. So of course the most important is frontline healthcare workers and people very vulnerable. And then they should go down from there. They should pay, then they should go on to the elderly and those with very serious pre-existing conditions. And, and then they should move down to, to, to middle-aged people. And then eventually the last ones to get it should be kids. Well, you don't think it should have any correlation how many bracelets you have. I wish I, I would love that. Even though Phil Helmuth would get ahead of me, I would be, I would accept that. And then Doyle would be like, would he be second, third? Well, Doyle deserves it fast anyway. He's 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 old and overweight, and you know he he's, he's he can't walk well anymore. So I, I I'd be fine with Doyle getting in the first priority anyway. Phil Helmuth, no, but look, if I was if I was in that select group, and I had to wait behind those guys, I would take it. But they, I was thinking they should do it in some kind of tiered format, but they're not. They're they're doing it pretty simply. Just who do you think should get it first if it came down to it? Amanda Leatherman. Lacey Jones, or <laughs> we'll go with genocide. And tell me why. Give me the reason why, based on what they've done for the world. The funny thing is, they're all around the same age, so it's it's even kind of hard to. to I can't even go by that. So, yep. um, I did it. Well, I'd have to pick Lacey. You think she should get it first? Yes. Lacey's a little bit crazy these days, though. Well, that's why I think she should get it. I think it's it's she's been inside too long. Oh, okay, that's that's a good point, and, and maybe genocide because she she can she's prone to going crazy too. See, believe it or not, Amanda I think is the, is the most stable of the three. Uh, I would I was going to say Lacey until recently, but now uh, she she she's been mm. she's been cracking. Listen, you know what that um, 
all the stories about that Leatherman sneaking out in the middle of the night and going to different boys' houses. Maybe that Negreanu's hoping this pandemic lasts a lot longer. <laughs> you know, he knows where she is. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe she thinks she's not vulnerable. She could. I guess she could still be doing this. She could say, "Hey, I'm." So, I'm, what would your order be then? I, I think it would be Lacey, then then uh, then genocide, and then uh, Amanda. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I think they're all. Th- I think all three are very close in age. I didn't think about that before, but I, I bet they're all very close in age. I think they're probably all around kind of like the thirty-five, thirty-six range. Maybe a man's uh, thirty-four. They're all very close. You know what? That is, you know, that'd be a great question. Like, you know, obviously someone could look it up because it's readily available. But which one is older and in order? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I you know, just think like, Amanda's the point. youngest, but not by much. I think she might be thirty-four, or just turned thirty-five. And no, then... she can't be thirty-four. Um, be, could she be thirty-four? Because she was. Well, okay, no, hold on. Yeah, I, yeah, she's thirty-four or thirty-five this on. year. She's born in eighty-five. I know that for sure. Okay, because I can tell you she was she was twenty one in oh six. She was in a casino working in two thousand seven. That's thirteen no, years. No, in two thousand six she, she was. She was she worked. She showed up in oh six. So she okay, so, so it's, 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 she was twenty one then. So it's a uh, so she's got to be uh, yeah. yeah she's got to be thirty five or uh, thirty four yeah probably thirty five. Well, if they give it to her, they got to give it to Josh too. But I, I believe and I believe probably... genocide. I think genocide was born in like late eighty four. I think I saw that somewhere. So that makes her thirty five. I tell you, they're right around all the same age. I never thought of that before, but you mentioned them together. I go, and I just randomly said those three. Yeah, it's funny. They, that guy, they they're very close. All three of them. Huh. It was like what, when I used to do a segment on the show. You probably remember I used to do the older or younger I than Druff game. I was a part of it. We yeah, and I and I try. I was trying to find people that were hard to guess. And I remember I, I I picked some tough ones like Matt Glantz. People had a hard time guessing which is older. He is slightly older, but not by much. And uh, there's others I picked that were right around my age that was going to be hard to guess. So, similar situation. Okay. so well, It's amazing that some of these people that you knew back in the boom aren't even 40 yet. Yeah. It's kind of weird to think about. Like, you'd think everyone... Yeah, I know. It's kind of sad for me. Well, in one way, it feels weird to have these people getting close to 40 since they seem like kids to me. And then on the other hand, I think, well, shit, they're not even 40 yet and I'm close to 50, so... That kind of sucks. You know, and I meet this girl, this post-flop Malone, and she's 21. It's just, it's amazing. Oh, is she only 21? See, I, I, thought, I thought she was like 23. She's 21? No. Nope. Oh, jeez. 21. She turns 22, <laughs> uh, like, in the next month or two or three. But just thinking, like, you know, we're talking about stories and stuff, and then we're like, you're like six years old. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just weird to even, I don't know, crazy. Yeah, I know. There's... No, a lot of people who are twenty one, like like at the, they can't even remember life at all during the time, like during the beginning of the poker boom, like in 03. You go back seventeen years. They, they some of them are so young they they barely remember even being alive. They were alive, but yeah. they, they were like toddlers. Oh, that was interesting. There was a million dollar pot or so online. Yeah, I talked about that. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a stupid pot too. It was like it shouldn't have gotten that big. Well, the Ace King with nine seven or something. Yes, the the nine seven yeah. was spazzing out. The Ace King couldn't fold, and uh, the Ace King hit the backdoor flush. Very weird hand. Isn't that kind of crazy? Peeling like just you're peeling like when he peeled the turn, the Ace King hand peeled the turn with like hundreds of thousands for like I don't know a quarter million dollars. It's like a it's like a two hundred thousand dollar peel. Well, and and he may be drawing dead. Right? Yeah, also, the flop, flop peel he had nothing. That was the other funny thing. And then the other guy just hammering. Even with that scare river, he just keeps hammering. And I, yeah, it's crazy to even think that pots like that are even being played. You know, I remember like when, when 
baseball. You remember days where like you would just sit there and literally every few minutes there'd be a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar pop on full tilt. Like it wasn't yeah. even a thing. But apparently and this now, is this like, is the highest one that's ever gone. For no limit hold'em, not not for PLO. Oh, not for PLO, okay, I guess. No, it's it's the highest no limit pot. The the highest PLO pot is still a hand between uh oh jeez, was it it's either Dur it's like it's it's one of I think it's Dur, Isildur and and uh what's his name? Antonius. Two two out of those three were in it. It was like a one point two million dollar pot. Um but still and nonetheless that's that's crazy to think a million dollar pot in today's economy. You know, or just the way, you know, poker is today. That that's pretty nuts. That is you nuts. wouldn't think people had that kind of money on Well, them. especially because it wasn't even like a situation where it just was a cooler for someone and they were all going to get it in. This was this was something you didn't have to go this way. This was just Yeah. Well, cuz I, I I you know, I can't recall the specifics, but I know one if not it might have even been the highest hand and Durr was on the losing end of it to Isildur, who's no limit, was an aces versus kings hand. It was, was actually like it wasn't it wasn't Isildur, it was one of the Dang brothers, but yeah, it was close. Okay, yeah. yeah. Would, right. Then that was like seven hundred thousand. Yeah. That's you know, it's aces versus kings. You get it all in pre. It's like you know, but uh, yeah, that's that's you know. Do you even know? I mean, I I'm just curious. Could Americans log in, download or not log in, but download the software and actually watch Bird any high level? I'm guessing. Like, you know, I'm guessing example, no. WSOP. It's so it's so weak. You can download it. You can see how many people are at whatever table. But you can't even, you know, if you wanted to, like, bury a final table during the WSOP, it w- the software won't let Yeah, you. it's dumb. It must be some kind of legal requirement. Uh, yeah. the, the GG, I don't know. I, I've never tried it. I, I should try. I guess I could just try to get GG and see if it uh, lets me. But I'm guessing it won't let me open anything. Well, it might. I, mean, I know that, and you said legal requirement. I remember when Poker Stars in New Jersey first started. And I remember I downloaded it because I was on did on the on the air with you because we were curious how many games they had, how many people were playing, and at least then it let you bird the games. Well, that's New Jersey though; they may have not had that requirement over there. Well, no, that we're well. That's what I'm saying. That's you know that's what I mean. You know, so it let you at least, and then Poker Stars still even now you could you could watch like the main site. I don't even know what is it called. What is it now? It's not like is it Poker Stars EU. What is the one that if you you know that multi country, like the old one we used to play on? What's the domain for it? Do you even know? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think it's PokerStar. Well, I think it's dot com. I think it's still dot com. Or or you could probably use EU also, but uh, okay. Well, I know that you can bird bird that site and watch it, but I don't you know I don't think they ever have you know those kind of games on there anymore. You know, I occasionally have dreams where somehow I can log into it and play it and there's some some sort of loophole that my brain creates a backstory for where I can play and I kind of know I'm not supposed to but I can kind of do it and get away with it. Like I every so often I have that where I play on there. And then and then the funny thing is I'm also playing on like other sites in the background which don't really exist that also I'm not supposed to be on. And gosh, would wouldn't that pandemic have been nice if we would have been able this whole time to be on Poker Stars still playing? Like with a worldwide pool and twenty-four-hour games and all the different kind of games you want to play. That's true. If this happened it, like fifteen years ago, this could have this could have really, really made some great games. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, our our little buddy out in the Caribbean, he's kind of going through a renaissance. Uh, I randomly looked the other day because I saw on Twitter he had mentioned that he had. A number of scores. Oh yeah, playing. I saw that he's playing GG poker on those. Yeah, uh, so I, you know, so they've been pretty good. Like you know, both GG and WSOP, where they list, you know, you even if it's a, a screen, you know, 
they, it's not a known name. They list you on Hendon Mob under your real name. And he's, I mean, nothing significant. I don't know why he said he had a significant score. But actually, you know what it was? It was on that Live of the Bike inter- interview. He talked about having a significant score recently. Yeah, I heard or that. A nice yeah. score. But, no, but he's cast like eight or nine, seven. I mean, a bunch of, looks like he's played a lot of tournaments. Like every day he's firing. But you know, it's, it, it, that's good. It's that, good for him. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I, he's, he's there kind of how you feel being trapped with the uh, coronavirus and you eventually say, I just got to get out. Um, I think he's had that before the coronavirus where he's just on this small island with a small population where it's probably, he's, he's from a different culture. Uh, he's just, it's, it's probably hard to relate to people and make friends there and say, well, no, I just only mean it because he hasn't played in like five years. Well, and that too, but I, but I think especially like he, he, between wanting to play again and just like, I think he might just be bored there. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about the vaccine again. So, so they, they want a system online ready to where they can distribute it. They don't know which one they're going to distribute. There's seven of them they're, they're really considering right now. But uh, and there could be more than one that gets distributed. But they want some kind of distribution. If something passes the phase three trials, which is where they check if it's safe, and if if it's something effective, something that is worth distributing, they don't want the problem to be. Well, we have a good vaccine. We just have no way to distribute it. So uh, gotta wait. They don't want that to happen. So they've set November first as the target date for being ready to distribute the first phase of the essential people to get it. And then December 1st as the beginning of the distribution of the second phase, which will be done through major drugstores like Walgreens and CVS. That's where you're eventually going to get it. The government has announced that that's what's going to happen is it's going to be through major drugstores and that uh, it's going to start being distributed through those on December 1st, if ready. But that's a huge if. There's a very good chance that there will not be one ready to distribute on that date. But it provided a vaccine is there. They they want a distribution of it ready on those dates, and it does not appear that there's going to be any tiered way of distributing it beyond those two groups, which I think is a mistake. And I'm also wondering what kind of demand there's going to be. They said in December that they're targeting 20 million doses and 10 million doses for November. So that's, that's like less than 10% of the country. Now, let me ask you, have I missed something? Is this all still assuming it passes regulatory bodies or, or? Yeah, this is assuming they pass. There's seven different vaccines that they're really considering that are being independently developed. Okay, so everything you're saying in terms of the dates, that's still assuming that it actually even works. Has, nothing's been proven yet. Yeah, uh, right. Nothing's been proven. What, what, now, is that counting the one in Russia that we all heard uh, that made the news a few weeks ago? No. Or are these all American? And no, this, this, these, these are all ones that uh, – that are being uh, that are approved by the U.S. That if they pass the phase three, that then they'll be uh, they'll be able to be distributed. But and it, it is a huge if. But I'm just saying this is to prevent a situation where there is a vaccine that is good, and then they just have no way to distribute it. So they're they're saying we're get, we have to be ready to distribute it by these dates. And if the vaccine right, itself is I'm not saying, ready, there's still a chance that. If the dates that you're talking about, they're going to come out and say, well, you know what? We're not satisfied. Yes. And then, in fact, or, I'd or, say that's a higher chance than, than not that, that, they're, course. that they're not going to have it. But I'm saying that's the earliest you're going to see it. Sample size, there were, you know, I don't know, side effects or it's not foolproof or, you know, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. a lock that, yeah, okay. 
but, but the, and I'm saying that's the earliest they're going to see it. So for those thinking, okay, maybe they're going to start giving a vaccine in October. No, they're, they're actually not because they're actually saying we're not, we're not even going to have distribution ready, no matter how good of a vaccine they find, they find, or if the re- let's say the research came up with a perfect vaccine that is safe and completely eliminates the vi- the chance of getting the virus. They're not going to come up with something that good, but let's say they have that. Then you're not going to be able to get it in September. You're not going to be able to get it in October, no matter how badly you need it. They're not going to have the distribution ready for this, even for the healthcare workers, until November 1st. That's the very earliest, but there's a good chance it'll be later if the vaccine itself is not ready, and there's a good chance it will not be. So that's uh, – and then I, I also wonder, let's say if it is ready – they're only going to have 20 million doses for the general public in December, so that's going to be get used up real fast. I know some people are not going to want it, but 20 million is going to get grabbed up real fast. So good luck. I think there's going to be long waits to get it. So and likely this won't even this won't even impact the election. No, no, no. Well, they can't. They they can't even start distributing it until days before the election to the most essential yeah. people. So there's not going to be a vaccine before the election. That's a good point. And. They now, if, they, if there's one right down the pike to happen, if they let's say as the election's approaching, they're all ready to distribute something very promising that just hasn't happened yet. That will help Trump some, but in all likelihood, we're going to be reaching the election without uh, anything really promising as a vaccine. We'll probably be further along than now, but it's not going to be something where you can really look forward to and say, okay, this might really finally be the end of it very shortly when they distribute this. Uh, you can likely not expect to take a vaccine until 2021. If you think you're expecting it in 2020, don't. It's just not It's not likely you're going to have a vaccine injected into you until uh, after 2020 is over and maybe until a few months into 2020. And there's still the chance, as depressing as it is, that these vaccines are all going to be a fail or a partial fail. And when I say a partial fail, let's say a safe one that makes you 50% uh, likely to be immune to it. That's better than nothing, but... Can you confidently walk out and say, "Okay, I'm safe now"? No, you're you're, you're going to have the same caution. If you if you reduce it by fifty percent, it's probably not going to impact the way you think about it very much. It just makes you feel a little bit better. Okay, I fifty percent chance I'm protected, but fifty percent chance this did nothing for me. So that it's not like five percent that it didn't work because then you can go, "Okay, yeah, I could run bad, but look, it's it's ninety five percent is pretty strong." I, I'm going to assume I'm safe. Fifty-fifty, which is around what the the flu shot does for you. Uh, if it's like that, it's it's going to not be a game changer unless it uh, eventually leads to herd immunity. But it won't be an immediate game changer, and I know it won't change my behavior at all. I'm not, I'm not taking the fifty-fifty shot that I can still get it. So I I, I will take it. I, I've also got to decide if I if I want to be one of the people taking it early and risking potential problems. Or to just wait some time and see how this all shakes out. I haven't decided yet. I'm kind of leading toward taking it, but I'm, I'm not like a, a person who fears vaccines. But I did. I did have a bad experience with the vaccine. I did. I did get shingles, which I think was from a vaccine. I really do. So I, I'm not. I don't regret taking that vaccine. I needed to do it as for whooping cough, and I, I had an infant that could die from it if if they were to caught it to have caught it. So and it was coming back to California in 2010. So I wait. You got the whooping cough? No, I said no. I I took a vaccine for it. In fact, everybody's been taking vaccines for it for decades. But it was. I was going to say I didn't even think that was a disease anymore. No, no, no. It came back. This it was thanks to Jenny McCarthy and Jim Carrey. Believe it or not, Uh, I'm not joking. 
What happened was, what? yes, Jim Carrey and Jamie McCarthy were very big on the anti-vax movement, and they were they oh, were they were very that. public about it, and they influenced people because they were celebrities. So what happened was people and the whole panic that the vac- vaccinations cause, cause autism. So people started not vaccinating their kids, and this brought back the whooping cough that had been gone for decades. It had actually been gone, and California was the worst. California was the one where it, where it came back the strongest. And 2010, the year my son was born, was the year where you had the most deaths. There were 10 deaths, which doesn't sound like a lot, but there used to be zero. There were 10 deaths of, of infants in 2010 that caught the whooping cough. And it was found that the DPT shot that just about everybody had gotten at some point in their life doesn't give lifetime immunity. And if you don't get a booster every 10 years, that you can carry the whooping cough and so that's what happened is that 10 people gave the whooping cough, the, the, the virus came back because people started not getting immunized to it and people were still vulnerable for not getting booster shots. And because they weren't giving their kids the shots, they, it was, uh, so it came back and 10 kids got it, 10 babies got it and died in 2010. Uh, so they made it a requirement in California to get that and the flu shot uh, if you're going to be either working with kids or if you're going to be a new parent or someone's going to be caring with ki- caring kids like a caring for kids like a grandparents or whatever that they're going to see them a lot anything like that so being a, a new father i had to get the shot and uh, what happened was in the summer of 2010 I, I in the early fall of 2010 i was getting slammed by really bad colds over and over again like like so often that I started to think maybe there's something wrong with me, and then the following year I, I didn't get many colds at all, so it just was bad luck. So it, it turned out there was no big deal going on in 2010. It just at the time it was a little concerning because I'd, I'd get one terrible cold after another with really bad symptoms. So the problem with this was you couldn't get these shots while you have a bad cold because they, these shots are not effective if your body's fighting something else. So you're supposed to wait until any other virus goes away before taking the shot. So I'd have a really bad cold in August. That it'd be better for a short time before I could get the shot, I'd get another one. So it was getting closer and closer to Benjamin's expected date of birth, and I'm going, crap, I can't get this flu shot or or DPT shot for the whooping cough because of uh, these colds. So finally, a window came on in, in mid-October where I had gotten over a cold, and uh, there was still enough time to get the shot and have it be effective for when Benjamin would be born. So I got the flu shot and I got the TPT shot. I think about a week apart or something. Anyway, the uh, uh, two and a half weeks after I got the DPT shot, I got shingles. And that was the day before Benjamin was born. So I couldn't touch him for a week because if, if it gave him shingles, shingles for him would be chicken pox. It's the same virus. And that could kill babies. So I couldn't touch him. Which was very depressing to have a your only kid, and you can't touch him for the first month of his life. But that was my situation. Uh, I researched this online if there was any chance that shingles could have been brought on by a shot. And I found a forum. I can't find it again. I've looked at it again. But a forum where people were discussing it, and everybody had the same story. Tons of people who got that shot, two to three weeks after getting it, they had shingles. It wasn't enough to trigger some kind of major study for it, but it was like a lot of anecdotal evidence of people who had the exact same experience. They got the shot, 
and then two to three weeks they get shing- two to three weeks later, the shingles pops up. So I think that's what did it. And I think I think maybe it was combined with the fact that I was getting over a cold. I think it wasn't just the shot. I think it was the cold that wasn't completely out of my system yet, plus the shot caused an immune problem that allowed the shingles to get through. That's what happens is you get shingles when there's some kind of temporary immune hiccup that allows the chicken pox to come back out in a different form. Because if you've had chicken pox, it's still in your body. I assume you've had chicken pox since you're near my age? Uh, yes, when I was young. Yeah, so it's in your body. It's, it, the virus is in your body. It'll never be gone until you're dead. And uh, your immune system has been suppressing it. And then if your immune system has a little hiccup, it can slip through and it presents itself in a different form. It, it presents itself through your nerves, and that's what shingles is. It's a, it's a nerve disease, and it goes. Uh, it's the chickenpox uh, virus presenting itself a different way. So if you've never had chickenpox, you cannot get shingles. You can get chickenpox, but you can't get. Uh, you cannot get shingles if you hadn't previously had chickenpox. But uh, so the kids who are getting the vaccine, I don't know if they're vulnerable to it in the future because there wasn't a vaccine for it back when we were kids. But uh, I believe that the shot. Plus, the getting over the cold probably caused my immune system to temporarily temporarily have that hiccup to where it, it busted through like that. But despite that experience, I, I'm not anti-vaccine, and I, and I know why I had to take it, and I agree with the fact that I had to take it. I'm not even complaining about having to take the shot. It just was unfortunate what happened. I could be wrong. Maybe it's coincidence, but there are a lot of people all with the same story. In fact, there was a girl in poker who had the same story. I happened to see it on her Facebook and then I messaged her, and maybe it went to junk, and she didn't respond to me. It was some Asian girl I didn't know, but I found her page through somebody else. I don't know. Somehow I was like looking at her page just from just clicking on profiles, and I saw her write, um, "Man, this sucks. I, I'm pregnant, and now I have shingles. Uh, what, what the heck?" And then uh, uh, I wonder if it's from that shot, I, from that DPT shot I took two and a half weeks ago. I go, "Shit, that's exactly me." So anyway. We'll see with the vaccine. I, I've got this just – I'm not optimistic about the, about the vaccine. I'm not pessimistic. I'm like right in the middle. I know some people are really optimistic the vaccine's going to fix everything, and I know other people are like, nah, it's going to be a fail. Don't bother. We're going to have this forever. How do you feel? What's, what's your feeling about the vaccine? Uh, I'm, I guess, realistically optimistic probably is the best. Okay. You're probably a little more, a little more than me. I'm kind of right in the middle. Yeah, I like. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I wouldn't be surprised if if it works and everything good, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's a complete fail. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of in the middle, kind of like the flu vaccine is. Sure. Okay. A final topic, and then we'll ask Brandon here if he's got anything he'd like to add. I know I've talked about this before, but this this bothers me. And they, you know, they talk about what could the government have done better and what could the media have done better with the coronavirus. And you hear stupid things. We could have done better contact tracing. No, that's not going to help. The contact tracing only would help at the very, very beginning. If a country of 330 million, contact tracing is useless. It has been for a very long time since this, when I, like a very long time in relation to the time we've been dealing with the coronavirus. Like it, even in, in mid February, it was too late. So that's why anyone talks about contact tracing and, yeah, Trump isn't doing contact tracing. If you hear that, you're listening to an idiot because that's that's there's it's not realistic. It's something that people say to sound good, but it's not realistic. I'll tell you what's being done wrong, and it's happening both at the government level and it's and at the media level, and there's no excuse for it. Uh, Brandon, I'm going to ask you some things. 
if you've heard about this stuff, I know you, you follow some of the coronavirus stuff. Uh, tell me if you've, if you've heard this. Uh, what percentage of people who are getting the coronavirus are in your age group of like 40 to 50? Do you, do, you, do you know that offhand? Do you hear that very often? No, I don't know. What percentage of people uh, are, who are dying of this are, are having pre-existing conditions and are under 50? Do you know that? I don't know. No. Uh, what defines – you hear about pre-existing conditions. What defines one? How, what can you say what is and what isn't? I know some things are obvious that they are, but what – like if you have cancer, that obviously is. If you have diabetes, that is. But okay. What, what about high blood pressure? Is that – do you know? Yes or no? Yes, it is one. Actually, the answer is we don't know. They, they've never been clear about it. <laughs> so, I thought so, it was. No. They, they, that's all, they're all over the place with that. They're, they're, they just say pre-existing conditions, and while some are very obvious uh, because they're major conditions, and, and sometimes they'll cite certain ones like he had the pre-existing condition of diabetes, something that's not as bad, that's common, like high blood pressure, they uh, they just – they're not clear about. So there's very low clarity regarding the data. We don't have data. It's not broken down for us very well. Occasionally something comes out, but uh, it, it doesn't tell us very much. People have a very hard time assessing their risk. You see plenty of anecdotal stories. Oh, this this 26-year-old is, is in intensive care right now. He thought he was safe. Okay, but what percentage of 26-year-olds have major symptoms? How many 26-year-olds have anything that even makes them very sick? Forget hospitalized. Just uh, how many 26-year-olds are very sick to where they can't do anything except lie in bed? How many? You don't know. If you're 26, can you figure out... If these cases you see on the news are super outliers or if it's something realistic you should think about? No. What, what if you're my age? Can, can you figure with the data that's given? Can you really tell what risk you are? Can, can you tell what percentage are asymptomatic that they found? I know if you're asymptomatic, you typically don't get tested. But have they given stats on that? Have they given stats on how often you get very sick but not hospitalized compared to mild symptoms or no symptoms? No. We have none of this data. Now, in the first month, fine. It's, it's very hard to get all of that. We're more than six months in. Why don't we have this stuff? Why isn't there a website? They don't have to spout all this off on the news and you have to memorize this. Why isn't there a website that the CDC runs that breaks down the data? And you can see in every way, maybe even just a drop down. Like, I am 40 to 50, I have one of these conditions, and you check the boxes. Uh, it could be like an old 1990s-style web form. Uh, you know, you, you fill these things out, okay, and then it gives you stats. In your age group, in your age group and, uh, and health group, we found this. Uh, this percentage tend to get uh, minor symptoms. This percentage tend to get moderate symptoms. Like, like just really break it down for you so you know what your personal risk is and then you can make intelligent decisions of, well, it sucks being trapped in my home. It sucks not being able to do things. It sucks just every day being the same. And okay, if my risk is this low for for this and this and that, then I'll take the chance. Or no, this is higher risk than I want. I'm going to stay home. But you can't use this. You've just got to take guesses at it. And Another thing is why is there such a poor breakdown of what can happen to you regarding uh, non-death consequences? So permanent lung damage, permanent heart damage, permanent brain damage. We hear about this, but then we don't see the chances. 
How many people are they seeing who are 45 who get the permanent lung damage from the coronavirus compared to those who are 35 and 25 and 55? I'd like to know this. I don't want permanent lung damage when I'm at this age. If I'm very old and get permanent lung damage, okay, I don't have that long to live anyway, and I probably have a lot of other problems that's not going to impact my life too much. But I don't want to have permanent lung damage where everything makes me exhausted at this age when this shouldn't be happening yet, and I, and I should have a lot longer to be active at this age. I don't want to get the permanent lung damage, even if it doesn't take years off my life. But we don't know. We're not hearing what percentage gets the permanent lung damage. I have to go by, and, and I'm fortunate that I have exposure to a fairly large group of people through poker and gambling to where I'm exposed to people saying they had it and their experiences with it, even if they're not friends of mine, just, just people who are peers in the community. Most people don't have that. Most people don't have a group where they can see like, you know, such and such person got the coronavirus and here's, here's their experience. So I've seen from my own anecdotal viewing of the situation that it seems that a lot of people my age don't die, don't go to the hospital, but get the, the permanent lung damage. And then a few unlucky ones that are close to my age actually do die. But I'm not seeing stats. I don't. I honestly don't know what my personal risk is, and that bothers me. Because I want to know. I just wanted to be honest about it. I, if it's low, I want to know it's low. If it's high, I want to know it's high. So I have to take an extremely cautious approach not knowing. I have to assume the worst. And it sucks. Uh, I think some of this is because they think this will help people comply with social distancing. I think they're afraid if they tell the truth that the 25-year-olds will go, oh, wow, my percentage of having anything bad happen is that low? Oh, sweet. I'm going to go out now. So they don't want people seeing that. So they just don't want to report it. I think that's what's going on here. I think there are two different goals going on. I think the government thinks they're doing the right thing because they're getting everyone to take it seriously by making it by not allowing certain groups to realize that their risk is low. And unfortunately, what this also does is certain other groups may assume the risk is lower than it really is, like people who are middle-aged. And then on the other side, I think the media doesn't want to report these things because the media, they want Trump to lose, so they want this to seem as bad as possible. They don't want people to think Oh my! Uh, oh, I'm young. My chance of getting sick is very low. So they they don't want that out there. So the media doesn't want to report anything that could be seen as good news by any group. And the government, they just want everybody to comply with social distancing, and they don't want to encourage anyone to not. So that it, it's just considered better to hide it from it. Either that or just extreme incompetence. I don't know what it is, but even if there's incompetence in the government, why is the media not saying, we want answers to this? Why are you not giving us this? We demand answers. Have you seen the media demand answers to these questions? If you think I'm wrong, you try to answer these questions for me. Now, when I say you, I mean the listener. I'm not really talking to you, Brandon. I mean to you too, but anybody who thinks I'm wrong, tell me the answers to these things. Tell me where I can find these stats very easily. Not for one hospital or one city or one state. I'm talking about just a wide uh, statistical analysis of all of these different groups and even what defines these groups, what defines a pre-existing condition? What is the official definition of someone dying with a pre-existing condition? I can't get it. I see some listed, but I don't see others excluded. Like I'll see pre-existing conditions can include and list things, but, but does that exclude everything else? Or are they just giving some examples? Because the way it's put on the CDC website, it looks like they're just giving some examples. Like it could be this, this, or this, but not only this, this, or this. 
I don't understand why we should have such an information blackout. It's insane. In the age where information comes very easily, we have the internet, we have so many websites, we can get this instantly, and yet we can't find it. Six months in. More than six months in. So it has to be intentional. It has to be intentional, and that that's a big problem. And when discussing how the government is doing and how the media is doing with this, you have to ask yourself, why are we not being told and why is nobody asking these questions? As I said, no matter, you can say, well, Trump, Trump is, uh, he's the president. It's his administration. Blame him. I said, okay, what about the media? What are the mainstream media that leans left? Why are they not demanding these answers? Why don't they ask these questions? Why do we never ask these questions? Why? Don't you think it's good for each person to know their personal risk? So whenever I try to look it up, I, I pretty much hit a wall. I just get directed to websites that don't really tell me anything. Where I'll see in, in one study in, in a hospital of uh, 340 patients who came in, I go, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want a study out of 340 patients. I want to. I want statistics based on everybody. So that's a question you need to ask yourself. I've mentioned it before on this show, but it's still the case today. And if you think, see, there's people who hate Trump so much that they think the media is doing a great job exposing his incompetence with the coronavirus. Okay, the media is doing such a great job. Answer those questions for me. Show me, text me, 775-372-8355. Text me where I can find the answers to these questions if the media is doing a great job. Because if I were in the mainstream media... I would demand answers to these. And I, if they couldn't give them, I would say, why don't you have this data after six months? And I demand that answer. But we're not getting that. Instead, they're, they're trying to find whatever way they can to make Trump look bad. And for some reason, the people who are working under Trump feel that we don't need to know this information. So they're not doing a good job in that way either. All right, uh, Brandon, do you have anything uh, further to say? About the coronavirus? No, about anything. About life? A- anything. Anything. Um, no, not really. Nothing's <laughs> coming to mind. Well, you know what? I like to talk about this kind of stuff on The Fraud Show. Have you watched any of this? Uh, any of these NBA playoffs so far? Yes, I, 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 mean, what, I haven't watched that what, much. I watched the Lakers and uh, the first game. Uh, they they're a fail. Yeah, well, they're a, yeah. The first, well, listen, I'll tell you what ended up happening. Obviously, is they've lost a number of players that you know were with them the whole season, and they had to sign fails like uh, J.R. Smith and uh, who's the other one? They signed like three players that weren't on their roster during the regular season, and it's just not the same team. Um, I would be, even though they have, you know, two really, you know, I guess arguably top five players, I would be just stunned if they ended up winning this. Um, I don't. You saw LeBron's performance the other night; it, it wasn't very good, buddy. I think he made four shots the whole game. They won, but uh, I think this may be the beginning of his decline. Like, you know what I mean? I don't. Think, yeah, it had to happen eventually. A lot more of those kind of games in. You had in the past. 
I, yeah, I was wondering when it was going to happen because the guy's going to be 36 in December, and uh, that's not ancient, but it's you know basketball because that's it's ancient it's, for basketball, yeah, right? I was going to say, I was gonna say since since basketball is more of a uh, there's there's so much running around in basketball and you tire yourself out so easily that uh, youth and, and also it's, there's a lot of jumping, there's a lot of things, there are a lot of aspects of basketball that some other sports don't have, like baseball, where sometimes you can survive longer. Now, in all sports, as you approach 40, you, you have a sharp decline, unless you're taking roids. But basketball, he's correct that... Um, not, not, not every sport. I mean, golf, not as much. But yeah, for the most part. I'm saying like the major sports. sports at least. Yeah, yeah, the team sport, the major team sports. The, 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 everybody declines big time around 40. Uh, sometimes beforehand, but always by around 40, unless they're taking roids or you know, they occasionally have the Tom Brady type who, who can survive longer and a quarterback can survive longer. But uh, with LeBron, what was amazing with him, as he got to his mid-30s, uh, he was still so good. You, you didn't see much of a decline out of him. And even players like Kobe had already taken a, a big step down, already started when they were like 33. So that hadn't, hadn't happened to LeBron, but the bottom line is even players like LeBron James – there's an expiration. Yeah, but Kobe date. was also like 35. Actually, he was probably closer to like 38 in basketball years because you have to remember he was one of the last batch of high schoolers that were allowed to come straight from high school. Well, so, the LeBron I mean, did and, too. And the amount of minutes he played, I mean, he didn't have the body of a 33 year old. No, but LeBron did too. LeBron came when he was an 18 year old. Yeah, no, he did. He's been here forever. A, LeBron's different. I mean, he's not. You know, I'm just saying, Kobe. I mean, Kobe had a, Kobe had probably as many miles on him as LeBron has, you know, or somebody, you know, was it wouldn't be far off either way. Oh yeah, know, I'm, of, I'm saying that he declined earlier. That LeBron actually lasted yes. a lot longer. LeBron, especially if starting at 18, has lasted a tremendously long time at an extremely high level, uh, to where I'm shocked there wasn't a decline yet. So yeah. yes, but but I but think, he's almost 36, I think we're and start seeing it yeah, though. he's almost 36. It has to happen, and. uh the first game, the second game, at least they, they they crushed them, and I had a feeling they would. The first game, I the problem with the Trailblazers as an opponent is they're one that can really beat you if they're hot. They're they're not just a an eighth seed that has no chance. They're an eighth seed that they have some issues. They're not uh, the perfect team. They don't play defense, and they don't play defense. Well, issue. they don't yeah. play defense, but they so they they have holes. But they're a team that can get very hot. And well, no, burn what you. it is is they have like they have. Four, four players that are regularly in the rotation that can get crazy with the three. Right. That's, that's, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. They're, they're hot, if they're hot, hot they can kill you. Like, you know, they could just, boom, five threes in a row. Oh, my God, it's 15. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. so that's and that's what happened to the Lakers in the first game. So, so the problem is if you snooze on them and if their players are, they are shooting well, then they can beat teams that are better than they are. And if you don't watch out, you can find yourself losing a series to them. So that's uh, that's not an eighth seed you can kind of sleep through and say well, we're so much better. There's almost no chance we're going to lose. The Blazers are one of these teams that can surprise you, but yeah, so so far the Lakers haven't looked that great. Now I've seen it before where where teams in the NBA uh, look kind of questionable first rounds. I've seen sometimes where they get on the brink well, of getting elimination. That, they 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 didn't look great at, from the restart on. I think they went three and five. Yeah, since, but some of that know, was that, that that they didn't feel there was a need to to. Ex- Exert themselves because they had well, the position locked up. So that that I understood. It's not like these guys have been together for years. You still want to get the chemistry going before you know enter with momentum when you enter the playoffs. But anyhow, yeah. Point taken. Um, who do you think the favorite is to come out of the West? Well, I, I see. I know people are saying they think the Clippers are going to beat the Lakers. 
when the, the, presuming the Lakers get past uh, Portland, which I think they will, and I that I know the Clippers are already up two one, and I, I don't see them losing to the Mavericks. So they, it's it's it's. And Donick Donick got hurt tonight. I don't know if you saw. Oh, it. I didn't see that. Okay, so yeah, he sprained his ankle to the point where he couldn't play in the fourth quarter, and it's a quick turnaround. So they're done now. Yeah, even if it, even if that was potentially going to be a competitive series net without him. I mean, he's their, you know, he's he's their nucleus. Yeah. So uh, that kid's going to be great, by the way. I yeah, mean, he already is. That kid's going to be. Uh, he's twenty-one, and and he's an MVP candidate. I mean, that. It, I don't know if you, how much you've watched him. He's probably the best distributor that I I've seen since. I mean, he's uh, even more so than probably Steve Nash. I mean, he's just amazing. I don't know if you've seen him, but he's he's fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, I I know he's really good. He's got. Uh... He's got a lot of head. He's only twenty one, so he's got a lot of time yeah. till uh, yeah. to develop and get even better. Uh, I think well, you know, right now a lot of people are feeling like the Clippers are the favorite in the West, even though they're not the one seed; they're the two seed. They just uh, they've been looking a lot better than the Lakers have been looking. Doesn't even matter. A two seed is a one. Seed. I mean, you know, because there's no home court. Yeah, I know. So it doesn't even matter. I know much. it doesn't matter much. Yeah, but it's funny the Lakers get a one seed for the first time in thirteen years, and it doesn't even matter. <laughs> But well, you know, I said this before uh, I, I know, a couple of weeks ago before the postseason started. You got to give the NBA credit. It looks like they've done just about everything right in terms of their restart and how they've uh, come up with protocol. You know, to, for the players, for staff, for everybody. You haven't heard of uh, anything. You know, any any outbreaks, anything contentious going on. Uh, you know, nothing. It yeah, like they, it's they, like a they, well-oiled, well-oiled machine. Yeah, they thought this on one on. out well. They thought this one out, and they uh, did a good job isolating everybody in the bubble. And uh, yeah, they haven't had the problem. They're they're going to complete. And you know what's funny that the I know this is a small thing, but they've done a pretty good job with a fake crowd noise in the game. Sometimes I really forget that there's no crowd there. Where in baseball, yeah. the, in baseball, I feel it's too muted. I feel like baseball's got to go either just get rid of it or or have loud enough and realistic enough crowd noise where you can forget there's nobody there because in those cardboard cutouts, I remember when you first told me, but I first heard about them from you on this show. And then yep, you remember. said the giants were doing it. And then like everybody was ended up doing it, but they're selling it too. Yeah. They're selling it for a lot of money. In fact, yeah. but the, the, at least from a distance, it can look like there's fans. Obviously once you zoom in on it, you can see it's cardboard cutouts. And you, if you think about it, you know, it's cardboard cutouts, but from a distance, it can look like there's people in the stands if you don't look too closely. So if they were to play crowd noise that is realistic and loud enough, then it could make you feel like you're watching a game with fans, even if you really think about it, you know you're not. But in baseball, it's it's weird the way they do these crowd noises. Like a lot of times something big will happen, and you'll just hear a very light in the background or – yeah, uh, and and it it just doesn't correlate. Like they'll, they'll do the the organs and the, they'll do the uh, the sound effects that you'll normally hear in the stadium, but the the crowd noise is soft and it doesn't correlate well with what's happening. They don't have like a loud crowd cheering for something big. Like that, how hard is it to make a few different crowd noises, like loud, medium, soft, uh, just kind of background, and then just have them running depending on what's happening. It shouldn't be that hard. It yeah. doesn't take a genius to sit no, there hitting the shouldn't. button. But they don't, so it's it's, it's kind of weird. Like, uh, like when it's not a big moment, then I can kind of feel like I'm watching a game with crowds. Cause it, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of surprised you haven't been uh, wagering more. I mean, every day now, 
for the foreseeable future, we have games starting at seven th- or ten thirty on the East Coast, seven thirty on the I'm sorry, ten thirty on the West Coast, and it goes until you know nine ten o'clock at night. I mean, all day long, there's just a game every day. I haven't really read anything about uh, you betting anything. No, I've bet I've, some things. You know. I, I just um, I've been just kind of conservative. I've been just I, if I see something that I oh you've like, been betting basketball. You, you have bet some basketball. I've bet a little basketball. I I, I tell you what I regret. I meant to bet uh, both the the, uh, the Bucks and the Lakers for Game Two with the spread. And I really thought they're, oh, they both covered they're both easily. easily covered. I was like, oh, they're going to come back hard. Like I just perfect knew they were games come back hard, yeah. where you don't even have to sweat. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, I I just didn't do. Well, it. Well, you kind of knew, especially Milwaukee was going to. Yeah, just I, because you know Orlando isn't isn't much of a team. I I, I felt like both were going to happen, and uh, I it wasn't like I backed away from it. I just forgot. I just forgot to place the bets. So that now, was, tell me something. My you know we, we have a twenty five dollar wager. You and I do you remember this? Yes. Okay, it's it's the Dodgers versus the Marlins, and it's looking like the Marlins have obviously fell back down to earth. But it's looking like if all things hold true, the Dodgers may end up playing a handful more games than the Marlins do. How are we going to? Determine oh, we we already said that. On, if, if if neither what do, what if, do we any team that doesn't finish sixty games, uh, that we will. Unless it ends, I don't think we oh, said we're going to prorate, gonna prorate it. it. We're going to pretend they probably sixty and just move up the the win total. Based okay. on that, and then uh, go with it. Unless, unless I, th- we, I don't think we came up with a number, but but like if if it really gets cut short, where they one team barely plays any games, we'll just cancel it. But uh, other than that, we're, we'll we'll keep to it. I, I, I see. I think wasn't uh, no. I think they won today, though. Didn't the Marlins win today? Against they the, won. They beat the Nationals. By yeah, the I was considering betting on on them today, and then I didn't. I'm sorry, I didn't now. Well, two announcers for two different sports have been fired for gaffes in the last uh, 72 hours. Are you familiar with either? I only know about one. I know one talked about uh, the, the faggots or something with a hot mic, and they caught that, and they fired him. No, well, kind of, but not really. I, I guess. He's a Kansas City he, is for exact, faggots. His exact quote was he called uh, somewhere the fag capital. Yeah, there was Kansas That's City. He he Kansas City. Was yeah. A fa- yeah. Then a little under 48 hours before that, uh, this is really bizarre. I love to hear your thinking on this. Uh, the play-by-play announcer, uh, the TV play-by-play announcer for the Charlotte Hornets. They're not in the playoffs. They weren't even in the bubble. He was just watching the Denver Nuggets play the Utah Jazz at home or you know wherever he was as a citizen, not in a working capacity. It was game one. So I guess this was Monday of this week. And it was a really good game. It ended up going to overtime. Donovan Mitchell scored 57 points, which was the third most points ever scored in a playoff game. Anyhow, he tweets, uh, as the game ends, wow, what a game between the Utah Jazz and the Denver. Oh, and, I, I remember that. Gonna, yeah, and and then it explicit, you know, and uh, racial epithet. Yeah, yeah, the, the N word there. You know, the, the I, I, so, so, right. so, now, so then I, there, there was no there's no way it was intentional. This, yeah. So well, this is the thing. So first of all, this guy's new. This is his first year, anyhow. But nonetheless, there's nothing in, in this history to suggest he's. I mean, who would do that? So he couldn't explain why. You know, meaning like, you know, well, my first thought was maybe he uses that word as slang. And his phone auto-corrected something. Yeah, that's what I would have thought maybe happened. You know, 
because he gave no other reason. He just said, I have no idea how, but he tweeted it. It was there for, you know, a good couple minutes before he started seeing that something was wrong. He was getting backlash or text messages, whatever it may be. So, uh, anyhow, I don't think he's fired as of yet, but he's definitely suspended. And I don't know. It, I, what do you do in a situation like that? Do well, you fire somebody? You might have to now. The problem, the problem, as you said, is that Apple's not going to correct it to that word, even if you type right, something close to it. strange to me. Sure. Or I don't think any phone's going to do that. Like, it's not going to be in the phone like, oh, maybe you meant to type this and they'll change it to that. Like It's, a, it's never going to change it to an epithet. So you have to try to type it. So either he was used to typing that word and actually typed it out himself and just wasn't thinking or like he just happened to type the wrong thing. His brain – I've typed the wrong word before, not racial yeah, epithets. But you but can't I, type N-I you know, without – it auto, you know what I mean? Like, how can you go from nuggets to that? By, but I'm saying if if you're just purely misspelling, I don't think that's possible. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, so, it have to so, be so it might be, it, yeah. So it's either it's either you know where it, how it might have done it. Now that I'm thinking of it, not from a typo, but if he does type that word a lot, it's possible because he's capitalizing. I don't know if you've noticed. If you capitalize something, it's less yeah, likely to sure correct a name to correct something because it thinks it's a yeah. name. And it doesn't want to correct every time you're typing someone's last sure. name that it, it doesn't know. So since Nuggets in Denver Nuggets is capitalized, uh, I think he may have been used to typing that word. He wasn't trying to say it, but he may have been used to typing it, or maybe it did. It, he's typed it before, and it was trying. It auto corrected to that uh, because he t- he didn't quite type Nuggets. He typed uh, maybe he's trying to type. He typed uh, uh, like N I G G U T S, and then it, and then it jumped to a word he used before. I, I don't well, think it just invented that word to use for it uh, when he's never typed it before on his phone, and I also don't think that uh, he happened to have exactly hit that combination of keys. They're not close yeah. enough. Yeah. Well, Michael Jordan obviously is his boss, is the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. So, be interesting to see if he gets fired or you know. And then getting back to the first one, I, I don't. Is there a connotation that's associated with a, a, a large predominant? homosexual community with Kansas City? No, I haven't heard of it. I mean, too bad okay. Jerry Charles is not here. We could, we could ask him. Yeah, but, that's uh, funny. I, don't, I wondered why he said that, made that comment. I didn't, even, I didn't know. I think he may just not like them. or Yeah, maybe there is a gay community there, but... Uh, well, I'm sure there is a No, I mean, like maybe, a lar- maybe, maybe like a large one that's yeah. uh, larger than the average city. Not like San Francisco, but, but something that uh, is bigger than average. Maybe there was like a big gay community. I, I don't know. I've never heard of that before, but it's possible. Especially maybe for that sure. area. Maybe in that area, if you're gay, then that's where you're most most likely to be accepted if you live. I don't know. I don't know that area yeah. that well. Yeah. Well, anyhow, so if you had to, getting back to basketball, if you had to pick a team that you think is going to win it all, uh, you know, you could pick the Lakers, even though it's your home team. But just using your head, like, who do you, right now, who do you envision the highest likelihood of winning? Hmm. Well, I just don't know if if the Lakers are going to have the firepower. I mean, it, it's still a long way. You know, you talk a, another thirty something games, if not, yeah, about thirty more games, maybe. Yeah, it it is a long way, and yeah, I don't know if I, I could see them blowing it. Uh, they're they're one of the favorites, but as far as the the favorite, I don't know. I mean, if it's you're right about these other players at this. Group isn't that used to each other, and they haven't. Yeah, looked Avery, that good. Avery, Avery Bradley uh, opted out. Uh, uh, I think who there's like three of them that opted out. I know Rondo is hurt. You know, so he was their you know their, their point guard or backup point guard, but he was their veteran leader. 
So, I mean, you know, how many players can you even name besides LeBron and, and AD? <laughs> hey, what, what about uh, KCP? You can't forget him. Oh, yeah, we Pope. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it should be interesting. But anyhow, they're, yeah, their game's on at least now f- through the first round uh, from 10.30 to, you know, 7, 8 at night. Or actually, no, 9, 10 at night. So it's interesting to watch. You know, it, it's going to be pretty amazing if uh, Kawhi wins, gets them to a champ. I mean, the Clippers have never even been to a conference final, you know, let alone, a, you know, a finals. If he can get them there, you know, to win it, and likely is the MVP, I mean, he'll accomplish records that, probably never be broken again. They have three championships with three different teams, and it'll be the finals MVP for those yeah. three different teams, which is pretty crazy, pretty impressive. Well, isn't it, is it kind of weird having Dwight Howard on, on the Lakers again? No, you know what? <laughs> Everything I've read, and you know, I'm not any kind of NBA insider, is that this has been a renaissance year for him. No, it has. He's been, he's been, back, he's been better, he's been, he's been a lot better than expected. Added, Yes, his attitude and how he's how he's kind of just you know, knows his place, and I think that's because he's still relatively young. I mean, he has a lot of miles on him too, but I think he's thirty two or thirty three, and he doesn't want to be done quite yet. And he realized, you know, it was made clear to him that if he blows this, he may be out of the league. Well, I can t- I can like tell you something was- else about this, uh, about why that's likely. He's actually thirty four. I just looked it up. I, I thought he was older okay. than thirty two, but okay. in fact, in fact, he'll be thirty five in uh, in December. He's actually only a year. Uh, Younger than LeBron, but okay. Uh, here, here's well, the my point is still the same though. Well, here, here's here's what I observed during his first term of the Lakers was that th- he got a lot of criticism that he wasn't intense enough and he didn't take it all seriously enough. He kind of was laid back and uh, he's immature. And that was he, just the common gripe. Yeah, about well, that was immature. He was kind of laid back. It, he, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't intense. He kind of he, he kind of didn't want to be a leader. He kind of just wanted to play and have fun and not and not care that much. And 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 uh, so I don't think he liked the pressure. It just wasn't his personality. He didn't like the pressure of being one of the big stars. I think this is actually a better role for him. So he kind of aged into where that's a, a where he's going to probably be. Uh, is that uh, when when you're not one of the people that's all on your back or it's largely on your back. Where uh, you're, j- you can just be there in the background and do your thing. Uh, th- that becomes a lot better because people aren't going to say, "Oh, why isn't Dwight Howard the the, uh, the role player uh, taking everything super seriously and really intense?" You don't think that about the role players. You don't think that about the guys who are supposed to be leading the team and supposed to be the big stars. He's not that sure. anymore. This is actually something which fits his personality better. So I think that's why he fits in very well now. It's it's a different role he has. Well, also listen, he's probably humbled. I mean, do you written? Do you know how many teams he's gone through in the last three years? Yeah, I don't know how many, but I know he's been jumping around everywhere. I mean, he, Atlanta, Charlotte, Houston, Washington. Uh, I mean, four teams in in I think either or New Jersey, no, five teams in I think three years since he left. Since he left the Lakers, he went to Houston. He was in Atlanta. He was in Charlotte. He was in Washington. He was in New Jersey. All teams, all and all of them waived him or got rid of him. He didn't just leave because he had a better offer. So, uh, but anyhow, yeah, it, it, it should be very interesting, and I think uh, uh, you know this is probably going to be the best chance LeBron has to win one more championship, at least as a uh, you know as a 
number one, you know, number one type player on his team. Yes. I mean, I, well, I that's the know. other thing. I don't, I don't, much like Kobe, who I had a hard time ever picturing playing second fiddle to anybody. And of course he didn't. And that, that was some of the problem the Lakers had for a long time is that until he retired, uh, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't going to have another star who was younger and, and better than him at that point sure. uh, taking over. So they kind of had to wait till he was gone before the, doing that process. Uh, so, LeBron is the same way. I don't see LeBron deciding to become a role player when he gets older. I think he's just going to be done when that when that occurs. Yeah, you're probably right. And, but the thing is, he may play play out the whole thing. So if you know, remember he signed for a number of years. So towards the end of that, if he steeply declines, as hard as this picture right now, if he steeply declines, I, uh, I he's should just, be wrong. I thought he signed a. Did he, how many years did he sign? I thought it was three years. No, no, no. It was more than three years. Let me let me go look this up. Okay. It, it, I, it was something where I said that uh, at the end of it, I thought it, next it could, year was his last year under contract, or at least he had an opt. Oh, maybe it's the it's the opt out, but he won't want to opt out if he's uh, if he's starting to decline. He's not going to get bigger money elsewhere. But uh, let me see about the contract if I can find it. Okay. Uh, it was something where I was looking at it, going, you know, towards the end of this, it's possible that he won't be. There. So let's see, he signed. Where is it? It's hard to find this here. Um, you can just type in uh, I guess LeBron Lakers contract. Yeah, I guess I had to do that. I was trying to read on yeah. Wikipedia, but it, was, it wasn't clearly yeah. stated. I thought it was three. Well, even if it wasn't, I, I can almost guarantee he has an opt-out after this year. Okay, so it's 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 only four years. I thought it was longer. Okay, I thought it was like five or okay, six. Wait, okay, so that's not as bad. Uh, or it doesn't say. It said, actually, it's sort of. It's a player option. So it's kind of an opt out. Well, that's an opt. That's that's what an opt out is. If he doesn't want to, he can decline his fourth year and then become a free agent after next year. Yeah, I guess it's so, the same thing. But but you know what? He's left there. He or, you know he left Cleveland. He has a house. You know there. He wants to kind of breach out into the or branch out into the entertainment. He, he's not leaving L.A. He's never going to go to play for another team. I no, think he's not. I, I, no, I don't. Th- I don't think he leaves L.A. Yeah, he's too old at this point. He's not going to start over somewhere else. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess I guess I thought it was five years or six years. It was actually four. So I don't know where I got that before. But anyway, yeah. So one more year. That's not. Uh, but that's not going to be a huge thing. But uh, well, no, you're right. But I'm saying just on his body and another 82 game season. You know, more miles. I mean, I don't know what he has, but he's got to be already top five in minutes. You know, played for a career, maybe even top three. Like I can think of, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has probably played more minutes than him. I'm trying to think of who else, you know, player-wise has played as many minutes or more minutes than him in a career. Guy's got a lot of wear and tear. Oh, yeah, he does. I, it's a ton. That's surprising how good he is. Still, you, you remember when Kawhi Leonard actually really wanted to be a Laker, and then it just didn't happen for a while. That's what he was saying. Uh, yeah, in 2018, he was saying that, and then uh, didn't occur. And then there were. Uh, there were even questions about him after the last year he had in San Antonio. That was a very weird year. Yeah, I, I didn't even know what to think. When he had him. like the thigh injury, or yeah, you know, it was weird because he he was claiming he was hurt. They couldn't really come up with proof that he was. It, his he had people surrounding him that were yeah, blacking that out everybody from finding out, and Popovich was getting pissed off, and the, the old Spurs organization was getting pissed well, off, and he especially because it happened with that organization, which has you know been a picture of stability and you know you don't hear gripes coming out of san antonio from the players from assistant coaches you know, from the front office 
you know, everyone's, you know what I mean? Always just kind of followed the, uh, the line there. Yeah. He was just doing this weirdness with, uh, he was young and he, he's, he's, he's acting really strange about his health there and won't let them blacking out information, not letting them know, not returning. And then, yeah. uh, and then, then there was the whole thing with the load management, which people kind of laughed at the following year and it ended up working because <laughs> yeah. it seemed weird the at first. was, you know, at the time, Basically, he inferred to you – know, this is what I've read. It's pretty well known. He inferred to San Antonio he wanted to be traded. He wasn't going to resign even though he had a full year left on his contract. So they basically thought – you know, because then he affected obviously his trade value and the leverage that the team had. So San Antonio, Popovich basically said, well, you know what? You know, We'll show this guy that no one player is bigger than the organization. We're going to send his ass to Toronto. Like that was kind of like – you know, you have to remember Toronto – I'd never done anything before, you know, he got there. Well, I mean, but they, was, they had they had good regular season teams, and they choked oh, yeah, in the playoffs every right. time. They couldn't get past the second round of the playoffs. They, they choked the in the playoffs year. over and over, yeah. And they'd get, they'd get humiliated. They'd get swept by LeBron, I think, two years in a row or whatever it was. So, and, you know, he he may turn out to be uh, – it's, it's pretty it's been pretty amazing if he ends up winning at least more championships with different teams than LeBron does. Yeah, Brian that's true. Two and, you know, he, he already has two. So uh, I, I'm a fan. I mean, I like him. He's a great player. Oh, yeah, he's I mean, a great he, player. He, Boy, he, he came up huge in the in the finals with Toronto. It was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Or the whole playoffs with them, not just the final. The whole playoffs, yeah. he just killed it. So that's yeah. – and, and that was – uh, Interesting question. Do you think the coach of Philadelphia will be fired? I think he will. Yeah, They're yeah. They're they, swept. Is there a big fail? It's, it's going to be time, yeah, for for a new voice to be heard. I think it's, Brett it's, Brown is going to be done. It's not even a great team that's beating them either. <laughs> so. No, I know. Well, you know the Celtics do have. A They're decent, but this, it's not. It's not yeah, even yeah. like it's just a, some powerhouse that's, that's expected to totally destroy them. Like they were. Sure. They're getting. It's kind of an embarrassing series for them. Yeah, I think it's going to be fine. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. That was one I almost bet on the last game too. Uh, I'm not sure if they covered though. They were very close. It was like 100 to 94. Boston. Yeah, what was what was the final score? It was like 100 to 94. They beat them by uh, 10 today. Oh, they beat them uh, by 10. So it would have, it would have covered. Yeah, no, okay. they they covered. Today. It was it was close. Whether it, it was like it was clear so, they were going to win. No, no, it was close as far as covering. It was a uh, it was like well, minus no, six. What happened? Boston Boston closed the game on a 12-0 run. <laughs> so that's why literally they. They closed the game on a twelve zero run. No, I'm, so I'm saying why. when I when I stopped looking, it was they were exactly six ahead. I knew they were going to win at that point, and I it, it right. finished at eight. No, or but 10. I'm saying that it's misleading that you know you look at it and you're like, oh, they covered easily. But I'm saying with two minutes left, it, it was you know one possession you know game. Yeah, like literally, Boston had to like outscore them ten or ten or twelve to zero to end the game to you know. Yeah, that, 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 that must have really sucked for those who bet Philadelphia the spread. Yeah, no Philadelphia. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They would. But have... I mean, you know what? You, you. I mean, without you know, I've always thought they mangled. They really, really mangled that that organization. I mean, they had all those first round picks, and yeah, I know they have Embiid, but you know what? I think we've seen his true colors. I mean, he's a great player, but he's never going to be. Like eighty-two games, eighty games a year. Like he's injury prone, you know. Seriously, injury prone. Like he's had major foot foot problems, and that's something you know for a center is dispels disaster. You know, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. You know, any kind of foot problem. Yeah, I've seen that before, right? Or the foot problems really. Yeah. Screw the you career. Know, for a big for a big seven footer with all that weight. So 
uh, it'll be interesting to see if they break up that team. Like there was talk, you know, who do you keep if you're gonna if you're gonna break that team up? Who do you keep, Joel Embiid or Simmons? Because part of it is you know the fact that many people think or the so-called experts that uh, they don't play well together, that they can't space the floor together as efficiently as you know. So many people seem to think that Embiid would be the be the one to go hmm. because Simmons, uh, you know, is a generational facilitator and you know, he's a great point guard um great nucleus and he's still you know he's much younger i think he's he like 23 now maybe so i don't know It'll be interesting to see uh they already fired one coach or actually they i'm sorry they fired three coaches already i don't know if you even saw they fired the coach of chicago they fired the coach of the knicks and they fired uh the coach of um, new orleans the other day mm. alvin gentry finally got laid off so um he only will obviously get one year with zion williamson but anyway i'm glad sports is back um it's gonna be it's really really interesting that the the coach of the raiders or i'm sorry the owner of the raiders mark davis he's literally and you know this is on perspective he's literally the poorest of nfl owners um i think his net worth was like a little over a billion dollars and that's not, I guess, not counting, you know, what the team's valued at. But he doesn't have any other businesses. Like, you know, he doesn't like Jerry Jones, you know, got money from the oil industry. And so the Raiders is really his business. So he finally gets a stadium that can make them money, you know, out in Vegas. And I've seen it. Uh, you know, I don't think have, – have you seen – have you looked at the Allegiant Stadium? Have you seen photos yeah, of it? Yeah, I've seen a lot videos? of photos of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous stadium. And uh, it looks like they're going to play the first season without fans. Because he said, even if they allow fans in there, uh, he's not going to only allow you know some fans, but not everyone that had paid. So he's already made the determination they're going to play wow. without fans. Just kind of a strange way to open up your first year in a new stadium. Um, but uh, I'm you know I'm excited for that. Now, now they know, are the NFL is less uh, the, the revenue depends less upon fans going through the gates because uh, they don't have that many games. So it's not like baseball where they have 162 regular season games and 81 at home. Sure. Here, and they have, they have a monstrous TV contract too. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's the big, but that's, uh, yeah. that's a bigger factor for the NFL because, because they just don't have enough games for the fans to, going through the turnstiles to generate a ton of revenue. That's, uh, yeah. And in fact, that's why I said that the NFL, it's much. But those corporate box suites, some of those, you know, businesses are paying, you know, a handful of millions of dollars a year. Oh, I know it'll be it'll be a hit, so, but it's it's not like it's not the same as as losing the baseball fans just from the sheer number of games, and that's that's also the same reason that I said the NFL can be a success in Vegas and baseball can't because there's just I just don't think there's the population to support eighty-one home games where there is the population to support like eight home yeah. games. Oh no, definitely the and they they know that the biggest mistake this city could have. Would be giving it a, a a baseball team. There's no way we could support a baseball team. I mean, hockey, we know we do really, really well, or or anything where there's you know that many games. You know, hockey, we can we do well with 41 games, but you know, yeah, even you know another. Obviously, it'd have to be an indoor, you know, with a or a stadium with a roof because there's no other way you could play baseball here. But uh, yeah, that just that would not be a good idea. But you know what? I'll tell you this. If someone would have told me when I moved out here you know, almost 20 years ago we were going to have an NFL team, 
you know, at some point, you know, in the you know middle range future, I wouldn't have believed it because the the stamina or not the stamina, the uh, the thought of of having a team. I mean, things have changed so much that it was so taboo, you know having anything, any sports league associated with Vegas because of the gambling back then. It's it's a really insane. Yeah, it took a to while to get into the what present. A, what, a, what, a, what a 180. Well, it made be. sense, though. See, I, I thought this is always stupid because they were thinking too much of the past when players didn't make that much money compared to today and of to course. where it, it, could be, it could be worth it for them to throw games. But how you get a quarterback who's making $30 million a year to throw a game? No. What, what are you going to pay him, $100 million? Yeah, like, that's the point. Make sense. Is that they right. make too much money. They're, no one's going to jeopardize their career for that. So it's a, it, that's such a different situation than it used to be. It's be so hard to bribe players at this point in, in these major sports that they, they've basically been priced out of doing that because if these players got caught, they could be kicked out for life. So they, they, they don't do this. And they they would lose their contract. They, it just I couldn't see any major player doing even one that's that's younger that's not making much yet. Sure. One that is an impact player knows that in the future he will make a lot of money. So and so that, he's not well, going to. That's the other thing. It's different in basketball where you know you get one you get the star player or even you know two people and they can yeah they can turn the ball over. It, it's very hard even if you got one key guy in football unless it's obviously the quarterback to to you know to really control the outcome of a game. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's you know, too many players. So Yeah, they've, they finally uh, realized that that's foolish and it really should just be about the whether the market can support it. And so I thought the NFL, there was a good fit for it, and I know the city is uh, very excited about that because Vegas was always, they just kind of accepted that this was never going to be a town with home sports teams other than uh, UNLV. Yeah, and now look at it. We have two of the major four sports. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So that that is good. So. You don't have to you don't have to root from afar anymore. And yeah. I, and also, like a lot of it has to do with, with the market size. As long as there's a lot of passion for it, that can make up somewhat for the market size not being that big. Yeah. So the last thing I want to ask, going in another direction, we won't make this long. It's August twenty second. It's five forty three on the Pacific coast of the United States. What would you set? The Dan Druff, Todd would tell us, presidential money line right now at, and which we you know in favor of who? It's definitely in favor of Biden, and uh, it's. See, I've had a hard time coming up with. I, I've thought of this before, what the right line would be for Biden, and uh, Trump. It, it, as Trump showed four years ago, it, it can be unpredictable. What type of support he'll get, but uh, I, I even despite the upset he pulled off four years ago, I still think he's very much the underdog, but not so much to where it would be shocking if he won. It's not like in uh, in two thousand eight with McCain and Obama, where I knew Obama's winning for sure. Uh, right. with, with, this is one where it wouldn't be a shock if Trump won, but he's definitely not uh, the favorite. Uh, I, I still think that. At the moment, Biden. I think probably like a Biden minus two hundred. Oh wow! You think that high? Yeah, I think that high because here's the problem: is that it's for Trump to win. Trump had a big electoral 
margin, not huge, but fairly big over Hillary, which made it look like he won by more than he did. So first of all, he lost the popular vote, which doesn't really matter because the the goal is not to win popular vote. I've always said saying that someone lost the election, the presidential election because of not winning the popular vote is like saying a baseball team lost because they got fewer hits. That's not the goal. So you're if, if you're not trying to get to that goal then you, you can't be considered to have not won because you didn't reach it. The goal was the, the electoral votes. He won that and won that uh, yeah. not even by that close of a margin. However, uh, what was close is that some of the unexpected states he won, he just barely squeaked by. And to where if something was a little bit different, he loses that state. And not only does he not get those votes, they go back to the other side. So that uh, – that makes a big difference. That's almost like double because you not only don't get them, the other side gets them. So sure. the problem is here that there's too many states where he's vulnerable and that uh, he has to have everything go right. See, he's not going like to capture runner, any- runner, 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 runner. Well, yeah, because he, he see he has to capture the all of these swing states. There, there is there's not a lot of states this time where it seems like he's going to pull off that he didn't get last time. It looks like it's. How many can he maintain from last time? Which that's all he needs is to maintain because he won uh, by a decent margin. But there, he also can't lose a ton of them because most of these aren't uh, small states. So, and, and then Pennsylvania. Do you know what the uh, you know what the actual? I don't. That's why I'm asking you. Do you know what the actual current lo- odds are? They're not like that steep, but the, you're looking predicted right now. Uh, and predicted, you got to. I want to see how close it is to what you said. You said minus two hundred. Okay, so predict it. And this is – they have kind of a weird system where you're it's, – it's almost like you're buying stock in them. So so with Biden, you would pay four, 59 cents to get a dollar if he wins. So that doesn't mean you win a dollar. That means you get a dollar. It's like 59 cents to win 41, ignoring the, sure. the awful fees they charge. So – so that's not it's, that's not minus two hundred. Uh, I had to convert this in my head what what fifty one fifty nine to win forty one is, but that that's what it is. So he's he's seen as you know, one way to look at it is he's like a fifty nine percent chance according to them. But l- let me show you something different. See, sometimes the smartest bet you know who's good at, at manipulating this is PLOL. He's very good at manipulating predicted. Not like, not like in any unethical or illegal way. He's just the best at finding the value on the same bet, like different ways to make the same bet that are better. And that's some of how you win on Predict It. So, yeah, I've been impressed with how he has done that. And I've even asked for his opinion before. But, uh. That's a kid with a dream. It it is. So, looking at these swing states, there's a lot that don't paint a very good picture. And that you think if you add all this together, it doesn't make sense why Biden is only, uh, 5941 as far as, uh, the percentage they're claiming that you, that you can bet on right now. So if you were to bet on Biden, you'd be better off doing these individual states, even all together, the swing states, and uh, and coming up with some formula that would be more value. So let me give you an example. Uh, Florida, Biden is at uh, at 56 cents. So it's like 56.44. Arizona, surprisingly, 58.42 Biden. Pennsylvania, 67.33 Biden. So that really is the minus 200. And I think that's actually, believe it or not, I actually think that's good value for Biden because uh, Biden has always been popular in Pennsylvania. That's the whole reason he was vice president in 2008. He was chosen for vice president, not because Obama liked him or thought he'd be a great vice president. Mm-hmm. But before Obama had the whole thing locked up, before the 2008 uh, financial crash, he, he was a little worried that Romney would, would uh, beat him. So what he did – or not Romney, McCain would beat him. 
So what he did was he got uh, – he said, I've got to secure Pennsylvania. I'm a little worried about that one. So he picked someone who is very popular in Pennsylvania, and that's Joe Biden. And Delaware and Pennsylvania have a, a strong association. So if you're popular in Delaware, you're often pencil- popular in Pennsylvania. And it's going to be very hard for Trump to beat him there, unlike Hillary, who didn't have any connection to Pennsylvania. So that's a big thing right there is that I, I really don't see Trump winning Pennsylvania. Now, maybe if Biden royally screws up something, but that's what he's been careful about. They've been keeping him away. They've been keeping right. him to where he's less likely to royally screw up on a public stage. So this doesn't happen. So I think he's got Pennsylvania locked. So that that's a big win that Trump got last time that you got to probably kiss goodbye. And then uh, then you have other states like uh, like Wisconsin. Trump won that last time, sixty six thirty four Biden right now. So that's so if he loses, I'm talking about Trump. He loses Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. That's already big trouble. Uh, Michigan seventy three twenty seven. It's generally concerned. It's generally believed that Trump has lost the small when he had there that they've kind of turned against him in Michigan. Uh, and then so, and places before like, like, like Arizona that weren't really that much up in the air in, uh, in 2016 are now actually leaning Biden. Uh, so, so where is Trump doing? Okay. That he, that, that are considered swing States. Well, Ohio is, it became, uh, more red over the years. So he's probably going to carry that one to 62, 38 Trump. So he's probably got Ohio, but, but then also Florida is leaning, uh, Leaning towards Biden, fifty six forty four, and then also North Carolina is by no means a lock. Trump is only uh, a slight favorite there, fifty two. So that, that's those are the states that are really going to determine it. There's really not. And looking at this map, you can see that this map doesn't say everything. You could have looked before the Hillary election, right. and it would have been really strongly favoring Hillary. But uh, Trump really has to hold a number of places that he didn't, and he he doesn't have the element of surprise this time. He surprised them in. Wisconsin, he surprised them in Pennsylvania, and uh, he's not going to be able to do that this time. He's he's not going to hit them with the surprise. What happened to Hillary is that not only was she surprised in uh, in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, but then the other states, swing states, she was hoping to get, very few of them worked out because a lot of them were turning more red than they realized. So the funny thing is, it looked great for her when they got the Nevada voting because Nevada had the early voting. And what they didn't realize yet in 2016 was that Nevada had turned a lot more blue than they had thought. So mm-hmm. Hillary crushed it in Nevada. And this really made people think, okay, it's done. Because this is supposed to be competitive, and she just crushed it there in the early voting. And it turned out when all the votes came in, one of the few states where she overperformed was Nevada. Most of the countries she didn't overperform, she underperformed. Nevada was one of the few where she overperformed, did way better than expected. So people, you see that first, you think, okay, well, well. People are really uh, hating Trump. Uh, the, the, this is supposed to be competitive. But then you started seeing the returns come in elsewhere in these other swing states, and it turned out Nevada was an aberration just because they hadn't realized how blue it became. So some some states had changed in recent years. Nevada became more blue. Uh, and I'm talking about 2016. Nevada became more blue. Iowa became more red. Ohio became more red. So those states which were thought to be competitive for her weren't. Ones where they thought she might pull an upset, like Georgia, which is still seen as red, turned out they weren't close at all. When the, the Arizona, again, she thought she was making some inroads, wasn't all that close. But now, getting to 2020, uh, Trump is not even looking like he's, he may hold the, the Florida and Arizona, which 
before you would have thought were a given. You wouldn't have thought this was going to happen in, in, uh, maybe in the future in either of these two, especially Arizona. Now, Texas... So what, is your per, what is your... Well, let me ask you. So what is your personal prediction? Do you, do you think he squeaks by or do you think he's out of miracles? No, I think he's going to lose, but I'm, I don't think it's for sure he's going to lose. I think this is one of these things where you never know with him. And it's and it's also there's also this one other factor, and that is it's hard to take polls about Trump because there are some people who've had it hammered into their head by the media that they need to be ashamed to be a Trump supporter. Sure. And, they, and they've gotten so used to pretending they're not that even polls – they're afraid to say it. They're kind of afraid – the same way they're afraid to say it around their friends and, and get insulted for it. Even when a pollster calls up who's not going to insult them, they've, they've gotten so conditioned to just say you don't support Trump that they say that, that they say they don't support Trump. So so that can skew these polls where you're not getting a truthful response, and that's why you can't completely trust this. And that's why they were that, – that's a big reason why people were taken by surprise. They were taking polls in all these places in 2016, and then a lot of these states didn't match. And – you have to ask why, and that's that's the reason. So this could be happening again. If anything, it's more polarized now than four years ago. So that that could be happening again. And in fact, a lot of the Trump haters have gotten even louder than they were four this years is, ago. This is definitely going to be the most watched, anticipated, uh, I don't know, pick your adjective, election in our lifetime. Yeah, you know it's, it's, it's especially because people, uh, there's a lot more people at home with the uh, Nothing to sure. do. So, yeah. but I mean, yes, I tell you, I, I'm going to sit in front of the TV all day long, and yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm going to be sweating it night and day. Yeah, I will too. Now, what's interesting is Predictit is not very bullish on Biden in Texas. There was all this talk about Texas and that the Democrats are going to finally take Texas, and I understand the point. Like I, I've said, Republicans have to watch out because eventually Texas is going to flip with the increasing Latino population and with the increasing population of people migrating from California who are more left, and that uh, Texas's stronghold on the Republican Party and that solid uh, win each time for the presidential candidates is probably going to go away. I said it's not going to happen. This is before the coronavirus, and this is when Trump was looking good. I, but I said it's not going to go away in 2020. They don't have to worry in 2020. But 2024, they have to start watching out, and maybe by 2028 it's going to be gone, and maybe even 24. I said don't worry about 2020. Well, then, of course – Things changed this year. This is such a crazy year. I said, okay, well, this may happen four years early or eight years early, whatever. It may actually happen now where I said before it wouldn't because of this these weird circumstances. However, at the moment, unpredicted, it's 74 cents Trump. So that's kind of saying it's not going to quite get there. Yeah. It could be wrong, but uh, but this is starting to look more like what I said. That Do you remember when uh, we were close to the end or close to the, the election uh, four years ago, what the line closed at? How big of a favorite Hillary was mathematically? No, I, I don't. Odds, I, I, I don't know what don't she remember. was. Yeah, I was trying to think. Of I what remember what I do remember is as they were announcing that Florida was starting to look questionable for Hillary and that Trump was looking like he might upset. I remember I was out, not very far from home, probably about three miles from home, and I said, and then I said, shit. I need to log on to predict it and, and, and play something on Trump. I think he's going to take this, and I think he's going to take the. I, I think he's going to take the election. Like right then with the Florida thing, as soon as I started hearing that this was he was showing up unexpectedly in Florida and doing much better, I said, "Oh shit, this is the." I think they miscalculated. I think I think there's a ton of value to bet Trump right now. So, I, I tried to get on my phone, and I had forgotten my password. It was at home, 
And I said, crap. And I jumped in my car and sped home as fast as I could to hammer bets. So I hammered. So I I got some out, but not as much as I would have if I could have done it on my phone. Those crucial minutes I lost because by the time I got home, it it was already starting to become more apparent to others and predict it. You know, it's based on what the other people will pay. So it's it's kind of like a trading platform. So you you have to buy when everybody you have to buy things for value that other people don't value. So once this started to get out, then it wasn't that unusual to th- have this thought that Trump's going to take it. So I made some money from that, but I could have made a lot more had I been able to bet everything I wanted, like right at that moment when I, it kind of came to me, like I was so pessimistic about Trump's chances until I heard that report about Florida. And then I just, it just clicked and I go, wait a minute. I think he's actually going to do it. It's just Florida, but I have a feeling that this is the sign of what's to come. I wasn't expecting Michigan or Pennsylvania. I'll, I'll tell you that, or even Wisconsin, right. but I thought he was going to barely pull off a narrow victory. Uh, now, there is a chance for an electoral tie in this one. And there's less talk about this now because Biden's opened up a lead. But there is a chance, like a realistic chance, that they could end up with a tie based upon the way the swing states fall. I forgot exactly what it was. I calculated it, and then I looked it up, and sure enough, they, there was a few articles about how this could happen. So that would be mm-hmm. weird. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's going to, but there there is a small chance of a tie Right now, according to predicted, the people, the, the way the market is speaking, I'm predicted. And this is the way people are putting their money. And that, whenever money's involved, that can make it more accurate because it's not just people giving opinions, it's those willing to put money down for it and like a mass group of people. There, there are 218 electoral votes that Biden seems to have very strongly, where it's, uh, unlikely he's going to lose it and then 125 for Trump that are very strong and then uh, 61 for Trump that are uh, likely but not super strong 32 for Trump 33 for Trump that are leaning his way but could go either way then 41 for Biden the same way and then 60 for Biden which are fairly strong so uh, Biden's definitely looking much better right now and I, I don't want that that's not who I prefer win. And the biggest reason I I get this question a lot. The biggest reason I don't want to see Biden win is not about Joe Biden himself, who I I don't think Joe Biden is uh, extreme. I don't think that he would, if this was his choice that he would want to remake the country or make major changes, he, he would have positions I wouldn't agree with. In fact, most of them I would generally not agree, but, uh, I don't think he would do anything that extreme or we'd see that much difference. Um, what concerns me is that if he wins then, and especially if uh, the Democrats have all three houses, then we will see a lot of change and he's not going to stand in the way. I think that then there's going to be a lot of things that are done that markedly change the country or start going in that direction. And I feel a lot of it will be negative, even if to some people – it seems like a positive, even if to some people these things seem uh, like a good thing. Uh, many of these are good in theory, but not in practice. And uh, the only exception with Biden is I don't think he's going to want to support socialized health care. And for the sole reason that he has an association with Obamacare and he does not want to make it look like Obamacare was a failure and needs to be replaced by something else because that takes away – something that he was associated with that that uh, that he's proud of. So that 
he doesn't want to have that remade. He wants to stick with the original thing and not remake it. And also, I think he personally doesn't believe in socialized medicine. So between those two things, like I think that's one of the few places he'll put his foot down and say, no, I'm not going along with it. I think a lot of the other stuff, he's just going to let the more extreme left kind of run over him and, and just say, say, we want to do this, and he'll kind of go along with it, and, and that'll be that. Maybe I'll be yeah. wrong, but I that that is my concern. Otherwise, while I prefer to see Trump win as, as a Republican, if it were Biden governing as Biden would like, then it wouldn't be as bad. But uh, I don't – and then there's also the – decent chance that he doesn't make it through the all four years and then we get president kamala harris who is a lot further left than she likes to portray she is so that's uh that's definitely someone who won't stand in the way so either if he dies or becomes mentally or physically uh incompetent to where he can't do the job anymore and he either has to resign or get removed then uh we'll get Kamala Harris. So I, I definitely don't like that idea. And it's, it's nothing to do with Kamala, Kamala Harris being a woman or, or being non-white. I don't care about that. And if she had different views, if she was a Republican and she had views I agreed with, I'd, I'd be voting for her. So it's nothing to do with that. Uh, but it, I, I, I don't like, you never like when the other side for when you'd prefer wins, but when you when it becomes really disturbing is when you feel that other side is going to radically change the way things are to things you very strongly disagree with and you very strongly think are not going to work out or are very unfair or have good intentions but are going to be a complete fail and uh, that's and and I'm afraid some of these things are eventually going to come to pass and I think what might happen is I'm talking about not necessarily the next four years but a lot of these ideas that are coming from the left, I think, eventually will be tried and will have to fail first. And then people will say, oh, okay, so this didn't work. And then there'll be a backlash the other way. And then Republicans will win. And then a lot of the stuff will be removed. But sometimes people have to see something be tried and failed in their generation in order to decide it's a bad idea. Even if it was tried before and failed, they, for some reason, they think they want to try it again in their own generation because they didn't experience it or weren't old enough to notice it the first time around. So that's, I'm afraid some, and then some of this like socialized medicine has never been tried in this country. And again, I don't think that's happening under Biden, but that's very much something which sounds great in theory and sounds fair and sounds wonderful and will be a disaster and everyone's going to hate it when you see how it actually is in practice. Unless you like waiting four months for a specialist or, uh, waiting for cancer treatment, which people do. Look it up. Look at these uh, European countries with socialized medicine, how long people wait for cancer treatment, some of them. And uh, th- th- there's tremendous waits, all kinds of bureaucracy. I mean, you th- you think the healthcare system's frustrating now? Wait till you see a socialized system. You're going to just go, I want the other one back. Oh, flaws and everything. Bitches. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I think is going to come eventually. And unfortunately, I think it's going to hit when... Uh, when I'm going to be more likely to need it, and especially my parents will be more likely to need it. Uh, they, they'll be very old by that point, like, like say like eight years from now or something, four years from now, eight years from now. Uh, I, I, I'm going to hate the way the healthcare system becomes. And it just, I just, th- I don't think it can work 
I don't think it's not even it's not even just about being philosophically opposed to it. I actually don't think it can work here, and I think it's going to be a tremendous fail. That and I think people have the belief. You know how I talk about how people come to Vegas now and they picture like they're coming into 2019 Vegas and then they get there and it's not fun. It's not what they remember because it's changed. They're they're actually getting something different than before. So people are picturing that the doctor's experience they have now in the U.S. is going to be the same under socialized medicine, except they can go to any doctor they want and the government pays for everything. Well, sure, that sounds great. Who wouldn't want that? But that's not the reality. It's not the way it's going to go down. It's not going to be just like now. Yeah. It's going to it's going to be a much worse version with tons of waiting, tons of problems, tons of bureaucracy, tons of denials for tests. I mean, that's what now, happens. Speaking everywhere else. of everything you just described. What other, uh, I guess, government-based entity could you have been describing? Uh, That's been in the news lately. Every adjective you just said. <laughs> the U.S. Oh, the, I was to say the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah, can be our last subject of the night. Now you tell me. I, I you know, I, I tune this stuff out now. I used to listen. I remember the first time I heard. 10, 15 years ago, the post office is going under. The post office yes. is going under. I was all intrigued, and I'm reading, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking, you know, my friends, family. I'm like, did you hear about this? And then my dad's like, don't – it's never going to happen. It's just rhetoric. Why is it every five to seven years we hear how bad the post office is in dire straits, and they can only stay open for another three months, and, and, and then something happens, and you don't hear about it again for another decade? Well, yeah, is this another – episode of you know the boy crying wolf or is there really sort of what happens is the post office can go under it gets bailed out is one thing it also got somewhat saved by uh by amazon and the packages being shipped and all that they because what happened is uh they're they were getting their clock cleaned by fedex and and ups which were running more efficiently and people weren't sending uh weren't sending things as much as they used to and so there are a lot of changes, and that, by the way, that's why a lot of these mail sorting machines are being shut off. Is people people are just are not sending letters as much. That's uh, sending letters is is decreasing each year. But uh, so so yeah, the generation it, is dying. Yes, I mean, it's gonna it's just gonna continue on that route. And, and and not just letters like writing to your your aunt. I'm talking about uh, even sending mail to pay bills. Like th- that stuff is just not happening. People are doing how many, things online. How many? How many uh, not not packages? How many? You know put a stamp, a forever stamp on something and put it in a mailbox, do you send a month on average? Probably like one or two. I mean, okay, and how often, how many months can you on average even go without sending that one or two? Or, or is there something every month you ha- you always have to mail? No, no, I can sometimes go uh, two months or something before I have to mail something again. Okay, I mean, I've, I, I mail things maybe a handful times a year. You know, not or not counting packages, but when I do that, it's always U, U, UPS. So, or you know, very rarely FedEx as well. Um, what would they have to increase a price to to make it break even? I, like the price of a stamp or whatever. What or what about these? Okay, you know, what, let me ask you this. I've always felt then you know what these companies that do the mass bulk mailing that you know we get these ads and this crap every single day. Why don't they hike up the fees for these companies that are basically spam advertising us daily? That's a good question. See, I don't know about the operational decisions that they're making there and, and what rationale goes into them. Uh, I, I do think that 
they they need to figure out what to do with it. It can't just perpetually lose money, and uh, it's it's intended to be self supporting, and they need to kind of figure out what what the role of it is. It's kind of this weird pseudo government entity, which is is technically a government organization, but then it's also supposed to be self supporting, but then often it isn't really self supporting. But then the government has to bail it out. It's it's a weird thing. It's it's really it's not something directly run by the government, but then it's c- considered part of a government. And in, in fact, uh, so but what's happened that are we only hearing about this now because of the election and, and the, the you know the mailing of, of ballots? Yes, that's, why all of a sudden is this the well? Yes, that, that's why it is. So so there's uh, there's very there's two things. The, the, they don't want it, Trump doesn't want to fund any kind of bailout for them or give them additional funding when they claim they need it, especially to process the mail in ballots. They're saying we're not going to be able to with our current. Uh, capacity, we, we're not going to be able to process the mail-in ballots uh, at the speed you're going to want, and uh, we're not even close to that. So we need more money, and, and Trump isn't supporting it. So that's so the the belief is that this is being done to suppress voting, and and uh, so but here's here's the uh, there's a few issues here. First of all, there's been some inaccurate things being put out that they're shutting shutting off. Uh, Mail sorters in order to stop, uh, in order to damage the post office. They're shutting these off because they haven't needed them. The capacity has gone down, especially during COVID. There's just been less of this being done. They, they actually they're shutting these down because they don't need them. It's not related to anything with Trump. And then the the another thing that has been said is that they're locking mailboxes. They're actually putting locks on them where you can't use them uh, because of some plot of Trump's. That's not it either. They're locking mailboxes, again, that don't have a use. They just don't want... They, if, if there's a few mailboxes close together or even right next to each other, or just in some place where they just feel they aren't needed anymore, uh, they don't want to just not pick up from them because people will screw with them. People will start dropping trash in them. So they're, they're, the, the attitude of the post office, which is correct, is that if this mailbox is something we're not going to service, then we need to lock it so, uh, number one, people know that uh, they're not supposed to be mail in here. And number two, so people don't screw with it and drop trash in there or whatever because they think it's uh, something to screw with that's not really being used. So that's, that's why they lock it up. Uh, now, whether Trump is holding this back to, to uh, because he doesn't like the mail-in voting, uh, is that possible? Yes, but there, there's something further to look at. While... Regardless of what Trump's motives may be regarding the U.S. Postal Service, it is true that mail-in voting is very flawed, very, very flawed, and and it shouldn't just be expected that we just accept it and it's fine. A lot of people think it's fine because there has been absentee voting, which is by mail, for a long time. So the question is, if absentee voting, which has been here for ages and nobody's complained about if if that's fine and it is by mail is something going on there i hear a lot of uh activity i hear a lot of uh you okay brandon oh i'm just listening i'm, I'm sure like a lot of motion of the phone no okay I don't know. well if if that's if absentee is okay why is mail-in balloting not why is mail-in balloting not okay well, here's the problem. Universal mail-in balloting means that they are sending out ballots to everybody, whether they requested them or not. So anybody on the voter rolls is going to get one. And the problem with that is that, number one, there's people on the voter rolls that either moved and never notified uh, the, the, their prior 
place of registration that they're no longer there. There's people who have died. There's people who are incapacitated and never going to vote, like very old people that don't want to go out, that are barely hanging on, but aren't dead yet, but there's no way they're going to vote. There's people who've just decided they're not going to vote and haven't voted in a long time. Uh, There's apathetic people who registered and and never voted. There's a lot of people who are just going to get ballots, and there's going to be a ton of ballots out there that can be stolen and won't even be missed. I'm not talking about stealing someone's ballot that they rightfully or that they're hoping to receive and just don't get. I'm talking about uh, it, and it can be it doesn't have to be on a mass scale by by an organized party. It can be let's say you're feeling very passionate about this election and you hate Trump and you wish you could have more than one vote, but you only have one vote. Well, uh, your mom and dad they don't vote. They registered a long time ago, but they don't vote. And you're not going to go as far to uh, request absentee ballots for them, but three v- ballots come in the mail. All you have to do is fill them out and sign them. Maybe you're going to do it because it's sitting right there in front of you. Uh, maybe you're going to do it for your uh, for, for another elderly relative. Maybe maybe people who live with you. Maybe your roommate. You go, hey, dude, you're going to vote? Uh, I don't do that shit, man. I register. I don't know what fuck I register. I don't. I don't do that shit. It's a waste of fucking time. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, and then you, he throws it in the trash, you take it out of the trash, you vote for him. This can happen everywhere. What about people, what about erroneous registrations? You get uh, someone who lived at your apartment before, and now you get their mail, you get their voting stuff. This happens all the time. I, I've gotten this before where in places I've lived, where I've gotten stuff from, from people who lived at the address before me. I've gotten stuff related to elections. I just would throw it away. Well... Now, what if you get this in the mail? A ballot you can fill out. If you think it's important enough to beat Trump, if you hate him that much, you may not be someone who normally would do this, but maybe in this case it's justified. You can just fill out that extra ballot. This is going to happen all the time. There's going to be so many votes submitted that should not be submitted, that are dead, that have moved, that otherwise wouldn't be voting and don't even know you're going to be voting for them, and there can be organized attempts there can be uh, in big buildings where, uh, for example, you go to a big building where everybody gets their mail in one place. You go to the trash can the night that the ballots come in, I bet you're going to find a ton of, of ballots in there you can just grab. They'll never know who did it. You grab it, you, forge, you just forge any signature, mail it in. Not only won't that person know they, that you did it, but nor is there a way for the government to detect it was done. So when you hear of that voter fraud is not... A problem, and there's no documented cases of voter fraud. First of all, there have been, but even if you want to say there aren't, the problem is that it's hard to document these. It's hard to know what happened. If if I go to Ken Scaler's building, he lives in a big building. If I go to his big building on the day the ballots arrive, and I show up there at two in the morning, and I go through the trash, I will find a lot of ballots. And I can take them home, and I can fill them all out, and I can vote for Trump, and I can mail it in, and you'll have no idea who did it. You'll have no idea not only who did it or that it was even done. How will they be able to tell when they receive them that I filled them out instead of the people who mailed them to? There is no way to tell. Now, if someone were to call up and report me, let's say I I brag about this to someone, and and they report me, and then they do an investigation, and they pull my fingerprints off of them or something, then then they're not going to go that far. But if if they did, yeah, they could, but they won't even know what has been done. They won't even know. No one will know. The people who were supposed to get the ballots that threw them away, they're not going to know that they 
that someone voted as them. When the government receives them, they're not going to know these were ballots filled out by anyone else. There's no way to know. You won't know when you get a ballot if it was really filled out by the person it was mailed to. And this is common sense. This is simple stuff that's going to happen. And there, so there can be a combination of organized efforts to do this, such as just going by sending a group out to various big buildings and going through the trash. And there can be ones that are not organized, that just individuals do. And it all adds up. And what if it's a close election? What if there's states where it's, it comes down to 500 votes, like what happened in Florida in 2000? What if that? And then we have to worry about how many of these ballots. Like, if Trump loses because one state slightly goes to Biden by 500, 1,000 votes, and he complains the mail-in balloting screwed him, he would have a very valid complaint there. Even if he isn't right, it's very possible. It's very, very possible. So this is not a secure way to vote. And I don't care about, oh, we haven't had uh, documented cases. Well, this is common sense. The stuff I'm talking about doesn't take a genius to pull off. You've got a guy in Ken Scaler's building, this huge building he lives in. You've got someone who hates Trump, goes through the trash that night, and steals a bunch of ballots and fills them out. Do you think this requires a criminal genius? you think this requires uh, a lot of creativity? No. So, so this is not secure. This is not a secure election. And, and people say, oh, what about voting machines? Those can be hacked. Okay, those are concerns too. But the thing is that requires a lot more effort and skill to do. You can't, the average person can't just go hack a voting machine. And there's, there's, I think there's some vulnerabilities that need to be closed. I'm not saying this should be ignored. But this is something that any average Joe can do and will do. Not everybody will do it, but there will be a lot of people doing it, and we're going to have an election we can't trust. That's the problem with universal mail-in balloting. It's not about, oh, Trump doesn't want it because he's going to lose. That might be because why he doesn't want it, but he actually has a point that it's very flawed and that uh, when, when you have something where you, you there's no way to verify who's doing it and that ballots are going out to people who have no intention to vote, don't want them, or in some cases don't even exist or aren't alive, and they go to somebody else – who now has access to them and can fill them out without any proof that it was them, or even worse, where people can go through trash in large buildings where you can't even point out who did it or even know that it happened. This is something to be concerned about. So this is something everybody needs to think about. And before you say, oh, Trump is trying to uh, rig this so he wins it, I have no doubt that if Trump can pull some shenanigans to make it more difficult for Biden to win, even if it's unethical, that he would try it. I'm not saying that Trump is a saint or a good guy. I know Trump does things in his self-interest. I'm aware of that. I'm not defending it. I'm saying that his skepticism about the mail-in voting is actually correct. And uh, you can't tell me about documented cases of voter fraud. This is simple stuff. This is like... I, this is like you, you, you leave your door wide open of your house with a big stack of cash on your table that's visible to everybody on the street. And I say, you know, that's not a very smart idea. People are going to walk by your house or drive by your house and see this, and they're just going to walk in and steal it. Well, there's been no documented cases of someone walking to anybody's houses in the neighborhood and stealing money. Oh, yeah, but you're making really – nope, there's no documented cases of such crime happening. I'm safe. I'd say you're a complete idiot. And that's, that's what I'm hearing. Let's leave the whole thing super vulnerable and make it super easy and obvious to cheat because there's no, quote, documented cases of it. I mean, that's just – you really have to be in partisan denial to say that 
that that's not a realistic concern. So uh, what's the solution? Either open up the polling places uh, or I think you open up the polling places and you make it easier and you have a lot of publicity on how to do sign up for absentee balloting, which I know there are still some of the same concerns, but not nearly as bad. The mail-in balloting is like the the fraud potential of absentee balloting. Mail-in universal mail-in balloting is like that on steroids. So have absentee, make it very public about how to sign up for it, make it very easy, extend the time frame if necessary, whatever, and then also open up the polling places for those who feel comfortable to go. And that's that. I mean, you go to the supermarket, you can go to many places that are considered essential. I would say voting is considered essential, but also make absentee available in every state and make it easily available and make it very public how to do it and make it an easy thing to sign up for, for those who can't or are afraid to. And that's the best solution. There's no ideal solution. That's the best. So that's that's how I feel about that. And I, I don't want to see a ripped off election. I don't want to see Trump win it unfairly. If Biden wins, he should get it. But I also don't want this denial that a mail-in ballot scheme that might happen to favor Biden is fine just because it happens to favor Biden. It's not a fair scheme. It's not. A, it's you're not going to have a fair election that way. Anyway, that's that's how I feel about this whole thing. All said. Okay. Well. It's after six in the morning, way after six in the morning, and uh, I am done. Thank you, Brandon, for coming on here. I'm sorry for the notice that was short because you were sleeping during it and didn't know till you woke up. Oh, it was 45-minute notice. Uh, don't give me that. Just <laughs> spin any way you want. 45-minute notice is still 45-minute notice, my friend. Now, now, do you want the – there's been some debate here whether I should play the original All in the Family end song or the kind of uh, jazzy – updated version from around 1980. So when I say updated, it's kind of in quotes. I'd rather you just kind of get real crazy and place the themes or the closing song from Archie's place. Well, I've done that before. The, the oh, Archie Bunker's place. That. That, that, that's the jazzy version is that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I'm old school, so I, I, I like what we've always done, but it's it's your, your call. Okay. I, I'm going to do something... A little bit different here to end the show. I'm, I'm not going to do either. I'm actually going to do a closing of something a little bit similar. Make sure you can hear it here before I start. Do something a little bit similar to close the show. And in case you can't hear me during it, uh, thank you for coming on, Brandon. No problem. And uh, thanks for having me. And good night. Here it comes. All right. Shalom. Shalom. Okay, so it's by Norman Lear. It's just not all in the family. This was the end song of the Jeffersons, which I'm sure most of you recognize. This is the full version. They didn't play this whole thing. This is a minute 20 long. Anyway, I'm going to try to make Friday a normal day. Next scheduled show, 
August 28th, Friday. Thank you to those who donated to the free roll. Well, hang on a second. Hold on. Hold on. Let me stop this for a second. I, I was going to say something. I meant to say it early in the show, and then I forgot. So I'm going to put this at the end. Hopefully this guy hears it. One of the people who donated to the free roll this week, the guy who donated uh, 25 bucks, not not the Ocean Magic, but the other one. Uh, let me look up who he is here. I forgot his name now. Uh, up W 13 up W 13 He actually found the show or at least became a fan of the show in an unusual way. I don't know how he originally found the show, but his initial impression of the show was one of dislike. And the reason he did not like it was because I was criticizing Daniel Negreanu, of whom he was a fan. So he liked Negreanu, he listened to Dat Poker Podcast, and he heard me do a segment where I was semi-critical of Negreanu. I wasn't even that mean. Like, I was actually very fair, and I said a number of positive things about Daniel in that segment, along with my criticism. And I, I didn't take any cheap shots. I didn't uh, – I, I wasn't doing any you know kind of – You tell him poppycock. <laughs> well, listen. He, he, he's come around. This, this is how I got 25 bucks from him. For the, I didn't get it. Actually, you guys did for the free roll. But uh, this is how – what happened was that he actually made a Reddit post about – how he didn't even name me, but he talked about on the Poker Fraud Alert podcast. There's this uh, host who threw shade at Daniel and said a lot of nasty things about him. And in fact, the post kind of mischaracterized a lot of what I had been saying. It kind of was only focusing on the bad and didn't uh, and exaggerated some of it. And he also didn't mention any of the nice things I said about Daniel. It was a, a segment where I was really saying the positive and the negative, but never getting petty or like gratuitously insulting. So I, I was disappointed to see that, but I never really thought about it after that. I may have even mentioned it on the show and this was last year. Well, I got a text message from that guy for the first time ever. He lives in California, apparently. But I got a text message from him, and he told me that after that, he actually went and listened to the show more and decided he really liked it. I'm talking about this show, not Dat. He probably listens to Dat still also, but he got to really like this show. And he decided that he wants to check out more of it. So he went back in the archives and listened to it. He, he went and caught a lot of past episodes. He didn't just start listening every week. He actually went into the archives to uh, go listen to some past episodes I did, and he said that uh, he thinks I'm great. This was his words. I'm not paraphrasing. Tell you, regardless, a wise man once said this. Okay, I don't even need to tell you. It's a wise, wise man. Regardless of how good what Telus's show may or may not be, <laughs> <laughs> now, who was that wise man? That would be one Mason Malmuth. Yes. So anyway, he said so only him. Only he could like give you a compliment and still put an insult. But no, but then, but then he actually, but then he actually got more complimentary towards the end of the thread. So I'll give him that. He's still not going to add poker fraud alert on his uh, forum. But anyway, this guy here who at first didn't like the show because he felt I was bad mouthing Daniel came around and really enjoys the show now. And he sent me a text message explaining the story and then said, "I just want to apologize." A year later, I just want to say I love your podcast and thank you. I will put $25 on the next free roll for being an ass. <laughs> so he, And he really did. He gave me $25 to put on the free roll, and that's where half the money from 
this free roll from this show, from this episode, came from, from this tee it up uh, W guy. Uh, so I don't know who he is other than these text messages, and I, I see his area code in California, in Northern California, but uh, but thank you. And, you know, I'll be honest, I wasn't offended by that thing you wrote. It was just uh, kind of amusing to see that someone was writing about this. I, I felt the criticism was a little unfair because I thought I was very even-handed. So, when- wait, hold on, though. I'm confused. What made him come around? Oh, he he just said he started listening more and decided he liked it. Like I don't know how he okay, found so it initially. That he got over the ground of criticism. It was just the content of the show is what changed his mind. Yes, yeah. He just decided okay, he, cool. he just decided that that was like a bad first impression. But then he lived, listened more and was like, you know what? I actually really like this show. And I, I don't know how he feels now about the Negreanu stuff, but I, I know at least, and he may well, still. You know what? I'm wondering if this may be the year that that this show finally breaks through and gets even nominated, or at least nominated for. Uh, one of those poker, whatever reward things, uh, you know what I'm talking. What is it called? Oh, the, call those, the, the the well, it used to be the Bluff Awards, but those are gone. It's no, now the, no, it's not Ari every year. It hasn't been Bluff for years. No, I know, I know. That's well, that know. just, what, that just sticks in my head global, when they global poker, yeah, awards? the global poker awards and the Bluff yeah. Awards. That was that that's still in my head about how I got snubbed there, but uh, but yeah, the global poker awards put on by the Global Poker Index. They they have that award show and yeah somehow we we've been nominated before I'll say that they at least put us under consideration and then we never make it to the official voting process we're like in the list of podcasts to consider so they acknowledge we exist but that's as far as they go and I, I don't really care so much about that I mean, it would be nice to be recognized especially it would be nice because we'd get some publicity from it and we get more listeners the way people find the show is just when they hear people talking about it or mentioning it. And then a certain percentage listen and say, oh, you know what? I like this. And then they stick around. Uh, it was interesting on 2 Plus 2 last week. You know, there were a number of people who were positive about the show. There's you know, one or two people said, oh, it's too long. I, I, I don't enjoy it, which I, I can understand. There's some people who just – they don't even want to just jump around to the parts that interest them. They just go – they just see something like eight hours. They go, this is oppressive. I can't even start to listen to this, and that's that. So whatever. That's fine. This is not a, a, a short – tight, compact podcast that never will be. So if you like a long-form show that you can either listen all at once or or split up over a week, this is a good show for you. If you want some quick show that covers everything in an hour, it's never going to be this one. So, so, you know, that's fine. But I I always glad to hear stories like this or receive stories like this in text messages, especially people who initially have a bad impression enough to go post on Reddit and bash me and then decide that they actually really like the show and now they listen to it every week and, and really enjoy it and went back and listened to the archives. So thank you for the $25. It was not expected. I don't feel anybody owes me or the free roll anything, but anything that people wish to give, then that's always appreciated in that I feel that it's not owed. So it's like an extra that you don't have to do. And I know that, and that makes me appreciate it more. So thank you, and I'm glad to have you as a listener, and I'm glad to have everybody here as listeners, and you know what also makes me happy? I've been looking at the stats for the call to listen line, and there's actually, like, it's actually getting a lot of use during times when we're not on. There's actually people who listen, like, it's actually rare oh, now. That's ridiculous. No, listen, it's I'm actually sorry. it's actually rare now that I look at the call to listen line and see nobody on it. It's a, there's almost at least oh, there's almost ridiculous. always at least one person. I'm serious. Almost always at I least mean, one I person. I believe you, but it's 2020. I mean, who can't an iPad, a tablet, a, a, a Kindle, a, a, an Amazon, a, a, what have you, a laptop, a phone? I mean, how could no one just – I mean, I get this like if this was 20 years ago 
where you know people were still paying you know for internet usage you know data but i mean who why would i don't know it's it's being used and then i also see others that are listening through methods i mean if you have a phone anyhow why wouldn't you just hit the url and listen it doesn't make sense i think they just got used to the call to listen you know what i'd like to get some comments can you can you ask that well i mean i guess i'm doing it for those of you that that's your preferred choice of of the, the the fraud show can you uh, send Ruff a text, uh, you know, or if you, or a post or post? I'm curious. I want to know why. I, I, I think why, I can you know, tell you, but uh, but they, they can do people, it. Listen, even I, you know, I, I don't know all about this, but I I think from what I've read, even people that can't afford cell phones, they can they get the it's called an Obama. Obama yes, yeah. Ken Scaler right? has that. Yes, but no, no. But listen, yeah, and, listen. I, and, it, and it has data. Like it has a, a, a you know safari or no, it has some data. But the thing browser. is, it you okay? So there's a few re- reasons. I don't think it's a matter of not affording or needing an Obama phone. People, what people like about it is that it doesn't buffer, it doesn't freeze, it doesn't require a good data connection. You could like if you're driving somewhere that the data is going in and out, even if it's good most of the way, it's kind of tilting. You're listening to something, you're getting into it, and it just freezes because you've gone into an area with one bar. I've never listened to me. I've listened to this show more than anybody in this world other than you. I mean, in terms of being on, in terms of calling in, I've never, okay, I've, unless I'm in a parking garage or somewhere obstructed with tons of concrete, I've never had an issue in Nevada or any other city I've even visited and called in from time to time. I was in the Bahamas once and called in. Never had an issue. I'm not never talking about calling issue. in. I'm talking about streaming. No, I know, but I, I'm right. But what I'm saying is I listen before I call in. I'm, I've never once said, "Oh, this sucks. I can't hear right." It, never. Nope. No, but if you're on the no, but if you're on the road, if you're driving within Vegas, it's not likely. But if if even if you're in the Bahamas where the internet's stable, it's not likely. If you are driving around, I've had this with other things. Not even sometimes even my show. If I'm trying to go listen yeah, but to if old you're episodes. Driving around, you're going to be using the same sort of signal your mobile phone. No, have. that's where you're missing it. You're not. It's actually two different things. So so there's the uh, data signal. And then there's the telephone signal, and even though they're both digital, the the telephone signal requires a much lesser quality. In fact, it's, it's even possible to have the telephone signal with no data. Sometimes if you see, like, let's say you have AT&T, sometimes you'll see your phone just say AT&T two or three bars with no LTE or 5G or 4G next to it. That means you have phone and no data. That means you can receive texts but not iMessages. That, that's, that's what that means. A lot of people don't know that. So... Uh, for phones, you really, even the slightest bit of a signal, you can complete a call. You can't always hear them the best, but, uh, but you can complete the call and sometimes you can even hear the call fairly clearly. So if you have zero bars or one bar, uh, a lot of times if you try, if you try to use, what is going on here? A lot of, that was my stomach. That, Did you hear that noise? Was that really that your stomach? Good. That was my stomach wow. yeah, growling because I'm hungry. Wow, yeah. that was a strong yeah. growl. Okay, so, yeah. so anyway, the, and I like to say That's this crazy. when I promote the call to listen line that the you can have like zero or one bar where there's no way you're going to be able to stream a podcast like that, and you can complete a call, which is all you need to do for the call to listen line. And the call to listen line has such a good connection with the Poker Fraud Alert server well, that it never freezes. I would like to hear it from these okay. people that are constantly tying up the lines. Tags drop. <laughs> Or posting and on the the site, I'm I'm curious. I, I would just I never in a million years would do that. We have had about a, a million minutes listened to on that thing. About a million minutes. It's about you a sure, lot. this ain't some kind of 
gaff, no technical snafu. Maybe no. you think you're seeing something. No, 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 no. It's in fact, and, and the usage of this and also the other streaming formats where you can the people who listen to the reruns through the website, like you suggested, or the TuneIn app. I've seen all of that having a lot more activity when we're not on. Of course, people are going to listen when we're on live, like right now. But I'm talking about where, like, it's on a, on a Tuesday night where it's been days since we were last on and days since we'll be on again. Mm-hmm. And and I'll look, and there's several people listening to whatever's just streaming at random at the moment. So I think, oh, that's that's cool. That's bizarre, man. Well, that's bizarre. People like it. You know, some people actually like having things selected for them. Even I like that sometimes. Even like, I mean, no, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not bashing the show. I'm just, there's a million ways I could listen, and that would never be even in the top five of how I would listen. Yeah, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who do, and and even people who don't use that method. I'm saying that there's just a number of people who are listening to the streaming reruns, just the reruns that are picked at random and and streamed as if they're live, and they know they're not live. Mm-hmm. But there's a number of people that listen, even though they have the whole library of the archives to specifically pick a show. Sometimes it is nice to just let it pick for you and just let something come up random and listen. Like sometimes I even I'll do that. Uh, uh, just out of curiosity, I'll say, I wonder what's playing right now, and I'll put it on. And sometimes I'll hear you and I talking seven years ago or eight years ago, and I'll go, oh, I remember this conversation. Or well, the, the weird thing is when I don't remember the conversation, and I go, wow, that's weird. This is like a, yeah. Or, I, or I'm telling a story that I have no recollection of anymore, and I, and I go, I wonder how this is going to end. Then I wait for me to tell myself of how it ended. It, that's really the weirdest part. I, I remember well, I most of it. If I put money on it, I'd say the story would end with you insisting you're right. <laughs> I'm kidding, buddy. And the the other thing is that uh, that's really freaky is when mm-hmm. I hear myself telling a story where I don't uh, remember it at all, and then I think about what I'll say next or or what my next thought would be, or mm-hmm. I know the story but I don't remember how I told it. And then I'll think of the next words I would probably use if I were to be broadcasting it right now, and I say the exact same words. Oh wow! Yeah, so some it, it, that's weird too. Where I'll actually have the words in my brain, not even remembering it. Like this is what I think I should say next, and then I say to the exact word that. So I guess all those years, sometimes it doesn't change. Okay, we're done here. Somehow this ended up over eight hours. Anyway, I don't know how. I didn't have much to talk about. It ended up eight hours. Like, I think the lesson here is that no matter how little I have to say, it still takes eight hours. Okay, I'm, I'm going to just play the Good end. Good show, buddy. Okay. Good night, Trader Ruski. Okay. Just wanted to mention about Tia Dup's donation. Thank you very much. If you haven't contacted me before and you listened to the show, you can text me 775-372-8355. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Friday, the 28th of August, in the evening around 9 p.m. Shalom. Shalom.